Hello everybody, Happy New Year, and welcome to our special presentation of our What a Cartoon Movie episode all about Beauty and the Beast, and I am one of your hosts, the Grey Stuff Enjoyer, Bob Mackey, who is here with me today, as always, Henry Gilbert, and please be our guest for this special free version of our What a Cartoon Movie podcast. That's right, back in the summer, we put together, let's say, a five-hour episode about Beauty and the Beast. You might have heard the free preview, just a paltry 45 minutes of it, but as a special holiday bonus, you're going to hear the whole damn thing right now that's right we are taking off the week we're taking off the week of uh the start of the year after a big big uh december but we're not leaving you hanging without a new something in place of a talking simpsons or what a cartoon podcast and so this is our full over five hour chat about the disney renaissance classic that we did last year if you don't know every month we do a new episode of what a cartoon movie on patreon.com slash talking simpsons for our premium list Listeners, go back through our free feed of Talking Simpsons our episodes too. You could see our ones for Shrek and Iron Giant, which we also released uh, gratis to the public as, as a preview of the full version you can hear on the website for 10 bucks a month. So if you enjoy this very long podcast about Beauty and the Beast, you want to hear the other, uh, let's say, 49 What a Cartoon Movies, go to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Sign up for 10 bucks a month. You can hear everything we've done since the beginning of the series in November of 2018. All the episodes are between three to six hours long, and we cover all sorts of things from Disney to Pixar to anime, you name it. We probably covered it, and if not, we'll cover it soon. <laughs> There are some real great ones in the last year, especially that we've done. Uh, folks should hear our talks about wide range of films like Paranorman, Toy Story 3, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Our most recent one, Tokyo Godfathers, especially if you're still in the holiday mood. And even our longest ever one to date, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? That is over six and a half hours long. You can hear all of those if you go to the $10 level and listen back to them. And of course, you also get at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons all the $5 stuff we do, which is our monthly episodes of Talking Futurama and Talk King of the Hill. And you get to hear all of our previous ones of covering Mission Hill, The Critic, and we just finished eight new episodes of Blabbing About Batman the Animated Series, fresh takes on eight more of our favorite episodes of that formative interpretation of the dark night thanks so much for listening to this little intro everybody we hope you're having a great start to your 2023 now please enjoy our podcast all about beauty and the beast cartoons from present in the past every week will be an animated bash what a cartoon what a cartoon maybe a short but mostly shows we'll talk we'll analyze exploring as we go what a cartoon Hello, everybody, and welcome to What a Cartoon Movie, where the gray stuff has been outlawed by the FDA. I'm your host, the flying buttress engineer, Bob Mackey, and this is an audio exploration of every animated movie ever who is here with you today, as always. Hey, it's Henry Gilbert, and as I always say, if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. <laughs> and this month's movie is Beauty and the Beast. Just hold still. That hurts! If you'd hold still, it wouldn't hurt as much. And yes, we're in the middle of our second Disney Renaissance summer on What a Cartoon Movie, and this is the movie you chose 
a movie that surprisingly has lost a lot of polls up until this point. It surprised mm-hmm. Henry and I, but maybe it's because we're much older than all of you. <laughs> you know, I think it too was that it and Little Mermaid kind of split their respective polls. Yeah. And then once Little Mermaid finally won, then Beauty and the Beast was destined to win. Uh, though really, the it, it surprised me how close it was and... I did underestimate how many people love our next month's episode, Rescuers Down yeah. Under, which, yeah. Have not seen it. Looking forward to covering that one. But yeah, that was one of the other choices. The other ones were uh, Oliver and Company and uh, Pocahontas. So mm-hmm. this is the winner out of all of those. Yeah. And I mean, how could it not be? It's like the most prestigious and, and big of all of them. I mean, I guess Lion King made bigger box office and, and was a bigger hit. But this had the most accolades, I would say, yes. of, of all of them. It caused Disney to be real Oscar chasers after losing this one. Oh, and yeah. They didn't get any more Best Picture noms until they bought Pixar. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We'll talk more about that uh, later. But uh, before we begin, what is your experience with this movie, Henry? Mine is very, very limited and brief. Oh, boy. Well, so uh, last time on Little Mermaid, I talked about how when I was seven, I super duper loved The Little Mermaid. And then, you know, I did see Rescuers Down Under in theaters. We'll talk about that next month. Then the next year, I'm nine. And the trailers for this that were all like, oh, if you loved the beauty and majesty of Little Mermaid, this is even more so. It's another fairy tale. It's not set in current times like Rescuers Down Under. It's the continuation of fairy tale stuff. I think by this point, they maybe are even starting to market themselves as a Disney renaissance. So I was there day one for this. As soon as I could get my mom to take us to it, we saw it. I... Loved the soundtrack, listened to it over and over. Cogsworth was my favorite character. I had a toy of Cogsworth. I feel uh, like we are, we are similar to Lumiere and Cogsworth. <laughs> we are the Lumiere. Isn't that right, Henry? <laughs> uh, come on. Uh, uh, really now? Uh, yeah, no, I, I loved every second of it. I loved it so much that a year later in 1992, I went and saw Newsies in theaters only because <laughs> if you went to the sneak preview of it, you could then see Beauty and the Beast again right after, which was the real treat of it. I don't I don't remember much at all about Newsies. Despite seeing it, I just remember once it was over, it's like, all right, Beauty and the Beast time, another and it was almost like we were it was me and like uh my mom, brother and I, and three other people in the audience uh waiting for it. Newsy's not a big hit, but mm-hmm. I, I do want to see it eventually. It, uh, there are fans of it. I think there's yeah. like a, a, a cult of fandom around Newsies. People I like really love it. I, I haven't given another shot, but I mean, yeah, Robert Duvall, uh, the Christian Bale, lots of good uh, folks in it for sure. But yeah, and then I watched it over and over again on VHS and uh, you know, I didn't own uh, the DVD or Blu-rays of it, but I, I always followed it. And yeah, the songs in it are some of my all-time favorites and it has some of my all-time favorite like animation in a Disney modern film, uh, especially from James Baxter. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's all over this one. So yeah, this, this is maybe my favorite Disney Renaissance film. Oh, okay. I think, actually. Yeah. Well, my experience, uh, very, very limited. Like with the little mermaid, go back to that podcast, listen to that. I also felt anxiety about this movie because mm. this was uh, deemed by all the little boys around me to be a girl movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, forget about the whole beast part. There's a beauty in this movie and girls yep. are gross. It's a gross <laughs> girls movie. So I was afraid to even rent it mm-hmm. uh, like The Little Mermaid. Uh, a Little Mermaid I saw at a friend's house because he had the tape. 
Beauty and the Beast I saw for the one and only time in school, like after oh. the VHS tape came out, you know, when it's like you're winding down to Christmas break, teacher's like, here's a fucking movie. I don't care anymore. <laughs> they wheel in the cart. Yeah. Oh, and... the cart was wheeled in. All right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's the one time I saw this until I just rewatched it for this podcast. Wow. wow and that's wow, it. Wow. And you know what? Uh, I feel that Disney could even sense the anxiety uh, of little boys because I, sh- I shared this one clip with you, Henry. It is a, uh, a commercial for the movie that makes it look like Home Alone, where it's yes, like the yeah. castle's being invaded. <laughs> yeah. Can the furniture like stave off these evil villains? No beauty or no beast in the in that commercial. Just like it's like a wacky burglar adventure. Yeah, that totally that that ad was totally aimed at the the Home Alone kids crowd. That was for Saturday morning. That ad, yeah. absolutely. I mean, that's why you know we said it in Little Mermaid too. That's why they included the. Le Poussin and all uh, song and all of the Looney Tunes action there. And so you can cut that together for your boys commercial because you're scared that if you show them a girl in a gorgeous gown dancing <laughs> with a big hairy dude in a beautiful tuxedo, that looks like uh, girly. Too, now too I, girly. I appreciate all the gowns and dancing and mm-hmm. I have a wife. Figure that one out. <laughs> you guys can dance together. We can. Yeah. Our size difference is about the same. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's my experience. Very, very limited. But returning to it, I'm like, oh, this is great. And, uh, you know, spoilers for future discussions. Uh, these are like my two favorite Disney directors, I think. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. right. Because, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think see that. Secret MVPs. We'll talk about that soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Musker and Clements, they get all of the they get all the headlines because they worked on the most stuff but i think it could be the other two guys who might be the best i yeah. think it's uh, just not as fun to say trousdale <laughs> it's just not fun anymore uh let's talk about the origins of beauty and the beast so if you want to read the original story and i did it's about 14 pages long very easy to read oh, nice uh please check out the penguin classics edition called uh, beauty and the beast classic tales about animal brides and grooms from around the world because Thousands of years ago, people have wanted to fuck other animal people. <laughs> yes. It's been a common thing throughout all of humankind. These stories about uh, romances between humans and animal people, going back to like Zeus, right? Yeah, yeah. Zeus turned yeah. into a goat and fucked a lady, and yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we were always furries, and it, like I think recently I discovered I'm probably ten percent furry, and that's okay. <laughs> it, you know, the boundaries push more and more as you explore. Yeah. As you explore online spaces, yeah, <laughs> like with so. sexuality, I think being a furry is a spectrum. Yeah, and yeah. I, I'm like ten percent, I think, if I could figure <laughs> it out. But yeah, it's been a common thing throughout all of humanity that we like we love these stories. Beauty and the Beast is just one of like many from tons of different cultures, and this book is packed full of all of them with new translations. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but uh, Beauty and the Beast, the specific story this movie is based on, it comes from uh, an author called Jean Marie Le Prince de Beaumont, mm. and it was published in Magazine des Enfants. Uh, sorry, Magazine des Enfants. Oh, so magazine for kids? Uh, children's collection. Oh, I see. So basically yeah. the same thing. I got it. So that version came out in 1756. And just like Pinocchio, the purpose of this story was to encourage good behavior in children, specifically in little girls. Man, that's just like Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid's original book ending, too, which is like, and you better be good if you want this uh, Little Mermaid to go to heaven. Yes, it's very didactic, and Disney gets rid of all that crap Mm. for the best. (laughs) Well, hey, isn't that how modern capitalism even just cuts out all of the spirituality of any old story? Basically. We don't need that crap. Let's secularize everything. (laughs) So uh, Beaumont, the author of this 14-page story, her story is actually an abridged version of the original. A girl wrote this? Yes. Whoa. And she ripped off another girl. Oh, wow. wow. So uh, her story is an abridged version of the original novel length 
1740 Beauty and the Beast by author Gabrielle Suzanne de Villeneuve, mm. another woman writer. So her novel comes out in 1740, and then Beaumont's 14-page children's version comes out in 56. And it's no coincidence that uh, Villeneuve dies in 1755. Oh, wow. There you so go. Yes. Yeah. It's finally safe to rip her off. As soon as the body is cold, they're like, all right, rip that off. That's my story now. <laughs> and uh, the Villeneuve version, the novel version, was written for adults. And like I said, uh, she passes away. And then Beaumont has her own version a year later. Technically, uh, Villeneuve is the author of the oldest version of Beauty and the Beast, that version mm. of the story. But Beaumont is the author of the best-known version. And the funny thing about this uh, plagiarism is Disney does not acknowledge Beaumont in the credits. Only in the French version of Beauty and the Beast does it say based on the original story wow. by Beaumont. So Man. that's why if you ask someone like, oh, who wrote, uh, I mean, who wrote this story? Oh, yeah, the Grimm brothers. Who wrote that story? Hans Christian Andersen. Few people could tell you who wrote Beauty and the Beast outside of people in France, probably. Wow, man. I didn't know that Disney so... Because uh, re- in some of the extras and uh, promotional materials for Little Mermaid, they were very clear of like, yeah, from Hans Christian Andersen's original classic. Like, they're they're much more clear that I guess because Hans Christian Andersen is more known in America than I, I suppose Pinocchio wasn't wasn't promoted back then with the name yeah. of that author. Either. Carlo Collodi. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, more about Beaumont. So we mentioned Hans Christian Andersen and the Brothers Grimm. They used folk tales to, you know, morally instruct children. That was the purpose of their stories. She did it first. Oh, she was the one of the first she did before them, but because she was a woman, probably. Mm-hmm. And for other reasons, these stories really never left France. And she wrote a bunch of them. But that's her most notable one. Mm, yeah. Okay, wow. But yeah, if you want to read it, it's 14 pages and I can go over the differences uh, up next on this podcast. So, yeah, like I said before, the story is intended to instruct little children, uh, in this case, little girls, because the main moral lesson of the story is don't worry if your potential husband is smart or pretty you should be more concerned uh, if he's a good person. Uh. It's all about like, don't be too picky about who you marry. (laughs) And uh, we'll go into how this story uh, teaches this lesson. So there are some differences in the original story. And before I tell you that, here's a quote that's a thesis statement from the story. Quote, it is neither good looks nor great wit that makes a woman happy with her husband, but character, virtue, and kindness. And the beast has all of those good qualities. That's a quote from Belle when she realizes she loves the beast. Or maybe it's the narrator. I forget. Huh, interesting. Okay, but, well, in the movie, he's a real jerk at first, this guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this this story is mainly about Belle getting over her own bullshit and loving an ugly, nice guy. Okay, yeah. see, man, boy, that almost... It sounds like something an, a male incel writer yes. would write today, not a woman. No, yeah. They never pay attention to the nice guys. <laughs> I mean, that, it feels like that, but it's written by yeah. a woman. who maybe, maybe maybe she married a homely guy. Who knows? Like, hey, those homely guys, they're really nice. <laughs> it's the it's that meme comic of the handsome guy who compliments the girl, and then when a, an ugly man says the same thing, oh, she's right. like, she calls the cops. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the, like the meme version of Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> so some differences in the story that are not in the movie. Beauty uh, has two sisters and three brothers. The three brothers are barely mentioned in the story, but the two sisters are like evil stepsister types. Mm. So they use that trope in this story. I can see why you cut them. They're just redundant, and you'll just be ripping off the Cinderella's perfect evil stepsisters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. These are not notable evil stepsisters. So also, uh, the castle is magic. But sadly, the beast is the only character inside of it. The mm. the different like living appliances, that's all Howard Ashman's invention, not ah, in the story at all. Okay. 
So also, there was no magic rose. There is a rose in the story. So what happens is, similar to the movie, Belle's father, or Beauty's father, rather, goes to the castle and, you know, is shown, like, a nice time, and then he leaves. On the way out in the book, he picks a rose, and that's the final straw. Right, right, right. But yeah. in the movie, the rose is uh, the thing, the timer, basically. Yeah, it's the ticking clock in the thing. That's, uh, yeah, you know, the rose thing, that was it in one of the other adaptations I've seen of, of Beauty and the Beast, the, the stealing the rose, which, you know, might be better to put the fault on Maurice instead yeah. of having it just be like, well, the guy, he just didn't want to freeze to death and you put him in a prison cell. Like, yeah. In the book, I think part of the moral lesson is like learn to be a good guest because Maurice goes to the castle to get in from the coal. But he's also like, hey, while I'm here, I'm going to have three glasses of wine and an entire mm. chicken. And <laughs> oh, look, there's hot chocolate waiting for me. I think it's like, well, this guy overstayed his welcome and that's why he's being punished. Yeah. Uh, you know, kids need to learn that lesson too. be a good house guest. Yeah. And, and like in the uh, book, Belle is, you know, bookish. She's beautiful. She's selfless. She's honest. She has all the qualities that uh, the author wants little girls to have mm -hmm. growing up. And uh, there's little lines in there where, you know, uh, at the beginning of the story, the father's a merchant, but then they have to move to the countryside. And now they're poor. And the author's like, but Belle didn't complain at all. She didn't mind it at all. But her evil, <laughs> evil stepsisters are like, this sucks. Uh, of course. Yeah. Oh, I Boy, it's so fun to see the lessons, the, the, the morals that are being taught through everything. Yeah, this it. one is uh, don't complain, I guess. Mm -hmm. So Beauty is the captive of the beast. Seemingly in the story, he is going to kill her father, but she takes his place. And then uh, she starts wandering around the castle and seeing that it's really set up for her. And she's like, maybe he's not going to kill me. And it turns out he's not. Uh, he's much more of a mope than a violent jerk. Mm. And the fact that he's very nice outside of these other qualities is the point of the story. Like, the beast is ugly and he's stupid because that's what the curse did to him. Ah, uh, okay. And it's not because he did anything bad. In the book, it's just like, an evil fairy cursed me. He didn't say what he did. Oh, <laughs> uh, see, that's... Uh, yeah. I mean, hey, in life, something bad stuff happens to you for no reason, but... I kind of I prefer the morality in the in the movie of like no he was an asshole to somebody who wanted help so that person then punished him for judging someone by how they look. But if you also take apart the logic of the movie, he was eleven. Yes, when he yeah, did that. Yeah, that's also yeah. Like okay, like who wasn't a jerk when yeah. they were eleven? Come on, his brain wasn't done developing. Yeah, take me to evil witch court. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, the beast ends up not killing Belle, and every day they have dinner together. And she's like repulsed by him, but he's very kind. And at the end of every meal, he asks uh, Belle to marry him. And, and she says no, because it's like, this guy's ugly. Mm -hmm. He's really nice, but he's ugly and I don't like him. And that's the the mechanics of the story. So there's no Gaston. There's no unruly mob of townspeople. Huh. The brothers mentioned about going to the castle to kill the beast, but they end up not doing that. <laughs> okay. And the finale is much different. So like in the movie, Beast lets uh, Beauty go home to see her father, right? In this case, her evil sisters trick her into staying longer, uh, and because of that, the beast basically uh, commits suicide in a, in a, like a long form way. He starts starving himself because he's so sad. Oh, jeez! And then when Beauty returns to the castle to see him, she sees he's in this horrible state because he's so sad, and that's when, uh, because he you know committed self harm for so long, she <laughs> fell in love with him. Not the best relationship. Yeah, jeez. But uh, um, you know, I turned you down to marry you, but now that I see that you hurt yourself when I'm not there yeah then i guess I'll, I'll have to marry you i guess it was yeah. the 18th century but mm -hmm. when she sees the state he's in she falls in love with him uh and they you know she agrees to marry him and that's when the curse is lifted he becomes a beautiful prince 
and then uh, her sisters are turned into statues who have to watch her like happiness every day <laughs> until they're sorry. Jesus. Yeah. Well, that's a heavy. That's a heavy price for those stepsisters to pay, man. Yeah, yeah. But again, like Pinocchio, it's all about. Hey, little kid, this is the kind of person you should be. And just like in Pinocchio, a big part of it is you have to take care of your elderly parents. So oh. Belle is taking care of, uh, in the movie Maurice, in the book, just her dad. Because, I mean, even in, even though this book was written, I think around the same time as Pinocchio, I forget. It's been a few months. But there's still not a big social safety net for the elderly. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, Belle is uh, tasked taking care of her father. And she doesn't mind at all. And you shouldn't either. <laughs> it's going to have to be your responsibility someday. So you better better enjoy it yeah that's, yeah so he still gets transformed by true love at the end though and he becomes uh, uh is, is he handsome at least i think i mean there's no description but i assume he's a similarly like fish-lipped blonde guy okay yeah i yeah that guy he's too uh he's he's handsome enough but yeah i, I hey. always uh, this is a core conceit of the film on the commentary they say uh i don't think we could have done a better job with this guy <laughs> they're like they they don't like it either no nah, i mean look he's a fabio looking dude that's yeah, all that's yeah. all he needs to be yeah so yeah that's the original story uh please check it out it's very very easy to read it's probably readable online i didn't look but the penguin books edition if you want to read more sicko stories about animal husbands <laughs> and uh you know brides that's where you got to go, folks. And you may be put on the list for that. I probably already am. <laughs> I hate it's classic literature. That should yes. cover for it. It's classic <laughs> pornography. So let's talk about the history of the movie Beauty and the Beast. So some brief facts about the movie first. Released uh, in a limited way on November 13th, 1991. I believe November 22nd, 1991 is the official release date worldwide, or at least America-wide. So it made uh, four hundred and forty million on a twenty-five million dollar budget. Wow, we and weirdly, it seems like this in Aladdin costs much less to make than The Little Mermaid, probably because the cap system uh, helps streamline things for Disney. Uh. But with The Lion King onwards, the budgets would get massive, and that probably has a lot to do with the celebrity talent they're bringing on board. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, this has. Uh, I don't know. I don't think Jerry Orbach cost that much money. <laughs> no, he wasn't even on Law and Order yet. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he wasn't even Lenny Briscoe. Is that that's, his name? Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I guess uh, Angela Lansbury would be the most famous person. Oh in this yeah, movie. she's yeah. a superstar here mm-hmm. with Murder She Wrote. So this is the first animated movie to be nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. The other two are Up and Toy Story Three. Eh, I mean, deserving, I'd say. I don't too. know about Up. Well, I guess both of those are in the post two thousand eight ten things get nominated era, right? Yes, yes. That yeah. that's the only reason why they're there. And of course, we have the kind of bad best animated feature category now. But yeah, this snuck in. It lost to The Silence of the Lambs, and the other nominees were JFK, Boys in the Hood, Bugsy, and Thelma and Louise. All good and memorable, except yeah. for Bugsy. Yeah, actually, who's, who's uh, talking about Bugsy? Man, Bugsy. Yeah, well, I completely forget the the, the film Bugsy. But uh, yeah, I'm, unlike all of those other classic mafia movies, nobody talks about that. I I could have seen Beauty and the Beast winning it, and of course, as a little kid, I was watching that Oscars very closely because. I had finally seen a Best Picture nominee I never had before that because usually they were darker R-rated movies. You could have, uh, I guess you couldn't have seen Sounds of the Lambs. No, no, no. Although it's, I did see that on VHS when it came out and not Beauty and the Beast. Wow, man. I, I don't think, I don't think I saw Sounds of the Lambs until like 96, 97 mm. after, after again, enough references on The Simpsons made me go like, I should just watch this or 
I guess really the critic had the most like yeah, I need to, fava beans references. I need to know what Honey, I Ate the Kids uh, is about. <laughs> so uh, it did win two Oscars. So Best Original Score by Alan Menken mm-hmm. and Best Original Song, uh, Beauty and the Beast. I, I don't know if it's still true, but I believe Alan Menken is the man with, mo- at least living man with the most Oscars, thanks to all of his score wins uh, on films like I would this. say probably living mm-hmm. I'm guessing mm-hmm. but yeah very talented of course and so uh, we just covered The Little Mermaid last month hopefully that's fresh in your mind because the history of this movie transitions nicely from the history of that movie because they are like this is the next feature I mean yes uh, there's rescuers down under but that's a different story yes yeah which we'll get into next month but definitely from the limited research I've already done on rescuers down under that felt like more of the B project to this one. Like it was yeah. when it released, uh, the story in Waking Sleeping Beauty is when it released and didn't do that great. Katzenberg just said, "Well, you know, guys, hey, move on. We'll have another shot next year." And they just they just let it go. They they weren't staking too much on it is, compared to this. Not to not to spoil things for next month. Is that considered <clears throat> an official Disney feature, or is it not like a Goofy movie isn't? It is counted on on the wiki pages for Disney Renaissance, okay. and I think for the numbers, it does count as. I believe it is the 28th, uh, and this is the 29th. It is not a Disney Tunes uh, mm, right. one. It actually counts. It yeah. looks really good. It looks yeah. much better than uh, DuckTales. Well, uh, and, a lot, and a lot of the best animators who worked on, like James Baxter, for instance, he worked on Rescuers and then moved right over to Beauty and the Beast. So, yeah, it had it had the A-team on it. It wasn't just a bunch of French people or people in Orlando. <laughs> this was the real team. What do French people know? <laughs> hey, they're pretty good. So, yes, uh, this is just the continuation of that narrative. So before we begin, one thing should be noted that when this film was released, Beauty and the Beast was very fresh in our cultural memory because there was a three-season <sighs> CBS right. show literally called Beauty and the Beast, Mm -hmm. starring Linda Hamilton and Ron Perlman. That was not like a massive mega hit, but it was like a a Twin Peaks-style phenomenon that was like, what is this weird show doing on TV? I've never seen anything like this. And it went away uh, pretty quickly. Uh, Twin Peaks went away faster, but this one went away in three seasons. And also, George R.R. Martin wrote for it. Oh, I didn't know that. He wrote wow. like 20% of its 50-ish episodes. Huh. Wow, man. I, so there you have it. I, I only watched a couple episodes here and there, like on Sci-Fi Channel or whatever, because people would always talk it up as, like, you know, this cult classic. But it never really clicked with me, even though I can totally see, you know, it's the two great actors. I love both of the Ron Perlman and Linda Hamilton. And to see them fall in love and Ron Perlman... Uh, as he often has to do, like act under a shitload of ugly man makeup. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and I think he just he lived in the sewers or something. I think so. My, my yeah. mom was into this show. Yeah. Hey, well, look. Every generation does love a beautiful woman with a large beastly man. Mm-hmm. Like we we all love that kind of story. Yes. <laughs> and one other thing, one of my favorite movies uh, from just a year before this movie is uh, Edward Scissorhands. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's another Beauty and the Beast, except the Beast comes home and stays in your house. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's very similar, except it's the Beast moves in, and it's yeah. got its own Gaston and everything. So, oh wow, yeah. yeah and he yeah. dies kind of in the same way, although yeah, Edward does stab him in the heart. But yeah. Oh, and uh, I guess uh, you know. Kyle Cogsworth and Vincent Price in it, they're kind of similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, that's funny, man. And well, did you also see the, I only watched it because it was on the Criterion uh, thing, but the but the Beauty and the Beast uh, Jean Cocteau version? No, I'm going to get to that, though. Oh, okay, all right. Yes. Cool, cool. And yes, the story is still popular today. Uh, the last adaptation was 2021's Belle, 
by uh, Mamaru Hosoda. And yes, oh, right. yeah, yeah. in the comments, someone said, make sure you mention this. And there, I just mentioned it. You did. You did. You now, got zinged, pal. I haven't seen that Hosoda film yet, but he also did that The Boy and His Beast movie, too. Like, the, guy, right. the guy's into beast stuff, yeah. for sure. He's kind of a furry, that guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, he got his big start on Digimon, which right. is furry adjacent as well. Yeah. So, yeah, that, I mean, they're still doing this now. Uh, and in the history, as, as far as Disney is concerned, they tried to get Beauty and the Beast off the ground in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, even while Walt was still alive. So attempts were made to figure it out like in the 30s and the 50s, but they couldn't really crack the story. And of course, you know, the war happened. It kind of derailed all of their feature efforts. They had to make, you know, the mm. uh, the package movies and everything like that. And then they just never could figure it out. And then in 1946, the John Cocteau movie comes out and it's sort of the definitive Beauty and the Beast. So Disney's like, ah, they did it. And if we do it, it just will be compared to that. Yeah, I, I didn't uh, see it until the aughts uh, when I was becoming a real snooty person who's like, well, if it's on Criterion Collection, I must watch it. That means it's good. And I, I say this having just bought several Criterion Blu-rays on the recent sale, but uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch right at the top. Going to watch that soon. But I watched it, and yeah, it rules. It's great. Like it is gorgeous cinematography, amazing, like realistic special effects, like uh, magical realism. There's there's this bit of uh, probably the most magical shot in the movie is Belle or the Beauty going through a hallway full of like the wind blowing and it looks like she's walking but actually if you look closely she's like on a cart being pulled so she's supposed to look like she's walking but she's not actually moving her legs and uh like candelabras or arms and stuff and it's there's there's so many like magical effects in it It, yeah it's it's really it's a real like uh special effects tour de force for the 1940s Mm -hmm. i really wanted to see i didn't get around to it for this but it's on my list for sure oh yeah but yeah i don't think i've uh i have not seen any other jean cocteau films so same here judge me for that but uh, i did I did like the one he made for children. <laughs> but until until uh, 1991, that was the definitive version of the movie. Mm-hmm. Sort of like with Hunchback, there were definitive Hollywood versions of that story until Disney made theirs. Mm-hmm. And who knows, maybe those black and white versions are more definitive still. And in the movie, they are drawing a lot from the Cocteau version, obviously. It's funny with this and The Little Mermaid and, and a lot of others, it's like, oh, uh, this ancient storybook Walt Disney tried to make it and he just couldn't figure it out like he never he never could get it working and it took 30 40 years for somebody else to finally put it all together I say too much canned chili <laughs> you know with that, all that canned chili he's uh, that probably put him in a beastly mood spending all the time that. on the toilets <laughs> so uh, let's fast forward to 1987 and this goes back to another one of our subjects Who Framed Roger Rabbit so mm. during the production of Who Framed Roger Rabbit the Disney company decides to resurrect this Beauty and the Beast idea and who better to direct it than the legendary richard williams son of a bitch really wow yes and guess what you can guess this henry he turns it down because he's like guys fuck (laughs) the beauty and the beast thief and the cobbler yeah thief and the cobbler that's the next bit mega hit i'm gonna make it so good guys it's it's a movie about a thing and another thing and it's gonna (laughs) knock your socks off but he's like yeah i'm not gonna do that for you guys but he does recommend a colleague uh richard purdom so I want to say that Richard Purdom worked on mostly commercials because his IMDb credits are extremely limited. Mm-hmm. So I have to assume he was doing a ton of commercials with Richard Williams at his studio. But uh, his studio, the Richard Purdom studio, did work on things like Hercules and Fantasia 2000. So they okay. outsourced things to him. So originally this was going to be a, uh, a UK production, this movie. Yeah, you know, from your uh, Purdom, I don't recall him from my Roger Rabbit research, but definitely his 
resume sounds like the type of guy who worked with Richard Williams a lot, meaning a co-worker who finished projects for Richard Williams yes. and eventually quit <laughs> working with Richard Williams. Yeah, he made his own studio. Mm -hmm. So uh, Purdom, uh, I believe at this point it is still a UK production. He starts working under producer Don Hahn. Yeah, Don Hahn, he must have, I believe it was from doing the Roger Rabbit research that after they shipped out Roger Rabbit, Don Hahn just stuck around England working on this. Yeah. And this is uh, this is going to be a non-musical version of the Beauty and the Beast story. Mm. And due to Michael Eisner's insistence, this is the first uh, Disney animated feature to start with a screenplay. Oh. Uh, with Aladdin and, and uh, other movies, they would sometimes come in after the fact, especially mm. when Aladdin was like rescued, right, by two screenwriters. Right, but right. But this is the first time they started with a screenplay. Wow, yeah, because uh, Little Mermaid, I recall that uh, Katzenberg wanted to hire screenwriters Musker and Clements were able to convince him to let them write the script and he just accepted the script as as worthy but yeah this sounds like a very Hollywood thing of like now this is like the fifth animated feature Eisner's been in charge of I can see at this point he's like no has, let's start with the screenplay we're going to do this I don't care how you cartoon boys do with your story pitch meetings and everything. I want a script first. We're doing this the Hollywood way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw that Oliver and company had uh, screenwriters attached. I have to assume they came in after the fact as well. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, that also, I'm sure I'll, we'll learn more about it when we finally do it as a podcast. But that one also had a major reset because mm. I know that multiple people, including Andreas Deha, quit that film to move over to Roger Rabbit because they were pissed off that it had like a big reset that threw out a lot of their work. I'm so. curious. That one is very, very Katzenberg-y. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, yes. I mean, it's Shrek before Shrek. Like the star-studdedness of it, it's so it's so Shrek-y. But just replace... Uh, <laughs> Bette Midler? Just, no, wait. Uh, is Bette Midler in that movie? Bette Midler is, but I was oh, thinking okay. Bill, it's Billy Joel right. instead of uh, the... Smash Mouth. That's, okay, there that's you the go. Difference. Hey, yeah. the better, better yeah, movie. I think so. <laughs> uh, so they hire Linda Wolverton to write the screenplay, and it's weird they hired her because, uh, or maybe it makes sense, but she was mostly associated with typically bad Saturday morning cartoons. Mm. Uh, maybe a few good ones in there too. So she she wrote for things like The Popples, Ewoks, uh, the unaired Garbage Pail Kids cartoon. Oh, she wrote a real Ghostbusters episode, and also uh, Dennis the Menace. So. Oh. Those were the things she worked on before uh, working for Beauty and the Beast. And that wow. was really where her career went in a more like prestige direction, let's say. That's interesting that that transitioned into prestige because, yeah, I know like with all that Roger Rabbit 2 research I did, that <laughs> Katzenberg was really into getting people who had already done like real adult work is in not working on stuff for kids and then bringing them on to this kid's production like the main writer of Roger Rabbit 2 that I talked about he he had worked on Barney Miller and oh, other right. uh, of nighttime sitcoms and was getting into animation instead uh it it almost seems completely the opposite of how Disney usually goes of, of uplifting a Saturday morning writer with such a big uh, offer as this one. Yeah, I don't know the circumstances behind her hiring, but uh, it, it is surprising. But you know what? She continued her relationship with Disney. She did story development on Aladdin and Mulan. She co-wrote The Lion King. She wrote Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Yeah. And she is also the writer of one of the most garbage but profitable movies of all time, 2010's Alice in Wonderland. Holy shit. That was wow. her pitch and her screenplay. Holy cow, man. Yeah. She's got to be so rich from that one. And wow. she's also behind the Maleficent movies, and she's uh, attached to the third film that's upcoming as God of this recording. damn it. Yeah, that's been the fucking, you know, Alice in Wonderland might be one of the most destructive films ever in, in film history of, like, all of the shit that followed it. 
it, man. It, it made uh, Sam Raimi do a bad movie, too. It, yeah, it made him do a terrible Oz movie. It made all of the incredibly popular and empty live-action remakes uh, that we've seen. Yeah, it's Ugh. sad. So she also adapted this movie into a Broadway version uh, and won her a Tony. So, oh, yeah. wow, man, she's close to an EGOT then, I'd say. Yeah, getting there. Uh, if, well, let's see. Uh, like uh, maybe one of her garbage pill kids could win a, uh, a, <laughs> yeah, a posthumous Emmy. Not 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 past her death, but past the death of the show. Uh, I I gotta see what that cartoon is. <laughs> I don't think we'll ever sink that low. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. We did Laverne and Shirley in the Army. Yeah, I'd say Garbage Pail Kids is more popular than Laverne yeah. and Shirley in the Army. It's yeah. gotta be more quality. <laughs> uh, let's talk about a Garbage Pail adult, Jeffrey Katzenberg. Yeah. Uh, so this version <laughs> is coming into being uh, the Purdom and Wolverton version. And uh, he sees the initial story reels for it in 1989, and he scraps everything. He's like, this sucks. Uh, do <laughs> it again. Start from scratch. I want a better idea. So this causes Perdum to uh, resign. He's Dang, out. Dang, man. I, I mean, I remember seeing some of those story reels in Waking Sleeping Beauty, and it could just be what they chose to show, but it did look kind of boring and a little flat. Yeah. You know? Which I guess, too, if you're going to insist on no musicals then you're already inviting a lifelessness to your kids film you know yeah i i don't know how it would have turned out but i don't think it would have turned out better than this no no so who does katzenberg turn to but musker and clements oh uh this is 1989 so either little mermaid was about to rap or it just wrapped and and you know rightfully so they were like we're, we're very tired <laughs> uh we don't want to direct another movie right now and yes they don't until aladdin yeah so yeah, yeah. uh yeah they're taking a little bit of time to you know re regroup and you know get their stamina back Back. And this is where uh, Kirk Wise and Gary Trousdale come in. I didn't do a, a bio on them for Hunchback because I was saving it for this. Oh boy! All uh, right. So we don't we don't know at this point where they came from until now, unless you already looked it up yourself. So uh, <laughs> I, like I said, I think they're the secret MVPs of the Disney Renaissance because they direct uh, this movie, which is like the Best Picture nom, and also Hunchback, which should have been a Best Picture nom, mm -hmm. and is my favorite movie of the Disney Renaissance that pushed things so far, and I'm so sad they pulled it back. Go back to our podcast from last year. Uh, I love that movie so much. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this is where they enter the picture. Definitely of those two films, like they have the most mature sensibility of them. Not that their movies don't also have stuff for the kids of silly action and all that, but uh, they, I think they deal in more, in both Beauty and the Beast and Hunchback, they deal with more French and uh, Very French. mature uh, settings. Yeah. yeah, and it's like they have a similar trajectory to uh, to Musker and Clements because they make these big hits. Uh, Musker and Clements make Treasure Planet. They make Atlantis. Oh, man. They were... like they each have their own early aughts uh, megabomb. Uh, they were both cursed with the early aughts megabomb. Just yeah. as, uh, you know, you blame Shrek and, and Toy Story for making uh, 2D die you know that's the sad bit that's the sad news of it and I really want to revisit those like uh, Treasure Planet uh, Home on the Range Atlantis I want to <laughs> see what's going on there mm -hmm. yeah I'd, uh, you know I bet what we find is some very great character animation even if it's like kind of disappointing as far as a full story goes so astoundingly this is their very first feature and apparently Katzenberg was very impressed by their animation work on an Epcot ride called Cranium Command. What? Have I'm... you ever been on Cranium Command? It no. Closed... Okay. I don't think so. It's an 89 attraction. It closed in 2007. This basically is a uh, a ride that teaches you about the brain. Hmm. No, I don't think I wrote that. I Definitely, I, I went to Epcot during that era of it, and I feel like I would have ridden it if I could. I went on a class field trip to Epcot, uh in uh, 96 i think it was and at that time i was most excited by that they had uh, the sega 
area where you can oh, play yeah. like unreleased games or soon to release games. That's educational. <laughs> and and Body Wars is freaking closed, so I couldn't uh, even ride that. This is a lesser Body Wars, but yeah. you can go online and watch a ride through. What they did was the pre-ride movie in which this drill sergeant is yelling facts about the brain at you, <laughs> and that is their work. Wow. So a uh, funny story behind this, uh, Rob Minkoff was supposed to direct that segment, but he had to drop out to direct Roller Coaster Rabbit. It's all connected! Wow! It's wow, all connected! Wow, wow. <laughs> and apparently this pre-show thing was the final animation to be produced on Cells by Walt Disney Feature Animation. The final thing they ever did on Cells before wow, Caps. Yeah. That's so cool. After man. Little Mermaid, huh. apparently. <laughs> apparently at this time, Trousdale and Wise were developing a project known as Goofy of the Apes which I assume was one of many attempts to give Goofy a TV show that eventually led to Goof Troop. Go back to our Goof Troop project. You can see that Goof Troop is like the end result of like eight different pitches for Goofy. Wow, I didn't, I, <laughs> I had never heard of Goofy of the Apes. That's crazy. It sound, I don't know if it would have been good, but that's what they were developing. And they're like, get off the Apes Project. Uh, you're on Cranium Command. And then they, apparently that impressed Iser so much that it's like, you guys can direct Beauty and the Beast. Wow. Uh, so they were fairly young when starting this project. Trousdale was in his late 20s and Wise was in his mid 20s. And it seems like they both entered Walt Disney Feature Animation around the same time. Trousdale started with The Black Cauldron and Wise started with The Great Mouse Detective. And it seems like Katzenberg was willing to give these guys a chance because there was a screenwriter laying out the groundwork for them. So it's Man. like, you guys know how to animate. There's already going to be a story laid out for you. This is going to be fine. Guys in their mid 20s, like one, one in their mid 20s, the other in their late 20s, getting that kind of opportunity now <laughs> from Disney on their biggest projects like that. That does not sound like something they would do these no. days. I feel no. like you don't even get a TV show until you're in your 30s at Yeah, Disney. yeah, pretty much. Or maybe maybe late 20s, but yeah. Uh, unless you're a guy who worked on Saturday Night Live, then they do give you your own movie. That, that is point. true. Yeah. But yeah, this might not surprise you. Trousdale and Wise went to CalArts. Of course. Uh, they yeah. met in 81. Uh, <laughs> they started working together in the story department of Oliver and Company, mm. and then were assigned to work on the story department of uh, The Rescuers Down Under. Man, if you were in CalArts a little before we were born, you probably probably directed most thing or you worked on at least one major disney project. yeah i wonder if the calarts guys have like the disney pipeline still mm. is it still going on like that yeah i don't know you know the last time we hear about calarts was like six years ago complaining about how all the nickelodeon and disney shows look like a certain cal art style oh, right but, right but yeah i don't know if uh that the top dudes and, and gals creating animation now i don't know if it's uh as much of the cal arts thing especially because that cal arts thing also the negative uh, assumptions about it, too, is thrown at people who, like, Adventure Time was created by Pendleton Ward, not a CalArts graduate. Right, right. You've got uh, Rebecca Sugar, Annie, and Joe's Cordy, our pals, both of whom learned uh, and, and graduated from uh, art schools on the East Coast. They were not CalArts people. CalArts is just used as, uh, you know, a, an overall term of a ne to mean a negative those, towards a specific Those style. rotten bean mouths. Yes, yeah. Oh, I hate them. I'm just kidding. But yeah, but the old CalArts thing just meant uh, you were pretty much already going to be interning at Disney once yeah, it was over. Yeah. yeah, there was a real pipeline. So yeah, mm -hmm. they meet in 81. They first start working together on Oliver and Company, and they were... Um, pulled off the rescuers down under to work on again roger rabbit stuff wow so yes uh trousdale and wise working on rescuers down under they're like we need roger rabbit shorts ideas 
and these two guys fully storyboarded an unmade short called Rubber. Sorry, it was just called Baby Buggy Blunder. Whoa. And in this short, Roger loses control of Baby Herman's carriage in a busy city. Oh, man. This short was fully storyboarded by them. Holy cow. Yeah. I never, I'm, I'm embarrassed that didn't come up in all my Roger short search material. This wow. just came out of like a random interview with them. Wow. Uh, just like, there is, so, like, so much Roger Rap material has been lost. Man. You know, it definitely sounded like um, that you would finish your entire storyboard and then it would either be approved or not approved by Spielberg. So maybe it didn't get final approval from Spielberg. Uh, but there was also that, you know, the thinking was maybe Spielberg got so mad about the arachnophobia Dick Tracy thing that he might have just withheld approval on any new shorts out of like punishment yeah. to Jeffrey Katzenberg. That's what it sounds like. But yeah, yeah. they they wasted time on that. So yeah, <laughs> Roger Rabbit's all over this 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 history here. Yeah. So yeah, back to the production of the movie. We did our, our, our Trousdale and Wise history. Let's talk about the production of the movie. So things get very sad here, uh, unfortunately, because Howard Ashman was at the end of his oh. battle with the AIDS virus. Yes. And he is pulled off of his pet project Aladdin mm. to work on this uh, ailing film. Because uh, go back to our Aladdin podcast, I'm sure we talked about it. That was his baby. Mm-hmm. He was obsessed with Aladdin. He is removed from that project because Beauty and the Beast needs help, and only he can save it. Right. It's, and they're going to take something that was not a musical and turn it into a musical. So this is a huge ask on his part. And yes, the the Howard Doc on uh, the Disney Plus documentary shows, like he's dying. Like he's not doing mm-hmm. good. He's he's uh, he's sick and getting sicker. And it's, uh, you know, I feel looking back on it to, you know, what seems like a small ask or not too small, but like, hey, come on, just work on Beauty and the Beast as well. You're asking someone to give up the last year of their life, but it turns out to be, I'm sure they weren't thinking that when they did it, but you're asking him to give up the last year of his entire life on this thing. And he would eventually die on March uh, 14th, 91. Mm -hmm. Uh, So well before the movie came out, he was able to see an unfinished version of it, thankfully, before he passed. But yeah, he did not live to see the release of the movie and it's it's interesting that uh i mean i'm glad that they have a dedication to him at the end of this movie i'm not sure if it was made public that's what happened to him but in november of 91 this releases and also we get the magic johnson uh, hiv announcement so aids is very in the news in the mainstream not just uh not just something that happens to gay people. Right. It's like, quote unquote, normal people can get it. So that's Man. what the Magic Johnson thing taught a lot of uh, ignorant people. Boy, you know, yeah, the timing of that, you know, Ashman dying in March, certainly it was, uh, and, and also the the film Philadelphia is coming soon yeah, as well. Yeah. And, but in all those cases, like, it is that AIDS finally found good victims or one, yeah. like, honestly, to market it to, people should have cared about AIDS for a long time uh, since it began, but obviously through the 80s they did not because it didn't it seemed to only be affecting gay men and who deserved it for the wages of their sin uh but yes yeah. uh, but by 1991 it was starting to get more mainstream and it's interesting to see you know the crossroads that disney was at because when ashman dies you know they let people know it was public knowledge that he okay. died of aids but they didn't advertise it but if you watch uh, uh it, it's featured in the doc so th- that's why it's at the front of my mind when ashman wins the posthumous oscar for beauty and the beast it is his partner like basically husband but legally wasn't right. his husband his husband accepts the award and 
everybody at that show has on their AIDS ribbon. And he's like, mm. I was, I was Howard's partner for X amount of years and I'm so happy, but this is also, you know, sad. He's the first person ever to win an Oscar who died of AIDS. Like yeah. I, I did not watch the Howard doc because uh, I didn't want to be sad. It'll make you too sad. I, I eventually want to watch it because you and I just recently saw little shop of horrors in, in a, uh, in a theater, yeah. not the movie, but a performance of it. I saw it twice. And, and I'm just thinking constantly about that musical when I'm uh, watching beauty and the beast, because I see a lot of things in common that aren't mm-hmm. in the little mermaid because Howard Ashman has given a lot of control over this movie because he's dying yes they yeah. they let him basically do whatever he wants and that includes moving the production uh pre-production to i believe uh this the city is called Fishkill, new york yes yeah uh, so <laughs> at a certain point uh, he's able to work uh, out of like a residence in there but eventually he has to work out of his bedroom because he can't leave his bed so yeah they're being extremely accommodating like Mencken is there, uh, Trousdale Wise and Wolverton are all there, and they're all reworking the story into the one we know today. So that's all done there. The reason why this movie is full of uh, Broadway uh, stars is because they're casting in New York. Ah, okay. That's why there are no real celebrities in this movie. Like that's the reason, for the better, I think. Uh, yeah, like <laughs> the reason that... Um, Jerry Orbach is in the movies because he was a New York actor. Uh, That's why he's in Law and Order. He's the greatest. Yeah, I, I love him in this. Yeah, the no, and the Howard Doc. Uh, first off, that that home they were working on. This is another of the tragic things from it that like his partner was an architect, so he was like, "I'm going to build us our dream home. This is where we're going to live together." And he, like he finishes the home right as Howard's dying. It's, uh, I don't believe his partner uh, is HIV positive, or at yeah, the least he seems fine. I, I heard that that yeah, he is not. Yeah, yeah. but uh, but on top of that, yeah, in the, in the doc as well, they mentioned that uh, a lot of the cartoon boys uh, in Burbank or Glendale weren't aware of his. They were, you know, obviously they're not going to out him as as HIV positive to everybody. Uh, but as far as the animators thought at first, they're like, oh, the Mr. Fancy Pants after he wins his Oscar. Now he <laughs> wants us all to fly to New York and and make the movie at his place. He can't come to us. Whoop de doo. And he's not just, you know, helping them craft the story. He's also mentoring uh, Trousdale and Wise. This is all new to them. He's teaching them. Here's how you direct people <laughs> like they didn't know how to do this. They're they're busy working on Cranium Command. Oh, uh, yeah. I guess you're not really directing actors that much in that yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> so like he had to teach them how to do that. And apparently uh, Wolverton's first version of the story uh, only focused on the two titular characters because if you read the original story there's really not many like much more outside of the two so uh, Ashman adds things like the Enchanted Castle friends they draw upon the Cocteau version by adding the villain with Gaston and uh, yeah they just really figure things out uh, in this pre-production stuff and like I said before Ashman was too sick to leave his bed so they basically set up a way for him like pre-Skype to direct uh, actors from his home that's amazing yeah. that he could I guess, you know, Disney's got all that money they could figure it out. But in the pre, like, you have to actually set up satellites for that kind of thing. Yeah, it was complicated in, like, 1990 or whenever they were doing this. But, yeah, like Mencken points out on the commentary, the commentary for this film is great. It's Mencken, it's Trousdale, it's Wise, and it's Don Hahn, and they're telling all kinds of really funny stories. And um, it's on the DVD, so check that out. I used that for a lot of my research. But That's awesome. On the commentary, Mencken's like, yeah, this was uh, a line reading that Howard changed from his bed, like whispering into a microphone. <laughs> Holy cow, yeah. man. Yeah, you you can hear him uh, a late, late recording in his life just to see how sickly he was at the time. I, I This was something, too, in the book, uh, in the movie, the Howard doc, that some of his co-workers on the film read into it, but his sister actually said, like, nah, I don't think so, which is 
that the ticking clock on the beast and the fact that he's locked in a castle like mm. people who worked with him are like oh that sounds kind of like his situation while making the film but the beast's countdown to die and his affliction uh his sister didn't seem to think that that was it's, pulled from his his hiv positive it's status. a pretty broad idea but i could see even like uh subconsciously working that in you know mm. if you're living through that and uh you know his sickness might have influenced the writing of certain songs or at least the performance because when angela lansbury was brought in to sing beauty and the beast she had received alan menken's demo and he was singing like this very powerful ballad style version and she's like i can't do this this is not how i sing and, and uh, menken was like oh shit she got the wrong demo so they gave her howard's demo and howard recording his demo very sick is doing the kind of talk singing of oh, beauty and the beast wow. so i think just being sick and having to record the song that is why beauty and the beast sounds the way it does oh that's amazing yeah man. i i love love her rendition of beauty and the beast it, again the original song uh oscars that year three of the five nominees were from beauty yeah. and the beast yeah and she did that in one take in one wow yeah. she's wow. a pro everybody i mean yeah she's uh knock on wood living legend yeah. angela lance broadway tv mm-hmm. she's all over the place she's movies done it all so uh yeah because of all this pre-production nonsense uh, in terms of like initially getting the movie off the ground and then having to scrap it this movie had a very rushed schedule. So normally uh, at this time they were given a three or four year production cycle to make the movie. This time they had two. Wow. And from first time feature directors like yes. that's That's incredible that this ended up any good at all, let alone as good as it is. They were really struggling against adversity and on the commentary, they're very jokey. Like, yes, this shot doesn't make sense. This story doesn't make sense here. <laughs> we real we realized we made mistakes. We had no time to look back at our own work. We were just oh, wow. trying to get as much footage as we can out and make it look good. So <laughs> that's why the 2017 version, which I guess we could talk about briefly, it stinks because it's like, well, the movie has all these errors we need to fix and address. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I mean, you don't need me to tell you this. Watch Lindsay Ellis's video on the movie. It's perfect. Thanks. Um, I hate it. I believe yes, it's called. Yeah. It, it is perfect. And I watched like half an hour and I couldn't stand anymore. But there are so many things that are added to the movie that are unnecessary mm-hmm. and like trying to be progressive but feel just very forced and, you know, insincere. Like in the movie, uh, it's a big deal. Like, Bella's teaching children how to read? That's illegal. When <laughs> yes. Beauty and the Beast is a story written by a woman for little girls yes, of yeah. that time period. For little girls to read. Yeah. It, yeah that's... Women were literate. Women were writing. <laughs> yeah, it sounded like in the they they took the little bit in here of Gaston being old-fashioned. Gaston LeFou, I guess, being old-fashioned. But like, a girl reading? What? That's dumb. Yeah. And, and just had it be, oh, most people agree with Gaston and thinks it's dumb for a girl to read. Well, and also, I, I base this also just on that Lindsay Ellis video because I didn't watch uh, I didn't watch the full live action film but it also sounded like they wanted to answer questions like is every uh, disembodied uh, yeah. thing in there is every plate a person is every fork a person like it, it, relax yeah That's let's call that everybody answer. it's yeah. uh it, it's ugly mm-hmm. uh emma watson a beautiful woman very miscast in that role no i uh, yeah i don't want to be mean to i think emma watson is a lovely young woman who's also i've seen her in stuff i think she does a very good job acting like she's in i just saw that uh not just uh, three years ago the little woman little women movie she she's very good in that but I don't think she 
she's a great singer for the clips of her yeah. songs. I'm like, she she looks uncomfortable. Yeah, too. yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's too it's too bad. I I guess I don't know who else you'd cast in that to be a a mousy young uh, would be princess. Like, and also the bookishness, I suppose, fits with the character she's most famous for playing, Hermione Granger. Right, right. But they they, <laughs> they also just announced a new another uh, adaptation, but it's going to be like the Little Mermaid thing where it's like you watch oh, yes. the movie, but when there's a song, there's like a concert version of it. Yeah, yeah, boy. I watched that little I hope it's better than the Little Mermaid one. The little the Little Mermaid one is kind of fun, but it also is just like, boy, some people are trying harder than others. Yeah. And it just feels kind of flat. I don't know. John Stamos is having a good time. Yeah. And I think Queen Latifah was too, but she actually like she flubs a couple lines, which honestly makes me like it more because I like, oh, they actually didn't retake this line. They yeah. just kept her having the flub. It yet. was all one take. Yeah. So uh, there's a really rushed production cycle for this movie. Because of that, uh, 10 minutes are outsourced to their newer Florida division. Uh, yes. And that includes the Be Our Guest segment that's animated oh. in Florida. Man, that, you know, that has the Florida feel to it. Just like uh, I Can't Wait to Be King yeah, in, yeah. in uh, 94 is the lion king it's yeah. like the the fun party song with lots of colors yeah. is animated in florida oh man i guess uh was chris uh chris sanders brought all the colors to that in the or was a big part of that in lion king i wonder oh. if he was involved in he's BRS. a he's a big part of this movie we'll okay. talk more about that soon Got so it. uh the less notable rescuers down under is actually the first all digital disney feature film and this one takes advantage of that with a few shots that were astounding at the time mm -hmm. and hold up incredibly well today so they knew they had the power of computers and disney of course had been using computers to figure out certain things before this we talked about it with previous movies but you know technology was advancing and trousdale and wise were like what can we do with this technology so they at first thought like let's make the whole forest around the beast castle cgi like a cgi backdrop mm -hmm. how can we do that and they explain on the commentary that after uh, three months, the team had rendered basically one tree that looked like a chicken foot. <laughs> and they were like, we can't do anything organic with this technology yet because it was like uh, the, the late 80s, very early 90s. Wow. But, well, I guess they... They did discover like a plate or a glass can look pretty good in, in 3D and just bounce around. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Like the simpler, the better. And what can also look good in 3D is a is a room, mm. which is oh, like yeah. the infamous uh, shot, which so Roger Allers, Brenda Chapman, Brenda Chapman, a genius. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I, her name is, is like associated with everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. And she was taken off a of brave. Not not fair. No. But, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like, uh, man, that's another one we're going to have to do someday. But poor. Poor Brenda Chapman. She's yeah, she's like a key story, a high level story person at the very least on most of the Disney yeah. stuff we talk about. She she's a genius and she deserved better. But yeah, Roger Allers and Brenda Chapman were like they pitched this idea to the directors. Like, what if we just do like one shot and here's how we can figure it out? And Trousdale and Wise were very receptive, like, hey, yeah, let's let's figure this out. And yes, that is uh even though James Baxter was just assigned to Bell. He is doing both of those characters dancing mm. because they they say on the commentary he was born with like an extra part of his brain that lets him like figure out how to rotate characters perfectly. It's insane. Yeah, he's like got like a perspective camera in his brain or something that figures all this out. But that just him doing all of that footage. That's I mean, yeah, it is amazing. It's uh, incredible that shot. Like that was the shot that it gives me goosebumps every time I see it. Like see, that's probably why I wanted to see Newsies again in the theater just to see that dance sequence like there's just something so beautiful and magical about it like that we've uh and we'll talk about it in depth when we get to it in the movie but yeah it's like so good it's that again uh, I'll, I'll bring them up again rebecca sugar our, our pal you know she grew up loving these films too and especially 
the James Baxter dance sequence and James Baxter, as she became a professional self herself, she became a colleague of his and, mm. and worked with him on stuff. And she did a favor for him uh, because I believe it was his one of his kids was a big Steven Universe fan. And he says, hey, I owe you a favor. And she called in that favor for the finale episode of regular Steven Universe. Right, right. Where there is a... Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, I won't spoil it, but there is a dance sequence staged somewhat similar to this, but it's meant to be like, this is our James Baxter mm -hmm. dance sequence. And it's just as important as it was in beauty. I have seen it and it's totally James Baxter. And yep. he was chosen for this because they were like, you worked on Roger Rabbit. Mm -hmm. You were moving these characters as, as if a camera was moving around them. <laughs> like, you know, perspective, you know how this works, but they weren't sure if they could render the shot in time it was still very early and they weren't sure how well the cgi would look so they had a plan for this their plan was if the computer stuff is not finished or doesn't work we will turn off that layer and have beauty and the beast dancing in a void with a spotlight on them oh. so it would be just like they call it an ice capades shot oh, so that's you know that would have worked yeah that would have worked it wouldn't be half as memorable uh but it would have worked for sure definitely yeah. yeah but that yeah it's interesting to see like as the the power of cgi grew disney was very careful how to use it it's like one little shot here mm -hmm. one little touch there until they're actually making you know cg movies yeah yeah i mean uh, you know that they could tell how lifeless some things <laughs> looked and how haunted they were it was smart of disney and other people like that to recognize the limitations of cgi because once it got more sprawled out and everybody could do it people were just doing such lifeless crappy cgi yeah because like just because you can do something doesn't mean you should they recognize the uh, the power of character animation and until uh, the computers got advanced enough they couldn't replace 2d with that mm. animation and until the best animators actually learned how to move characters in cgi also i have not seen chicken little uh mm. that's the first one uh <laughs> i did see meet the robinsons didn't like it at all mm. people have a soft spot for that one but i mean we'll cover the early era of disney cgi it's a bit weird it's a bit it's a bit up and down i think by wreck it ralph they definitely figured it out yeah. and, and frozen has good anime character animation in it too. yeah it took about like four or five years uh haven't <laughs> seen haven't seen bolt either oh yes right yeah yeah it's too depressing to yeah. know that like the well, Hollywood dog turned into that, right? Uh. That's true. So, uh, yeah, there's lots of stuff to talk about in regards to the animation, but we can talk about that more as we, you know, highlight those scenes in our movie discussion. But I learned a ton from the commentary and my research, but I just wanted to highlight the CGI uh, scene there. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I love that we talked about it on Talking Critic. That like uh, two years later, Rough Draft had to do that on a TV budget. Yes, with insane. with Beauty and King Dork, uh, which is one of my favorite yeah. songs too. But yeah, the yeah the, they even uh, you know fifteen years later on Harvey Birdman they did a parody of it too. But even with CGI, you know, being more available, they still couldn't really <laughs> equal it in in the parody. But yeah, it's it is one of the most iconic shots in in disney film history i'd say just the dance between the beauty and the absolutely beast. Yeah. yeah like uh i can't think of a more iconic shots yeah i mean we even did a whole uh gargoyles about that too where oh, uh, yeah, they, yeah. they dressed as beauty and the beast as well that yeah. is true uh and i shared with you a cell from an episode of aladdin where <laughs> yes the genie turns into the beast and he changes iago into beauty in the same uh, dress and outfit an affordable cell actually yeah. Let's talk about uh, content that was added or changed to this movie. So 
It's funny because uh, I just covered E.T. with you in Diamond Fight on Retronauts, Henry. Mm -hmm. And there's a similar phenomenon going on. It's also happening in 2002 where these guys, like Spielberg, are like thinking, oh, yeah, Star Wars, special editions. We can just go back and mess with our old movie as much as we want to. Right. And in this case, I feel like it's the most successful version of it, although this is not the version on Disney+. Plus. Mm. The version on Disney+, Plus, the version most of you out there are watching, is the 1991 release. That's the version we'll be covering for this podcast. But in 2002, five new minutes were added to the movie, for an IMAX release that would later be included in uh, physical releases. So this is basically like Beauty and the Beast DLC. Right, right. Yeah, the, these extended versions, I mean, yeah, I guess we just have to blame the 1997 uh, huge, huge hit that was the Star Wars Special Edition. Like, after that came out, for a time, movie theaters or movie makers realized, like, if we just re-release, like, a shinier version of this, people will go see the same movie for uh, uh, just the small investment of updating it. And then later they would just turn them into 3D movies. Yes. They didn't yeah. add anything. And then after that, and then not enough people watched those 3D movies, and then they just stopped doing that. Yeah. And, and now apparently Disney is uh, not so into sharing its films with uh, in theatrically like for re-releases or that, for uh, re-showings in, uh, in small theaters that stinks yeah. because they own most movies they now own most yeah. films yeah it's too bad every time we realize like whenever we talk about a fox film on us talking simpsons about like yeah and they could use it cheap because it's fox then we have to tell ourselves like oh well, i guess i guess they own the na i guess disney owns the natural now or i guess they own aliens now they own everything we love yeah, yeah. but let's talk about human again so human again yes. planned for the original version of the movie it was an 11-minute segment. They had a lot of story problems. They didn't know where to put the song, mm -hmm. and uh, it was eventually replaced by something there. So uh, this 11-minute segment that was fully storyboarded was replaced by a much smaller song. And Human Again would be used by the 1994 Broadway version, and that's when they realized, like, oh, this is where you put it. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, they got rid of the time-passing element because their issue was that uh, where it was in the movie, it implied that Maurice was wandering for like months or perhaps years. Oh yes, because yeah. like seasons are passing and things are happening. But this is after Maurice leaves to go find Belle again, like wandering through the forest. Right, right. Yeah, I guess you're right. That time passage doesn't work as well in in that uh, moment. But I mean, something there is a better song. Like, yeah, I, I've I pulled up Human Again on YouTube, and yeah, it's it's fine. It's a it's a good little song, and it's always nice to hear more songs from Ashman and Mencken, but it's I'd say if it were in the film proper normally, it would be seen as like the weakest song in the film. You know? it, it's put, I mean, uh, I do enjoy the segment. It's animated very well. Like a lot of people return to uh, work on this. All the original voice actors are there. There's no Jeff Bennett replacing Rowan Atkinson like in uh, Morning Report. <laughs> yeah, piss me off, man. You think you're too good, Mr. Bean? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like it's the original team, most of them back together to work on this. And where it's put in the movie, though, is a bit odd because uh, something there ends. The appliances close the door on Beauty and the Beast after they get together. And then Human Again starts. Mm. And it's like, we got to clean up the castle. And then when the wardrobe uh, jumps off the balcony into the fountain to cause a big splash, that splash wipes to Beast getting a bath. Okay. So it, works. It, it fits in rather well, but it's weird having these two songs like back to back. Mm -hmm. And also because of this, they didn't just add this song to the movie. They also, they also had to alter shots because in Human Again, they clean the castle. So oh. in, yeah, exactly. In other shots of the movie after this point, they have to clean up the castle more digitally. So they have to change mm. backgrounds and stuff. But eventually they realize this is too much work. Let's just say that after Belle leaves again, he trashes the castle again. Yeah, that's fine. That's our headcanon. Yeah, yeah. That, 
uh, see the cleaning. That's funny that they had to change it in some shots because yeah, I thought with all the cleaning going on, I was like, oh, that's why during the big dance sequence, it is a spotless reflective floor because the castle does not look anywhere close to that clean when she first comes there. So now like their ballroom is amazing. Yes. Looking. Yeah. I, I guess it does explain the clean floor, but then it doesn't really explain the rest of the clean castle. So they have to, mm-hmm. add, that's what I don't like. It's like, you can add this footage, but don't change existing footage. Yeah. Yeah. Just like if it's a continuity error, well, that's because you added a, a sequence to a film like a decade afterwards. Yeah. And I mean, it looks good. It's a good song. I just don't think it, uh, it doesn't feel right to me, and no, it, no. but it still is the best version of this. Like the, the star Wars special editions are bad. Uh, the E.T. changes are bad. I'm sure there's probably a few other examples I can't think of, and this this is the best version of that. Yeah, I'm glad that it's not the one that if you press play on it on Disney+, Plus that, that, that plays. It is uh, the 91 version. It's it's a real shame, though, that Human Again is not even an extra on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, that is, actually, that is odd. The same with the, the Morning Report. I had to look up both of those on YouTube. Why why aren't they just an extra on, on Disney+. Plus? Like I said, I think it's DLC. Yeah. You, have, cr- you have to buy the physical version. <laughs> I have to get the Platinum Edition or the diamond edition of it yeah yeah (laughs) that is human again it's okay check it out on youtube and or if you have the dvd you might be forced to watch it but it's not in the original uh Mm. version and because of that like the the platinum cut or whatever the 2002 cut is like an hour 30 and like the original cuts like an hour 24 or something Mm. like that it's a nice and tidy hour 24 yeah i I also like that it's a very there isn't anything i would add to it Mm. including human again so let's talk about the cast of Beauty and the Beast. Uh, it's a, it's basically a lot of people who are who are nobodies to mm. most movie going Americans, but that's what makes it special, damn it, because <laughs> they're popular on Broadway, mm. including uh, Paige O'Hara as Belle. So Disney was considering using Jodie Benson again. Oh, just doubling her up. Huh? Yeah, but they were like, "You sound too much like a little girl. This is a more mature woman. Let's mm. find somebody else." And this is where, uh, out of five hundred hopefuls, Paige O'Hara gets the job. But actually, Jody does voice Belle in a few House of Mouse appearances. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's uh, well, it's funny you say that. Like, yeah, they didn't like Jody sounding too much like a little girl. I mean, definitely some bits of Belle in this seem like a uh, response to criticisms of Ariel and the Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. How that she is a girl who like isn't very smart, or at the very least believes whatever is told to her by people like she's uh bell is the complete opposite like she is so book read so knowledgeable and grounded and doesn't just uh oh when a handsome guy shows up she says yeah but i can tell he's a jerk like screw this guy this is uh this is some 90s feminism and i like to see yes it. yeah yeah and, uh but yeah Paige o'hara she's great uh, in uh in the role i love her as well and uh she thinks she got the job because she was in the 1983 revival of showboat mm. uh that was her broadway debut and she was in that with the voice actor for gaston who we'll talk about uh very soon so she thinks like oh ashman loved that revival and i think that's why he cast me in it i could see that yeah and uh this is her first non-broadway role period and she would continue to voice the character in every appearance up until 2011 when unfortunately she aged out of the role her voice Aww. had changed too much oh that's sad yeah uh, that's too bad although she does make a, a return as bell in ralph breaks the internet in that annoying scene that people love hey it was uh, if you want to know why ralph breaks the internet made so much money it's because of the disney princess team up yeah <laughs> who cares about this ralph guy in video games <laughs> i mean honestly the movie barely cares about that <laughs> yeah. yeah uh bell is now voiced by julie nathanson and her, uh, her lead animators are james baxter and mark hen so mm. we'll go over all the lead animators for all these guys 
And Robbie Benson is the beast, another person who you might not know. And they even say that on the commentary, like, that, like Robbie Benson is not a household name. He was he was a teen idol in the 70s. He auditioned oh. to be Luke Skywalker. That, oh, that was his era of, of being young and hot. <laughs> so he's done a ton of work since the late 60s when he started as a child star. Just like tons of TV appearances. He directed TV throughout the, the 90s and early aughts even. He was getting into that. And uh, he continues to voice the Beast in every appearance because wow. he's still uh, of the, on that level. He's still humble. He's not yeah. like, uh, get some sound alike. No, he's Beast in Kingdom Hearts. You know, I was just thinking of this recently with uh, our, our pals on Gayest Episode Ever did an Elvira uh, episode of their podcast. And they talked about how she was up for the role of Ginger in the Harlem Globetrotters. Right. Uh, thing. The third Gilgans Island movie. And she, she uh, by not getting it, you know... I wonder how much it haunts these actors who almost get some iconic role. But in Elvira's case, it's like, no, she got to be Elvira. That's way better than being the third ginger, you know, and same with this guy. Like, eh, you know, would he rather have been Luke Skywalker for the entirety of the rest of his life? Mm. Or would he rather be the anonymous beast? You know? I'd rather be the beast. Mm -hmm. Less pressure that way. Mm -hmm. So other beast hopefuls included uh, Val Kilmer, uh, Mandy Patinkin, who, of course, uh, had a very bad uh, audition as Quasimodo. Go back to our podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, also Lawrence Fishburne. They they oh. they like auditioned like 100 different actors for this role. Wow, man. I think uh, if I could pick one of those guys, I, I would bet Mandy Patinkin would have been more expensive than uh, Robbie Benson but uh, he's uh, Manny Pating is the greatest I love him he, he's so great but yeah I can see also you know the Lawrence Fishburne thing that was another thing I mentioned to you before this is like the whitest thing Howard Ashman's oh, ever done oh boy too. yeah <laughs> it's yeah it's it's Lily White's yeah he usually like uh, either in the cast uh, and or the music Howard Ashman is very much into black and Af or African-American cultures, especially. And this film does not engage with that. This is a lily white film full of very classical meaning white style. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Little Shop of Horrors, the entire movie is led by a trio of black singers mm -hmm. uh, from the like old Motown girl groups of the 60s. And then we have Little Mermaid. Uh, Sebastian is a black performer mm -hmm. uh, doing Under the Sea and Kiss yeah. the Girl. And All Aladdin. Caribbean style yeah. stuff, yeah. Aladdin, uh, Genie, originally designed to be a black uh, character. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, obviously they've considered the implications of that and changed it. But yeah. still, uh, Friend Like Me is a very, like song of the the jazz age you know yeah. not not like a, a song a white performer would do robin williams is doing it but it's not designed for him yeah after uh seeing that little shop of horrors live thing it's like oh friend like me is the good version of feed me like yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah that's true it's the nice guy version of it. actually that that uh so that was a great adaptation of the play that was a great performance of the play mm -hmm. they actually got in a little bit of hot water because they were doing uh, multiracial casting which is great right mm -hmm. but they were not casting uh black uh, actors for the group of girls and they got in trouble for that because uh. it was like no this is designed to be performed by black female singers and yeah. you cannot deviate from that you're, you're taking, taking rules away that's true yeah, yeah you're taking rules i feel like them if i would want to keep the races boy that sounds like <laughs> let's, a weird let's, let's separate the races uh, no what are you saying here no but i definitely wouldn't recast racial uh, the race for uh the the three chorus basically and then on top of that like, i feel like mr mushnick does need to be an old jewish guy yeah yeah and, yeah and then on top of that like uh the the dentist should be an evil white guy like i think he should be a pretty but boy white i think guy. seymour uh he was filipino i think i think so yeah, yeah in, our, in our berkeley rep production yeah yeah, yeah yeah but he was still doing a great like rick moranisy uh mm -hmm. like nebbish voice i did like 
like that. Uh, Pinoy people can be nerds too. It's true. Yeah. They can have New York accents. <laughs> so yeah. How much, Mr. Mushnick? It's great, everybody. I, I mean, we'll cover it in the future. No, very little, Mr. Mushnick. Yeah, <laughs> that's the line. He's great. Uh, so yeah, the beast designed by Chris Sanders. He designed the beast. They took Whoa. forever to figure it out. And the last thing they wanted to do was put an animal head on a human body. That is a limitation of a live action version, but they're like, that's boring. Everyone has done that. So he is an amalgamation of like all these different kinds of animals. It's amazing. Yeah. He, and, yeah. and throughout the movie, he starts like moving and uh, walking more like a human. He's like, he's more beastly in the beginning in terms of his behavior and body language. But he becomes more uh, human, even in his beast form, as Bell kind of tames him. Yeah, he's, you know, he's a bachelor who's lived alone for too long. And then a girl comes over to his place. He's like, oh, mm, okay. I told you, stay out of the man cave. <laughs> uh, but God, all of it's like when he is moving like, uh, you know, a caged uh, panther or something, just walking back and forth on all fours, looking at her. Uh, and then that... that to see his hands, those same hands, try to pick up a spoon, like such, mm -hmm. such great animation on him, and like every part of him is hairy and weird, and but yeah. you know what? Uh, she drives the ladies wild. He does. No, People, he... I mean, like uh, the male uh, heterosexual fur furries had gadget. And I think the female heterosexual furries had the beast. Yeah, no, I I think the beast is way hot. I think he's really, and I don't want him to go away. I was like, the the joke is to change back, change back, after <laughs> but. But seriously, I, I, the way he's animated, like Sanders and he, and the rest of the folks. Yeah, Glenn Keane is the lead on him. Oh, and Keane, yeah. yeah, they're just uh, the way he like talks and moves. Like this is what animation is for. You invent a face that can't actually talk, like, and just figuring out how that jaw or nose would move, or how like how do you do a wild take with a character like that? What happens if his eyes bulge or he like screams like, get out. He's, what is, he, what's it look like? He's a very complex uh, design mm -hmm. uh, and they do a great job moving him around. Let's talk about uh, Cogsworth. Uh, David Ogden Stiers is Cogsworth. They originally wanted John Cleese. Uh, John yeah, Cleese yeah. said, no, I'm doing a better animated movie. One coming out the same day. An American Tale, Five Will Goes West. Oh, right. So right. he plays Cat R. Wall in that movie. It comes out the same day as Beauty I, and the Beast. I didn't know it was the same day, man. It was the I, first day in history that two animated films came out on the same day. Man, this was the day. You know, I was going to say it was them clowning on Bluth, but it's not a Bluth one. It was the first one after the... The Bluth Spielberg breakup. That's where, right. Yeah, where Amblimation's like, we can make this without Bluth, but uh, yeah, that one I did see in theaters though. But in like uh, a babysitter took us to a like dollar matinee of it. That, or whatever, that sounds January, about right. Yeah, and I think there was even like a Five Will Goes West TV series as well. There was. Yeah. yeah. I, I also the biggest thing I remember from Five Will Goes West is that it starts with them singing somewhere out there, and then. Somebody like the audience throws tomatoes at him because they're like, "We're sick of that song." <laughs> Boo! Uh, maybe one day I'll check it out. Uh, it's I think a classic. the first American Tale uh, has got to be way better than that. Oh, it is. It is very much so. Uh, but yeah, I made a mistake in the last podcast by thinking that Kenneth Mars voiced the Hunchback's Archdeacon. It's actually David Ogden Stiers. Oh, he's oh. he's all over Disney stuff around this time. Mm. So he's mostly known for his role as a uh, uh, Major Charles Winchester on Mash. But he would go on to be in more Disney stuff. He's the villain in Pocahontas. He's Ratcliffe 
And oh wow! Yeah, really? that's him. Oh, yep. that's cool. If you need a pompous British guy, <laughs> he's, he's your so, man. He's great at it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he passed away in 2018. He was 75. Mm. And uh, according to IMDb, he last portrayed Cogsworth in Kingdom Hearts 2. Wow. Yeah. Wow, he kept out of that long. I, you know, I. I loved Cogsworth. Some about his design. I mean, I also was the finicky type with uh, uh, around the house. Like I, I could identify with his very by the numbers personality. Just like everybody, we have to do this now. Like no, 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 you're gonna get us in trouble. Like yeah, and these are all fun designs. Not to, I'm, we're not gonna rag on the 2017 movie too much, but boy, mm. they really whiffed on oh, those designs because it's yeah. like everything has to be realistic no and just like you can't even see the face on these things most of the time yeah they, they look honestly they look like the michael bay transformers that yeah. just look like shit no i mean lumiere is the one who i think gets it the worst mm. out of all the redesigns and the yeah. live action it's version like, we can't just put cartoon eyes on a candelabra why not <laughs> why not god who you guys cares? yeah really yeah. but yeah a supervising animator for him is will finn uh, he would be supervising animator for iago in aladdin oh. and he is a co-director on home of the range so eventually graduated to being a director of a feature that's cool there's i mean there's also tons of great scale work with with guys like cogsworth like they uh, they are like you know shin high on uh, on humans. They have to be picked up and moved around, but they still work great in the size differential on screen too. And I think I like this movie more than Little Mermaid because I, I like the bickering between Lumiere and Cogsworth. Like mm-hmm. all the animal friends seem to get along in <laughs> um, in Little Mermaid. Like Sebastian hates uh, the seagull guy Scuttle, but they don't really ever talk about it. No, they like, never really confront him. They're yeah. like, oh, would you shut up? Like they say that to each other once maybe, but no, like. Lumiere and Cogsworth, they're great, especially because they are, you know, it's perfect European comedy of you have the stuffy upper crust British guy and the libertine Frenchman and uh, how all oh, the Englishmen and the Frenchmen, they don't get along. It's it's clever. It's classic yeah. farce, everyone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, Jerry Orbach is Lumiere. I think I learned this like as a teenager, like what? The law and order guy yes, yeah. is the candle man. So obviously we know him as Detective Lenny Briscoe. Almost 300 episodes of Law and Order, he played that character. And that character would debut in the series almost a year after Beauty and the Beast release. So, (laughs) yeah, he wasn't Lenny Briscoe yet. Actually, I think his first appearance on Law and Order, he was a different character. Yeah, yeah, he's... I mean, that's the funny thing that is most iconic character to most people is Briscoe from uh, Law and Order, which is like him being a very old, stuffy cop. Like, that's his character who would not be caught dead singing and dancing, but his actual background was broadway and singing and dancing like that's uh though i guess also his his third most iconic role is the father of baby in dirty dancing yeah that's where he right also doesn't approve of dancing that's so, right he doesn't yeah. like it very much but yes so until the 80s most of his work was on the new york stage uh, which is why he's in this movie he won a tony award in 69 for best actor in a musical for his role in promises promises and yes he's been dead for almost 20 years uh he was playing lumiere as late as the early aughts in house of mouse and uh jeff bennett seems to be his uh, permanent replacement for now yeah that jeff bennett takes up all these roles for either the the dead or too busy he's he's versatile but mm-hmm. you know jerry orbach lives on uh literally because he donated his eyes after he died oh yes right. so two people who are seemingly still alive have his corneas because uh before he died <laughs> he had perfect 2020 vision as an old man man i'm yeah. jealous I, i've never had it that's uh, no he's he's so great like look is law and order copaganda absolutely it is yes most plots in law and order are isn't it hard for the cops to arrest the bad guys but darn it if he isn't great 
And he is in the most lovable cop you ever saw as Lenny Briscoe. And it's got that dong-dong sound effect. It lets you know yeah. justice has been done. <laughs> Jerry Orbach, with all his wonderful one-liners over a corpse, like, guess this guest checked out early. He's, like, he's got a good French accent. <laughs> he does. So, so uh, lead animator for him is Nick Ranieri. And apparently he and uh, Will Finn had a very similar relationship to uh, Cogsworth and Lumiere. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, yeah, that Ranieri guy, he's another of the Roger Rabbit. Uh, see. Roger Rabbit really was a hiring bonanza for Disney animation. Like, I think I'll give it to Richard Williams that he hired a lot of great animators who then didn't want to work with Richard Williams <laughs> on Thief and the Cobbler and went either they didn't like working with him or Disney offered him so much money that they're like, well, I'm not going to do the passion project of Thief and the Cobbler then. I'm going to go to Disney and make way more money. And uh, Nick Ranieri also was lead on Jafar, uh, Miko the Raccoon and Pocahontas, mm. Hades, and Cusco. So ah, okay. a lot of fun characters. Yeah. Uh, Angela Lansbury is Mrs. Potts. They wanted uh, Julie Andrews, and I believe she My said no. Thing. Yeah, but also she would lose her ability to sing soon after this, too. But uh, yeah, I, I could see how that was written for Julie Andrews. But honestly... They're both great. I don't want to say one's better than the other. They're both yeah. the greatest. She yeah. was in like uh, musicals too, like Bedknobs and Broomsticks, right? Angela yes. Lansbury. Lansbury was, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not I, as big as uh, Sound of Music or Mary Poppins or anything, though, but still. She did originate uh, uh, the role in Sweeney Todd of uh, uh, the 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 love interest in Sweeney Todd, um, Mrs. Todd. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. I've never seen it. Uh, God damn it, Mrs. Eh, forget it's it. Fine. Anyway, Someone she's will let great. Us know. She's great in Sweeney Todd. I I know I I know that much. So by '91, she was a movie star for like 45 years. Years. she was also currently on murder she wrote a very popular tv show so mm. everyone knew who she was and uh, she was also the first anti-mame in the musical mame and she returned to broadway after murder she wrote and was performing as late as 2019 Ooh, wow yeah. man that's amazing man that she was so to be vital for that long whenever i'd see her and stuff for Disney, I would uh, into the aughts. I was like, "What? She's still around? Amazing!" I think she's given up on performing live because she's like, at this stage of my life, I want to spend time with my family. Which, you know, to be fair, if you're 96, you're like, I don't want to spend time working. Yeah, why would you do yeah. this? Yeah, I mean, again, that's that's why future live action Lumiere uh, Ian McKellen was like, "Why would I want to do more?" He was he was reticent to sign up to do Gandalf again. They had to give him a whole bunch of money because it really was like. I'm quite old. I don't know if I want to spend my last years putting on the Gandalf costume again. But it's not a live performance, but in 2022, she is currently the narrator of the UK version of the Beauty and the Beast musical. So oh, that's cool. her voice is the narrator of that. That's cool. And uh, yeah, she only returned for the first Beauty and the Beast sequel, and another actress, Anne Rogers, replaced her after that. Mm. I can, you know, I, I can see animating Mrs. Potts as kind of a challenge because she, you know, has no arms. How they do, just how you, uh, move that much. They just say she's a bouncing head, and that's yes. that's the problem. <laughs> and the supervising animator for her is David uh, Pruxma, Pruxma, I think. And I think he specialized in roly-poly characters because he supervised uh, her, uh, the Sultan, Pumbaa, and Hugo. Wow! And he yeah. was also supervising animator for Chip. Okay, then yeah, he's very. Uh, I, I guess he they handed him both of the like here's the characters with no arms this is yeah. your deal yeah yeah he's good at like <laughs> bouncing around a thing that, that like shouldn't move 
<laughs> except for maybe the Sultan. Uh, yeah, though I mean the Sultan barely moves too. He mostly just bounces. He gets he gets flung around by uh, carpets and such, but he doesn't walk around all that much. That's true. He's not very mobile. Uh, Richard White is Gaston. Mm, White. Uh, yes. Good. Since Gaston dies, he doesn't really have a voice a reason to voice him after this, but he he does voice Gaston in, in House of Mouse. Okay. Like a lot of these guys just come back for House of Mouse. That's the only appearance you see of them. Uh, that's funny. And we covered yeah. House of Mouse uh, like three or four years ago what a oh, right yeah for the uh, the sunscreen song yeah. hey yeah. there was more than that there was an okay an okay mickey short yeah it was like someone daisy or whatever yeah but yeah no yeah gaston i love gaston he is so great he is so funny he is given like one of the funniest villain songs there ever was it's and, the best song and he is such like a full of himself asshole like he's so good at He's basically, to me, he's like Prince Eric in Little Mermaid just turned up just a little bit because he's a very traditional Disney prince, but now it's the 90s and he's, everybody's like, no, you're a sexist. You're not, yeah, these, you're not this, a good prince anymore. These masculine traits are toxic now. Mm-hmm. Uh, this may not surprise you. He's a Broadway star. Of course. He's an opera yeah. singer. <laughs> oh, wow. And 90% of his credits on IMDb are Gaston. Oh. He doesn't wow. care about TV or movies. He Man. just does stage work and that's it. And I, you know, that opera thing, especially like he does have so much like depth to his voice like yes that's that's also what i love about his gaston when he sings his songs uh my voice is a little rough today so i can't sing as well as usual but i like these like gonna do it right no like he has that kind of uh what do i want to say bravado or whatever of just how people sang in a 40s musical yeah (laughs) they don't sing like you could tell he is an opera singer like he's singing these songs operatically with like like a deep baritone maybe that could be even deeper than that who knows but his supervising animator and designer is Andreas Deja. By the way, it's Deja. Ah, uh, fuck. They they say on the commentary, hard J. Okay, I've I've been messing it up so many times. Like like, here. like deja vu. Deja. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Andreas Deja. Nobody uh, corrected us, so <laughs> it's uh, technically it's I, I place the blame on you, the listener. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's he's one of my favorites uh, animators, Deja, and that he usually drew the the villain and stuff, but always. A lot of hunky guys. He yeah, draws, he, for sure. He did uh, Triton in last episode's uh, Little Mermaid. Yep, yeah. and uh, and also the Hercules in Hercules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but and he came from Roger Rabbit as well. Yeah, he's uh, so good. Is and and also I I do remember that he looked to uh, how Milt Call drew brawn bones animated brawn bones in ichabod yeah uh, yeah that he wanted uh, he's like oh this is how milk call one of my all-time favorites animated the burly jerk so i'm gonna bring a lot of that to guest on he really reminds me of that character and i i, I had to assume it was a direct reference to that <laughs> that bully jerk who bullied the awful nerd you're supposed to sort of like brawn bones yeah right? or you're supposed to at least be happy he gets married that's the difference between the 50s and the 90s i guess you're supposed to be rooting for brawn bones to scare the shit out of this nerd to leave town so he can marry the hot girl he was the hero <laughs> and of course uh jesse corti as lefou by the way all these names are very very literal lefou is the fool mm-hmm. lumiere is light bell is beauty it, mm-hmm. it, it's very simple folks <laughs> and yes another broadway guy he was in les miserables at the time on broadway oh boy uh so tons of character acting tons of voice roles uh nothing very notable he gets a lot of work and uh supervising animator for him is emily giuliani uh, she actually jumped ship from Don Bluth to work on Oliver and Company. So Whoa. she was she was working with him uh, back in like Banjo the Woodpile Cat era. Holy Don cow, Bluth. Yeah. man. Most people didn't head back to Disney after that. I'm surprised that, that she did. But I, I love LeFou. He's, he's so much fun in how he's animated. Like there's something 
he's just this i mean i guess i also just love the combo of the hot guy and his roly-poly pal like uh it that turned into an actual couple in okko oh yeah uh, yeah like venomous and boxmore pretty much gaston and lefou except they're literally lovers instead of just his sidekick and when it comes to humor in the movie they say on the commentary our theory was when in doubt hit lefou <laughs> because <laughs> it makes it's me always laugh funny every time yeah, yeah. and yeah uh, <laughs> emily giuliani would come back to work on like every disney 2d feature she'd come back to work on uh, princess and the frog after they stopped making them for a while uh, and no that yeah the uh yeah lefou also uh he was the first of the 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 constant headlines uh starting with the 2017 beauty and the beast of like lefou the first gay character in a yeah. disney movie and it was he dances with a man at the end of the movie that's it yeah like, yeah for like four, a four second shot that can cut out when they uh, you know show yeah. in other countries that also doesn't mean anything like or it could it means something or it doesn't mean something however you feel about that mm. yeah <laughs> uh, here are some brief bios there's a lot of characters in this movie uh so joanne worley is Whoa. the wardrobe Joanne uh, Warley. Uh, what what is that from? Uh, that's uh, from Laughing. Oh yes, I, I didn't know that they said it like that in Laughing. Well, that's how she like. Ooh, Joanne Warley is here. But yeah, she was a Laughing star. So if you're alive in 1989, you probably knew, you probably knew that. And she was also in a Broadway show in '89. Oh Jesus! That's why of she was course, cast. Of course. Yeah. And yes, uh, Tony J plays mm. uh, Monsieur Dark. Uh man, that was I. I think you said it in the Hunchback one, but like. They just wrote this tiny role in Tony J when he comes in for just like the two scenes he's in. You're like, oh, this is the scariest dude in the world. No wonder they made him yeah. the, the villain of Hunchback. This is where it starts uh, for Disney and Tony J. And when he came in, he was like, do you want my regular voice or my masterpiece theater voice? And they're like, masterpiece theater, please. <laughs> and he did such a good job at his audition. They're like, let's record you here and use that wow. and cut you a check. We're like, we're not going to have you come in to read like 20 seconds worth of dialogue. You, <laughs> uh -huh. you, you win. You pass the test. Man, that shot of him like playing with the coin and then grasping in his fist was like, I love it. It's oh, so good. Tony J, uh, no one better. He mm -hmm. would just be in everything in the 90s. Yep. Always great. Always one type of voice. Didn't need other types of voices. Just great uh, like, yeah. Inimitable, I say. <laughs> uh, Rex Everhart is Maurice. Yes, another Broadway guy. Can you believe it? <laughs> a character actor. So, yes, he was also doing a Broadway show at the time. He was in a revival of Anything Goes oh, fun. in 89. And, yes, he did a ton of Broadway throughout his life. Then he started doing, like, TV and movie roles. Notably, in the first Friday the 13th, he is the kindly truck driver that drops the lead of the movie off at Camp Crystal Lake oh, in the beginning. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, man. that's him. See, boy, this... Uh... It, the, the 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 tragic illness of Howard Ashman was a real gift to these Broadway actors who would not have been cast. All the all these future ones will be a lot of Hollywood folks. Mm -hmm. So that all of these Broadway people get their chance just so they can be near Howard Ashman uh, while he's sick. Oh yeah, and one thing is they also recorded together, mm -hmm. which yeah. they never did. They rarely did it before that, and they didn't do it after. But because it was like Ashman's insistence, like no, this is a this is like a, a real production. Let's get everyone together. And they're like, you can hear the energy of people performing off of each other in the songs and in the performances of the you know, the non-musical sections as well. Yeah, and in the Howard Doc, they have uh, lengthy footage from uh, him recording Be Our Guest with uh, Orbach and uh, Lansbury as well. And they're both there, and he's talking through the, the style of like, oh, singing like this, singing like that, giving them direction, which is... You know, they're also very respectful of the, even though they're the elder statesmen of Broadway there, like they, they're very receptive to his direction too. And in a few years, Matthew Broderick will be like, can I record my role over the phone? Ugh, God, yeah. Nobody, well, I mean, 
Now everything is recorded over the phone anyway, so who cares? Can I Skype you my uh, Frozen <laughs> 3 role? My, the, the mics we have here are probably as good as pe- uh, people use to record like an episode of The Simpsons now. I bet I people are know. using their, their ear pods now for that. <laughs> uh, and also, one last person, uh, Bradley Pierce is Chip, and they actually added more Chip to the movie because they're like, this kid is hilarious. Uh, okay. Let's do more with Chip. And he would leverage the star power to play Tails in the Saturday morning version of Sonic the Hedgehog. Whoa! Yeah, wow, that's him. I didn't know that. That's Chip. I like that. And yeah, one of the one of their call out is uh, Kimmy Robertson, who is Lucy on Twin Peaks. She's Samantha Stanky. She's the Feather Duster. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, the the highly sexual Feather Duster. Yes. Who's? <laughs> uh, I guess you know they both have lips and can make out, but other otherwise, what are? I guess they're just like rubbing up against there's each some, other. There's some groping going on behind a curtain in this movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, as always let's hear what two dead guys think of this movie <laughs> i've seen beauty and the beast twice with my children i'm going to be back for more very soon it's a winner i was amazed how much i enjoyed this movie i had heard reports that it played at the new york film festival right. to a standing ovation and i questioned i did too those reports i said i can't see the new york film festival standing up and applauding anything yeah. then i saw this movie and i heard it interrupt interrupted by applause again it's amazing you know my favorite musical number is the gas stone number where they talk yeah. about how great he is and how he decorates uh-huh. with antlers and so forth it is a very funny film and the energy level that's possible in animation is so much higher than you can possibly get human actors to move around that it almost makes animation seem like the ideal medium for the film musical. Uh, Yes, exactly. Yes, you you figured it out, Ebert. (laughs) Ebert finally got it. You could could tell he is the animation fan of the two. But yeah, yeah, Siskel and Ebert, they were like buzzing over this movie. They were so into it. One of the commercials I looked up for this movie, it was like a must-see, Siskel and Ebert. <laughs> then like three more quotes from Siskel and Ebert. It's just wow. like Siskel and Ebert demand you take your family to this movie. Do I, not upset these two men. Their their effusive praise. I mean, that also is their. That's your roadmap into Oscar, uh, the Oscar campaigning and getting Oscar nominations. Yes, so I see. This is a serious film. This is isn't just for kids because Ebert, uh, Siskel and Ebert say it's that great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do not be ashamed. But yeah, I was like, I knew they liked it, but it was so fun to go back and see how excited they were because, mm-hmm. you know, they had seen The Little Mermaid, but this is really the movie that lit their brains on fire. Like, yes. And yeah, Ebert's right. That's why the live action version doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, for any of these movies, for Aladdin, for The Lion King, presumably for Dumbo as well, like the freedom of animation lets you do so much more that you're so constrained by with uh, live action 2017 version. It just, everything is so stiff. People look ashamed to be there. It's not good. Yeah. I think the, you know, when you see uh, both of us have taken in a lot of live theater recently and I was thinking of what, you know, the, the disconnect is when you adapt it into a live action musical. And the difference is like when you're on the stage, it's demanding your imagination of like yeah. this character opened a door. Now they're in the alley. We can't actually change the set to be in an alley, but that's where you are. Or now you're in the diner or whatever. And that imagination, I think, connects better to something animated than if you instead are like, well, no, now we're just going to film this dance sequence in a restaurant or now we're in the alley or whatever. Like it's I don't know. It's uh, once you take out the imagination of it and it's just like the flat reality and it's like yeah. no, now they're here and they're singing this it doesn't feel the same that's why i am still resentful of, Tr- of shrek because <laughs> shrek is like don't you hate singing and songs and again like i said on that podcast 
make a better movie. Yes. You yeah. know, why don't you make a better movie? And then there were no songs for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they all joked about it. Yeah. it was too, everybody was too cool for songs. And then Frozen finally really brings back songs. And they're like, oh, this made a trillion dollars because people wanted to hear some fucking music again. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that was a, a fairly long history of Beauty and the Beast. We welcome you to be our guest for part two as we come back and talk about the movie in its entirety. Disney's Beauty and the Beast, an instant classic with songs worthy of a Broadway musical. It's a flat-out winner and a legitimate candidate for Oscar consideration as Best Picture of the Year. Take your family to see why Siskel and Ebert give two enthusiastic thumbs up, way up, for Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Starts Friday, December 20th at a theater near you. So we're back to talk about Beauty and the Beast in detail. And uh, yeah, before doing this podcast, I had seen the movie once uh, on VHS in a fifth grade classroom. Wow. Maybe fourth. Who knows? I can't really remember. But uh, yeah, I really enjoy this movie and I'm thinking about it. I have not seen Mulan yet. I have not seen Rescuers Down Under yet, but I think this is my number two of the 90s. Wow. After Hunchback. After Hunchback. Yes. Wow. Hunchback number one. Yeah, this... Uh, rewatching it, I think this is my number one. I think Hunchback. Mm. I, I'd put Hunchback or Lion King is my number two, but this this is still my number one because I like I love every song. I can't think of a song as like the bad song or not as good. There's there's no bit that really like drags, and there's no character like say Flounder and Little Mermaid. There's no character in this that makes me go like I don't need this guy. Like, yeah, there's no superfluous characters. Yeah, Chip way better than Flounder. For I instance. agree. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, this is just so gorgeous too. And like the even on Disney Plus with like the 4K transfer and everything looks just like beautiful every second I'm looking at it. And yeah, there it has some of the most like exquisite animation like uh, the disney feature team at the time ever Mm -hmm. did like even even though they'd have more money and resources later on i think they get more in their way with like you know bullshit or just like the the planning or the want of prestige like this was right before they got too big you know yeah i i feel like you can still see some shortcuts in the movie but they're done very artfully like Mm -hmm. we'll talk about the beginning of the movie it's like two minutes without animation really sure it's like here are some nice pictures we drew (laughs) let's zoom in on them oh but boy are they nice yeah yeah i mean yeah that's the shortcut it's like well we don't have a lot of money and time so let's trade uh nice pictures for amount of pictures (laughs) well and i think too the caps 
you know, seeing the difference between this and Little Mermaid, watching it very closely, you really do see it. The, yeah. the, the caps tech is is a big difference. And I yeah. will compare to Little Mermaid. The storytelling is way better. <laughs> There's it's not a saggy back half. And like mm-hmm. watching it very clinically from my note uh watch through, I was still getting moved by the movie. Mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. though I had seen it twice, once with uh just watching it casually, once with commentary, and then a third time to do notes. I was still like, oh, this is still moving me. So, you know, congrats. Yeah. The, and the central romance is between two really interesting characters as opposed to like Ariel, who's pretty interesting, and Eric, who's like nothing, like who's just yeah. a handsome nobody. Basically like the nice version of Gaston in this movie. Yes. He's, uh, he's the non-evil twin version of Gaston. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. good twin. Yeah. The good Danish Gaston. But yeah, this I love every second of this. It probably does help that it takes me back to like being a kid and seeing it in the theaters like this was the first i think this was the first disney movie i was like really hyped for properly like mm. i knew what disney films were the ads got to me the right way and i was like oh this is like more little mermaid oh man i can't wait for it like more music more fanciness more more fun and yeah i just uh, i i still love this movie so much yeah i just i never thought about it for uh 30 years and you know it's not even parodied that much because to parody the movie you need to parody the one scene and that's a lot of work oh yeah so only yeah. the critic was willing to do it <laughs> uh harvey birdman did do it in uh, uh in a very expensive scene uh that probably like killed the show but uh and of course uh see my vest uh from, yes. from simpsons those are the only real parodies i can think of yeah though. whenever i think of this movie see my vest gets stuck in my head mm-hmm. and you know what i actually think see my vest is a better song than be our guest Aww. but it can't it can't exist without be our guest <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> but man yeah it, it it looks great and i wish i i want to pull up the blu-ray now and see all the extras myself too yeah so let's get started here. So we open with a very traditional Once Upon a Time, but this is the go-go 90s. We're not going to open by like staring at a real book on the screen. Yeah, no wrinkly old storybook. <laughs> We're going to look at uh, a bunch of fun stained glass windows. Oh, man, is it gorgeous. Yeah, that it starts It starts with a Once Upon a Time zoom in through like they're just so showing off. They're like, this is a multiplane type of thing you can only do with caps. Like they're not yeah. uh, like just it's it's like bambi except so much bigger and and so much more heavily detailed actually it's so much like bambi they actually just stole the animation for the deer and the birds from bambi oh really yeah wow. <laughs> much later in the movie they just steal the dance between uh princess aurora and the prince oh that one from i caught in the very yeah. end yeah i caught that one they're yeah. like you know what it'll t- it takes more time to figure out like a deer let's just we have a deer in the vault let's pull them out <laughs> yeah, we have deers at home we yes. need to show it and it's an homage uh, so it's not stealing <laughs> yeah like all of the all of the different later layers sliding away would take a lot of work with the multiplane process we talked about that on pinocchio check that podcast out if you haven't heard it but now i mean it's still a lot of work but it's just like basically photoshop layers mm-hmm. sliding you, around if you've got the computer with the horsepower to move around the hd layers then you can do it yeah the, i mean their digital animation stuff was so advanced for 1991 mm-hmm. it took uh animated shows until like the mid-aughts to look on par with hand animation in terms of like digital coloring i don't know how they cracked it so early but only they had the cap system you gotta credit it to i think frank wells i think he was the one if i recall correctly from disney war uh it was wells who pushed the hardest for caps as this investment that would save them a ton of money and future proof that it would because i think you know eisner was looking at it more as or other executives were seeing it as like well this is a lot of money for something we don't see instant rewards from but 
it also digitizing their films that early future proof them like it yes. probably saved them a ton of money in the long run that's right if you have a beauty and the beast cell you just got ripped off buddy <laughs> or it was a series sale made uh, to yeah. hand out to executives that yeah they're they're not real actually i think like the disney store and those places would just uh kind of manufacture fake cells like it's the anniversary image yes, or whatever yeah. and it's not it's not a real cell from anything it's just like they just made a cell to sell yeah i you know i've seen those reproductions of like I, I would really like a reasonably priced Evangelion cell to put on my wall. They are so much money for any Evangelion cell. I found one that I was like, oh, that's only a couple hundred bucks. But that's because it was a rare reproduction that they only made oh. like a hundred of these reproductions and they're selling those. And even those go for hundreds of dollars. But So not actually not used the in the production of the no, uh, no. show. But oh, sold to the Gynax fan club back in like 97 those or jerks. something. There was one I really, really wanted, but it got it got out of my hands for it was just too, too much. But I thought it'd be a funny one to just have on my wall because you know how much I, lo I love the song Calm Susser Todd mm -hmm. and that scene. Come Sweet Death. It was. That's your favorite it, song. Yes, it was the um, it was one of the shots of the mass production unit stabbing themselves in the chest with in orgasmic pleasure and i was like well that would kind of that could look kind of fun on the wall that's a good conversation piece for yeah. the bathroom <laughs> but that has nothing to do with beauty and the beast yes. sorry but yeah they're showing all the layers they can slide around i mean we haven't done rescuers on under i assume they're they're doing stuff in that movie too but it feels oh, like yeah, this yeah. is them really experimenting with this this uh, digital technology yeah you know the the naturalistic art for the backgrounds looks so good like i think if we're judging just by density, maybe Hunchback's big pull in through Paris has like more layers to it and more detail. But oh, definitely, yeah, it's like a real Pinocchio style move they're doing there. But but all of the like flowers and the trees and the stream and everything, it, it's so great and it gets like you know natural, 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 and then you're up to the big castle right there. And that's when we get the story of the Beast, his origin story. <laughs> but he's not a superhero. No, in fact, it's a curse. Because there's this, uh, basically, the spoiled, selfish, unkind prince. Uh, he turns away this beggar woman who offered him a rose in return for shelter from the cold. And uh, after turning this old woman away, she tells the prince, you know, don't be deceived by appearances because beauty is found within. And to teach you this, I'm going to curse the living shit out of you. <laughs> yeah, he's, you know, uh, yeah, I guess if we're looking at this too closely, then... For the time to have passed, he had to be like, what, 10? Like 10 years have passed in between yeah. the movie, or well, this and the uh, time in the movie. It said like uh, he, like by his 21st birthday, he has to fall in love. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to like pretend this, is, this makes sense because it really mm -hmm. doesn't. They shouldn't punish a child this much. You have to assume that he was an adult making these decisions. <laughs> Let's say he was 16 yeah. when it happened, and he's about to turn 21, so it's only been five years. Obviously, the curse on the castle is what made it look old and dusty so much more than the years that yeah. it was left alone and it but... turned all like the angel statuary into gargoyles <laughs> and things like that i think it would be funny if at the end of this movie once he's human again he's like all right and now let's find that enchantress and get even <laughs> yeah it should be like the mr potter ending yes! from that snl yeah. sketch just beat the living hell out of her <laughs> what gives you the right they should yeah. be more afraid of this enchantress than the beast you know yeah yeah they you in know, this world yeah mrs potts and all of them they should be saying like i hey, 
bitch enchantress, man. And I look, I lost I, ten years of my life. I was a, a fork. Yeah, I was a fork. Why? Why you got? You made me a. You made me a, a doily for seventeen years. But I think the twenty seventeen movie addresses that like yeah. time plot hole. But you know, in annoying cares? detail. Yeah, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> You're not supposed to think about it. It's also it's a magic spell. You know, yeah. like come on. <laughs> maybe maybe it slows down time. I don't know. But yeah, uh, basically that's what happens to him. We see all of this told through very exquisite uh, stained glass work. She does this to the beast. She transforms everyone in the castle and the castle itself. But she, he gets a consolation prize in the form of a magic mirror, which lets him see the outside world. That's also from the original story. Ah, okay. Which is great. I mean, I I couldn't not put onto this today an, an equivalence because like him, him with that mirror, he is like he is a sad lonely man who has only the internet to look at all the time in the form of the mirror and that shows him the world he's missing out on I gotta log onto the mirror again <laughs> so yeah the stakes are basically he's got to love someone else mm-hmm. earn their love in return earn her love this is a very heteronormative movie i know <laughs> it's like he he should just fall in love with like oh Haley mirror i love you well i love you too hey we're free <laughs> hooray it was that easy no it's got to be uh heteronormative so mm. He's got to do all this before the last petal falls, and it's got to happen before his 21st birthday. So assume, I assume the, the movie ends on his 21st birthday. Yeah, yeah. It's birthday. birthday. You're getting stabbed in the back, and everybody wants to tear apart your castle. Tough, yeah. tough break for him. This isn't a very happy birthday for the Beast. <laughs> for old Sorry. Beast. I stumbled over that one. You know what? The Beast is pretty lucky. When I think about that this is set in the 1700s, he's pretty lucky for some royalty in France, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, that's uh, true. Yeah, have, have the guillotines been wheeled out yet? You know, if he it'd be funny if by he comes out of it and then you know 10 years later it's the, the bastille falls down they're coming for the heads of bell and beast or maybe they thought they they guillotined him but when he walks out in human form it's like hey we thought we killed that guy <laughs> oh man i guess we ought to go guess better, we ought to get back in there. better kill his wife too <laughs> that's that's in beauty and the beast four it was unproduced <laughs> they're telling all these servants like no you don't live to serve you live for yourself <laughs> yeah, yeah these guys have been brainwashed uh but yes, uh, those are the stakes. That's the origin story. The narrator, who is David Ogden Styers, says, you know, uh, he fell into despair. He lost all hope for who could ever learn to love a beast. Oh, love that. I just love that. Like, yes, who could ever learn to love a beast? I, this was where it hit me, too, that I think Kirk and Truesdale, they really are into misfit guys who find themselves unlovable and are then pulled out of that uh, by the love of, of friends and beautiful people. Yes, yeah. but uh, Quasimodo doesn't get to date uh, <laughs> Esmeralda. I know. I was thinking like, oh, man, fucking Phoebus is the good Gaston who gets the girl. And, yeah. and Quasimodo just has to go like, oh, I am real happy for you guys i guess like, i can hold this little girl's hand it's like if beast at the end of the movie had to go to the gaston's wedding to bell <laughs> he's just clapping and crying in the uh, front row and man every shot of the beast until you see him like i it, it was taking me back to to before the movie came out i swear they didn't really show you the beast in ads like after it came out i i think they at least i remember seeing it in theaters thinking what does he look like? Because he's lit so dimly, you can't really see him. If you if you know the contours of the beast and you pause it, you can see him. But yeah. but if it's your first time seeing it, you can't really make out what this beast is. Like, it, what is he? A werewolf man? And what what kind of monster is this guy? Well, the original story doesn't give any physical description. They just say he's very very ugly. <laughs> he's just ugly. So you don't know what's going on with him. But yeah, again, uh, this movie very rushed production cycle, two years instead of three or four, which is why they find shortcuts where they can, and that's why this movie opens with basically three minutes with very little animation. We see, you know, the push into the castle with the birds and the and the uh, deer. 
one shot of the beast slashing the portrait of his former self mm. and that's basically it just like still images but nobody ever complained about it no way it's it's when you use the storytelling devices so well nobody notices it's cheap you know <laughs> but one thing that does look cheap is this 90s cd-rom adventure game ass oh, logo i love that logo i uh, love it you're you're alone in this henry <laughs> they didn't use it on any like marketing posters releases uh, merchandise no i know the logo instead is you know like just sterling gold letters of them which i i get it it's a better logo but i i like the beauty is written in in you know yeah. uh fancy curly uh rosy kind of stuff and then the beast is written in uh mean harsh texture it looks like typography you'd see like in a strip mall like on a sign <laughs> in a strip mall uh, that's maybe why i love it it's so <laughs> 90s strip mall but yeah it's, it's not just it's not very elegant because it's like you get a black screen with the logo mm-hmm. it's just like it feels it feels perfunct <laughs> I feel like they well, they probably wanted to do more, mm-hmm. but they got they had their Microsoft Word out ready to go. They weren't all on the same page with marketing when they made that logo. I guess that also speaks to like the speed at which they were pumping this movie out. They're like, oh, I guess I guess that's the logo. The the team that comes up with the posters, they'll make their own logo. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, maybe for some new anniversary, they can re-release this with the old logo. Uh, they they already, like you said, they tinkered around with it too much as it was. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't touch it anymore. <laughs> so yes, we start off with a song. Uh, we start off with Belle, which is an operetta-style song. That's different from all of the isolated performances in The Little Mermaid. Yeah, it's different from the rest of them, those songs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very much like Little Shop because that yeah. that play contains so much music, it's almost like an opera. Mm-hmm. And you can see in the movie version of Little Shop where Frank Oz says, you know, this song that tells a part of the story, that can just be dialogue. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Ashman and Mankin are thinking the opposite way. Like, what dialogue and, you know, plot stuff can we turn into songs? He was turning them back into dialogue. And this one is just like, let's just start off with a song. And she's like walking through. It's all about the setting. And it's uh, like highlighting a few characters just like Little Shop. Yes. Yeah. There's I, I think it was in the Howard doc where Ashman and, and Mankin talked about how they were uh, almost a little concerned of like, Oh, is this too much like a typical real musical opening that Disney isn't used to of just like, you know, not just in Little Shop, but there's so many musicals that are like, here's the first song. We're in this city. It's this place. And here are people there. Like, yeah, like, for instance, Hairspray. I was just watching that recently and the, the, the musical version of it. And good morning, Baltimore. Very similar kind hmm. of song to to it. I, I think honestly, hairspray seems to be written by uh, Ashman fans. It, it feel hmm. has has the real feel of an Ashman. Fan. I've heard good things about it. Oh, it's great. Uh, it's like great. I, I feel like Little Mermaid. The songs were isolated performances for almost I think the entire movie because like even part of your world is like well she's alone. Yes, yeah, and yeah. she's like kind of you know talking through her emotions to herself. But uh, I'm listening to the latest uh, Blank Check series. Uh, that's the podcast, by the way, about movies. And they're doing Bob Fosse in his uh, limited filmography. And uh, Griffin or David on that podcast pointed out, like, some people, they just can't get over people breaking into song in, like, their everyday life. Mm. And that's exactly how this movie starts. Yeah, yeah. Like, they can't get over that, that like, uh, you know, that, that hurdle. And that's why uh, Ashman didn't know if this would work. Mm. It's like, if people just see this character walking down the street singing, are they going to be like, well, this is stupid. And a lot of people <laughs> do think that. They can't get over Like, why uh, are they singing? This is stupid. I'm glad they threw out that fear. I yeah. I mean, I love it. Uh, that shows you the type of person I am. The second I see it, like, oh, boy, they're all singing. Like... <laughs> Well, that also, the, one of the first musicals I ever really got into as a young kid, because my mom played the soundtrack all the time, was Les Miserables. And in that, 
everything is sung. It is a full song uh, musical. Hmm. So this this song here, I've seen some people joke about like, oh, Belle, what a what a stuck up girl. She's saying like, oh, this town full of little people. Like, but you know what? This town is very quick to form a lynch mob to murder yeah. some guy. So I think she's right to be dismissive of these small minded people. They're all talking shit about her. This yeah. actually reminds me of because I just saw the sound of music a few months ago. It reminds me of the song Maria mm. uh, because it's all about people kind of making fun of this uh, main character. Like, how do you solve a problem like Maria? Like, how do we tame this wild spirit? Yeah. And but in this one, they're doing the same thing. But Belle gets to push back and say, well, you know what? This town sucks. And so do you. <laughs> and I, I also like in the sound of music how uh spoilers when she marries the, the much older employer she works for mm-hmm. she's walking down the aisle and they're singing maria so they're totally <laughs> owning her at her own wedding <laughs> that's funny yeah how do you hold a moonbeam in your hand figure it out everyone uh, that's you know that's a good point i think i i look at bell a little bit and i think she is kind of a combination of she definitely has a lot of julie andrews maria in her and i think uh, uh, uh down to her dress she has a lot of judy garland's dorothy from yeah. oz like sometimes when she says lines she goes like oh but what you what are you talking about mr scarecrow like she she has the kind of like delivery that judy that. garland had in, in Wizard yeah, of oz. especially that blue dress i can see that and then like well we'll talk about bell soon but bell is put on pause for about 15 minutes mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. there's a uh, by the way i figured it out it's called a reprise because that's what uh, alan menken says there's uh, a there's a reprise of bell like 20 minutes into the movie and you're like what bell is still happening <laughs> and it, they literally just do the sound of music shot where she's like spinning around on like a hill oh yeah, yeah yeah it's it's wonderful but man yeah this song is great i love every drawing of the silly town folk all of the wacky like first drafty looking uh characters who they yeah <laughs> they are looking a lot better than the background folks in little mermaid though yeah they're, they're yeah. upping their game a bit and as soon as Belle comes out, it's a very Snow White move where she's like greeted by birds. Oh uh, yeah, she's that shows you right from off the bat. She's a classic Disney princess, birds lover. Yes, uh, bird approved. Uh, mm. One person in this movie does not like birds. Oh man, yeah. You know, I I have uh, I have the sound effect ready for that when we talk about. Oh okay okay. Uh, <laughs> let's hear a bit of uh, the opening of Belle here. Little town, it's a quiet village. Every day. Like the one before Little town Full of little people Waking up to say Bonjour! 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 There goes the baker with his tray Like always The same old bread and rolls to sell Every morning just the same Don't Since the morning me. that we came To this poor provincial town Good morning, Belle Morning, monsieur Where are you off to? The bookshop I just finished the most wonderful story About a beanstalk and an ogre oh, and that's a... that's nice Marie! The baguettes! Hurry up! Look, there she goes The girl is strange No question Never <laughs> <laughs> the part of any crowd Cause her head's upon some cloud so yeah, Belle lasts for much longer than a song in the previous movie <laughs> because it's an operetta. There's mm-hmm. singing parts and like little scenes that happen in between them, and then uh, the song is put on pause, and then it's like a reprise of it much later. So yeah, this they're experimenting with I would say much more complex uh, musical idea in this movie. Although if you if you see musicals, it's really not. But if you've only seen The Little Mermaid. 
with just its isolated performances, you're like, wow, this is they're they're doing a bunch of different things with this song. It's it's laid out perfectly like a stage musical too. Like you, this could just be her. Uh, really, she'd have to like walk from one end of the stage to the other because you can't make that huge of a town on a stage. But yeah, it would work that way. She like she walks by people and they pop out like oh da da da. Like uh, yeah, I I love the staging of it so much. I the guy for some reason the guy who says the baguettes like he, that is stuck in my head for forever yeah There's a little hand motion on it and and yeah it's uh i i also really identify with bell that she is a nerd who loves her stories who when she's trying to tell somebody about oh did you know it uh, probably as a kid i loved it because i wanted to tell everybody i knew about like no but did you know in this new issue of spider-man spider-man <laughs> does this and people you know adults didn't care they cared about their baguettes they really did they're always counting their baguettes but yeah like i was also thinking uh, and i'm not saying this is uh it's worse because of this but little mermaid if somebody is singing a song it's their song nobody else intrudes but in this Mm. one it's like bell the townspeople individual townspeople gaston uh Mm. everybody is taking part in this song yeah it's a it's a much richer musical world too yeah it's uh i think that shows their full commitment to a musical which is even funnier to know that it wasn't a musical at one point until uh, Ashman and Mencken were pulled off of Aladdin to make it one. That this is so much more committed to being a musical than Little Mermaid was, where the songs were, you know, uh, though though each song does follow the Ashman rule of start in one place, end in another place. Like the plot development in this one really is just Gaston is going to ask Belle to marry him. Mm-hmm. Like that, that I suppose is is the big moment for it, but. I love all the little gags. You know, you don't want to be, if you're in a cartoon and you have a mustache, don't go to the barber. It's going to get cut off. It's true. Mustaches don't work like they do in real life. <laughs> and uh, and also, the this is the first time I noticed the bosom on the woman who says, how is your wife? Oh, like, yeah. Wow, hey, man. there are some busty babes in this movie, and I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And 2017 version, yes, I will diss it. It gets rid of the boobs. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. The hot triplets are like tepid at best. That's bullshit. Yeah. yeah these are smoke shows. Yes. These tri- I mean. 10 well, out of 10 <laughs> smoke shows, folks. Well, it's also, I mean, you know, no man in real life can, oh, well, only a bodybuilder really can match guest on in real life his size yes he's pure uh, the size the he is the size of a he's fueled by eggs i think the action is like she walks through town gets a book and then goes back home right yes is that that basically it just in and out for the book yeah i yeah i also you know there's so many great uh man the animation of the woman juggling her three babies while saying like i need six eggs like uh so good and they really expect children in 1991 to know what provincial means. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, so, I certainly didn't know. Ask your parents. Uh, and and yeah, it's also, uh, you know, I was going to cinema sin this for like, oh, she borrows this book from this guy and then lets a, lets a sheep eat it. But then I remember, no, the guy gave her the book. It's her book now. So you know what? She can let up. She, if she wants a sheep to eat it, uh, she can let it. The bookstore know? stuff really underlines the character she is. She's she's pretty interesting because it's like she doesn't care to read a book twice because it's the kind of thing she loves. And she identifies all of her favorite fantasy tropes, including a prince in disguise. So mm. spoilers, everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's also a very 90s thing that you're 
Disney princess is so metatextual, she can be like, oh, I, I love these fairy tales, and I know all the tropes of fairy tales, but guess what? You're in one. And Yeah, yeah exactly. And, uh, <laughs> to quote Barbosa. Yeah, I, I'm always doing that. And also, she's very honest and humble, because she's like, uh, when the book's always like, you can have it, take it for free. And she's like, oh, I couldn't, you know, but mm. she eventually does. So yeah, she's honest, she's she's smart, she's kind, birds uh, love her. Also, even though she's got her head stuck in a book, she is uh, has the clarity to notice that water's about to fall on her and so she blocks it by holding up the uh, the store sign mm. so it shows she's very resourceful too she's not just like some klutz uh banging around places and there's more dramatic irony with the lyric uh here's where she meets prince charming but she won't discover that it's him till chapter three so mm-hmm. bell doesn't know what she's walking into here uh, i know man also the uh i i mean it's just like a scan of it but it's an amazing like the way the book page looks uh on it as well yeah and i also love the uh that the washer lady behind her is just like eh, this fucking kid like <laughs> i i gotta wash uh, Sorry, you don't have to wash laundry all day, girl, that I do. I feel like uh, Gaston is the only guy attracted to her, though. Maybe mm-hmm. all the, the hot triplets are drawing all the attention <laughs> from Belle and that uh, guy, that, that woman with the big boobs who, uh, you know, uh, was talking to the guy who got henpecked or whatever. <laughs> oh, you know what? No, that, that fat blonde guy and the other two guys, they, they are looking at her in the window. The, the, those dudes seem to I, be a little into her. I feel like they're the sickos outside just spying on her. <laughs> okay. not, not for any sexual reasons. They're like, what's with this lady they're just peepers yeah <laughs> peepers to watch uh so yeah in case you didn't understand the, the, the relationship between the uh, bell and the townspeople you hear them saying she's nothing like the rest of us she's nothing mm-hmm. like the rest of us yeah we get it very yeah. very on the nose but it's fine yeah i mean it also works too to set up that bell bell is now cast just like beast but she looks pretty so they're not gonna like destroy her or uh like throw her out of town they're just gonna look down their nose at her of like well you fit beauty standards but we all think you're weird you know so it makes this a story of outcasts that come together as well yeah. that's why gaston is like i will be your wife guy yeah oh yeah i'll man. tie you down <laughs> uh so after the she's nothing like the rest of us we pan up to a flock of ducks uh, one of them is shot and falls to the ground and that's Damn. when we reveal uh, lefou mm-hmm. uh who misses the, the fallen duck with his bag so we can see immediately <laughs> lefou's just like goofball sidekick mm-hmm. he praises gaston for being the best hunter in the world gaston immediately revealing who he is he says i know oh man staring at himself in the the mirror like uh yeah i have the everybody hates birds jingle oh yeah, sure actually. sure from talking simpsons <laughs> yes or our yeah. hit podcast <laughs> everybody hates birds right well gaston uh, seems to hate every animal because lefou mm. is carrying this bundle of corpses oh, and it's God. so abstract you're not sure like what he's killed but there's like a raccoon tail and like antlers and a fur yeah so he's just walking through the streets shooting animals at, at random <laughs> that bag is uh mystified me ever since childhood it seems like yeah just stitched together from every part of a game animal you could have like i mean that's for first-time viewers to indicate to the audience, like, hey, you know who'd want to kill a big old beast? This guy. Like, this this guy is made to kill a beast. That's why uh, LeFou says, uh, no beast alive stands a chance against you. No girl, for that matter, either. So, again, more dramatic irony. Bella singing about, like, hidden Prince Charming's and LeFou is saying, you know, you could kill a beast. Yeah, Stay yeah. tuned, everybody. <laughs> and also, I love when he says, 
but I've got my eyes set on that girl. And he's like pointing a gun at yes. Belle to say like, I'm getting her. Irresponsible gun use. I know it's a good visual metaphor, Gaston, but don't mm. point a gun at anyone. You don't intend to shoot. Yes. Yeah. I, Especially uh, <laughs> with like this 18th century blunderbuss or whatever you've got here. He's just the next. I mean, I, I'm so glad that we did a whole podcast about that Ichabod uh, short. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because Gaston is Braun Bones just like up 5%, you know, like Braun Bones is also the asshole but because it was in the 50s or late 40s they think you're supposed to be happy that he ends up with the girl at the end yes like and you're like no fuck this guy like this movie finally gets it you're going like no fuck this guy this is the, the 90s treatment of ron bones we're holding him accountable yeah finally he's been <laughs> being held accountable uh let's hear gaston sing a little bit she's the one the lucky girl i'm going to marry but she's the most beautiful girl in town i know that oh. makes her the best don't I deserve the best? Well, of course. I mean, you do, but I'm just... Right from the moment when I met her, saw her, I said she's gorgeous, and I fell. Here in town, there's only she who is beautiful as me. So I'm making plans to woo and marry Belle. Look there, he goes. Isn't he dreamy? Monsieur Gaston. Oh, he's so cute. Be still, my heart. I'm hardly breathing. So these triplets are really working that pump. <laughs> Having a lot of fun yeah, there. Until until it blasts all over LeFou, that yeah. pump. Yeah. That's, no, the, the trio of gals, I love every shot of them. They're such a funny like group. They have the small differences in their design is what I like to like. They each have a different color dress and their hair is parted slightly differently. I thought I had read before some trivia that like the three girls are meant to have hairstyles like other Disney princesses, but the only one I could spot is the girl on the farthest right in uh, a screen right has like Ariel's hair or at mm. least kind of like the part to the left uh, type hair that I'm, Ariel I'm, has. I'm seeing an image, but like one of them is a, of Jasmine who kind of isn't invented yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess they would have been working on Jasmine during that time, but I don't believe that. But I yeah. don't buy this theory. <laughs> yeah, and this also brought me up uh, pictures of the, uh, the triplets from the new movie. Necklines are far too high, gentlemen. We got uh, we got to correct this. See, yeah, it's like, come on, it uh, again. This movie gave lots of uh, it gave horniness on both sides. You know, you could look. There's lots of beefcakes to look at. Yeah, yeah, movie. it's equal opportunity uh, uh, sexualization for everybody. Yeah, for the, all, all the kids out there. The Beast does a full nude scene in this movie. That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is really true. He's he's hanging brain all over this movie. <laughs> he's uh, just so hairy, you can't tell. You know. But yeah, Gaston, I I love that uh, they hired this guy. I think uh, Richard White is his name i mm. think uh because everyone's doing their own singing in this movie by the way ah, yeah, and, yeah. and so is he and he's an opera singer and that fully like uh personifies gaston yeah, he's singing yeah. in this just bold opera voice because he's a conceited character i love that i love that it also it it feels like how the good guy would sing in old stuff it, which makes him an outdated stereotype and even in the way he sings like he is such a chauvinistic man's man that even in the 1700s, he's viewed as like, boy, you're really left in the past, Gaston. You you could be a little more progressive. 
Like just him saying like I'm going to make Belle my wife. Like, yeah, he's yeah. very. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, what the hell the guy uh, the 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 Mountie the Bullwinkle oh, Mountie. Oh yeah, like Dudley Do Right. There you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll pay the rent. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. With, with that line that you just sung, uh, Belle goes. You know, there must be more than this provincial life. We get the very good James Baxter camera spin around oh, her. Oh God, yeah, the full turn. Like that's some of the most. Uh, you know, we said underanimated stuff. Her walk through the town and that turnaround, like everybody's moving there. Like they, it's only for about, you know, five seconds, but man, they're moving. You know, it's, is it as many bystanders walking around as say in Whisper of the Heart from 95? No, no, it's not. But still, it's, it's a lot of people moving. Yeah. They don't have a lot of time, which is why when there's a mob later, it's mostly shadows, Mm -hmm. shadows on trees (laughs) and uh, silhouettes. But Uh, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I also wrote down the Gaston. Gaston is such a chauvinistic guy who is so forward with her. He takes over a verse of her own song. Like, right. That's how pushy he is. He like talks over her, yeah. right? He, <laughs> yeah. He's mansplaining uh, Belle to her. <laughs> so, yeah, I like as the song is sort of uh, coming to an end, uh, she almost kind of notices everyone doing like there's some, she's nothing like the rest of us or mm-hmm. whatever. Or there's something wrong with her. And she's like, oh, are you guys singing about me? <laughs> but <laughs> but she kind of goes about her way. I love that. It, it almost reminds me of... Uh, yeah, you know, in the Muppet Christmas Carol a few years later, they had a similar gag where they're singing about, uh, here comes Mr. Humbug. And then at the end of the song, they're singing about Scrooge. Scrooge turns around and look at him. They all like go, ah, and they just uh, pretend they weren't singing about the guy. <laughs> yeah, as soon as Belle turns around, everyone kind of goes about their business like, oh, shit, she knew we were singing the chorus. Oh, man, let's keep talking behind her back. <laughs> she hears a bonjour. And bonjour. this is this is when Gaston greets Belle. He takes away her book, and they do He's a little. talking like a real pickup artist. Here. Yeah, <laughs> you have to damage their property, I guess, to hit on them. Uh, uh, he holds he holds it vertically and he asks, you know, how can you read this? There's no pictures. They were doing a Playboy centerfold joke, gentlemen. Wow, yeah, yeah, you're right. He's looking for the pornography. He's like, where's the porn oh, in this book? Oh, that's great. Wow, yeah. I didn't even catch that. Putting it sideways, looking for the foldout. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and uh, it's part of the theme of the story, though, because Gaston doesn't care what Belle is into at all. Mm-hmm. He just thinks she's hot, and she is. Yeah. But he's like, well, I don't care about your interests, and I think they're stupid. Let me show you. <laughs> yeah. Here's how dumb your fucking books are, bitch. Like, but yeah. you're. you're so hot and isn't it great that i love you like let's get to it you know yeah i mean he's thinking about what would make the most beautiful children i guess he's also like a eugenics minded guy of like well we're the prettiest people in town i'm the high school football captain you're the prettiest girl you uh, you're prom queen let's do this time to breed yep time to breed so he throws her book in the mud he's trashing this book all over this movie uh, even though a sheep already bit a page off of it <laughs> this book is in trouble oh yeah i love uh the 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 long time of him fucking up that book that's so great the, it, it follows through in multiple scenes then yeah, the reaction shots of those triplets, too. I love the, what's wrong with her? She's crazy. He's gorgeous. Ah, uh, so good. Bell tells Gaston he's absolutely primeval, and he <laughs> thinks it's a compliment because he's stupid. And she also tells him, you know, some people like to use their imaginations when mm-hmm. she's talking about how, why there are no pictures in the book. Uh, you know what? If Gaston didn't live in such a poor provincial town, he could just have a polyamorous thing going with those triplets. You know, yeah, I guess three girls and him. Moral standards were different at the time. Yeah, this yeah. is a very Christian country. I, I, I assume. Uh, yeah, the French were—they're pretty Christian. I mean, they—they they got the uh, Notre Dame. Yeah, there's, there's some Catholics floating around in there. Yeah, yeah. Tell us in the comments how religious the French are. <laughs> so Gaston wants Belle to pay attention to him he wants bell to go to the tavern and check out his trophies 
I love the amount of uh, drinking in this movie. Yeah. And the oh amount of God. being in a bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Again, reminds me of the Ichabod short. Yeah. Uh, all the, there's a lot of drinking there. And I love how inappropriate it is. Like, mm-hmm. the, this is why, uh, you know, it was all downhill after 1991 for kids. <laughs> you know, unlike The Little Mermaid, this one doesn't have smoking in it, though. So it didn't have to have this, oh. the, hey, don't smoke thing beforehand. I guess there was no smoking. You're right. Yeah. I mean, they get the, you know, there's fire stuff with uh, with old Lumiere, but no no character plays around with the pipe. There's no pipe humor like in, in Little Mermaid. They got a note from the censors. No, no pipe humor. <laughs> no pipe jokes. <laughs> And, uh, yes, LeFou uh, laughs at the idea of Belle going to see Maurice because, you know, he's a crazy old loon. He needs all the help he can get. So mm-hmm. we see what the townspeople think of everybody. They love Gaston. They think Belle is a weirdo, and mm-hmm. they think Maurice is crazy. She's the daughter of a crazy guy. I guess, yeah, the, pretty much the town just thinks, oh, isn't it sad that this crazy guy had a hot daughter? Like, yeah. he, she should be, it makes it harder for us to have a maker of Total Outcast like we do Maurice. Yeah, I mean, after watching this movie a few times, I think Maurice does need, like, a social worker to check in on him or yeah, something. He yeah. needs, like, a, just, like, a, a wellness check every now and then, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they don't have that kind of care at the time yeah. in France. Now, they, they, I think they have a much better social services system there but yeah better than the, us <laughs> i also love the little bit that gets on he has just enough sense to go like oh wait i shouldn't laugh at her dad right in front of her hey yeah that's right don't laugh at him <laughs> but then he can't not join in with the laughing when the thing explodes i yeah i guess too that it shows bell taking care of maurice shows that uh perhaps her own relationship with her father treats her to want to not judge people by their uh, appearances as much or also want to take care of people like you know uh, say a sad lonely beast in a castle yeah yeah i mean uh she's uh, just uh, explains more of her personality she's she's loving she's caring and mm. she doesn't uh, i mean looking at maurice you might think he is crazy but this is wood chopping machine it works uh, twice in the movie yeah his contraption actually works yeah so she enters the cellar of the house. It's full of smoke. Uh, we see that Maurice is stuck in a barrel. He's got to smash his way out. He's sort of wearing <laughs> it as a skirt. Uh, uh, but we do see uh, the first of, sh- of two shots of comical boxer shorts in this movie. Yeah, that's right. Two ho- yeah, that, to know that in a 1700s uh, small town in France, they still had hard-covered boxer shorts. These are polka dot. The other oh. ones we see are hearts. So they oh, got two, okay. two kinds of uh, boxer <laughs> short jokes. See, this is the HD difference. Uh, yeah. You can tell the difference between boxer uh, polka dots and the hearts on it. Not on VHS, but mm-hmm. let's meet Maurice on our next clip here. Are you all right, Papa? I, I'm, I'm about ready to give up in this hunk of junk. You always say that. I mean it this time. I'll never get this boneheaded contraption to work. Yes, you will. And you'll win first prize at the fair tomorrow. <sighs> and become a world-famous inventor. You really believe that? I always have. Well, what are we waiting for? I'll have this thing fixed in no time. Hand me that... Uh, the, the don't make it clicking. I got a new book. Papa, do you think I'm odd? My daughter? Odd? Where would you get an idea like that? Oh, I don't know. It's just that I'm not sure I fit in here. There's no one I can really talk to. What about that Gaston? He's a handsome fellow. He's handsome, all right, and rude and conceited and... Oh, Papa, he's not for me. Well, don't you worry, because this invention's going to be the start of a new life for us. I think that's done it. Now, let's give it a try. 
And yes, this uh, Rube Goldbergian device uh, <laughs> whirs into life and actually cuts the logs as intended, but mm-hmm. it also sends them whizzing across the room, so they're just breaking things, too, yeah. inside of the workshop. Well, I guess his plan is that the spring would fling him into the wood pile, but... I one think one lands in there. Yeah, but then the other hits him right in the head. I, th- I think later in the movie, Chip points out, this is kind of like a murder machine. Yes, just yeah. Dri- dri- drive it into battle. It's like Homer's electric hammer. <laughs> yes, But it's yeah. like mounted on a, on a vehicle. It's quite dangerous really uh but i love that she supports him no matter what like she's a very nice uh kid and did i also though like that maurice supports her being outside of uh, society's norms a little bit but he still thinks like well gaston he's like a handsome guy shouldn't you want to be with him he looks yeah. good yeah. gaston is so beloved even bell's dad is like he's pretty cool right <laughs> he seems cool <laughs> I, I mean I, I don't know i think i'd marry him if i were you <laughs> uh, there was going to be more of maurice in the movie there was mm. going to be a sequence and i believe a song at the invention convention oh really but that was cut out and i do find it's odd how much we linger on maurice after this part of the movie because we stick with him for about seven or eight minutes it's with like yeah. no other characters really yeah it's true it's uh, it's a long time we spend with old maurice uh, for a guy who like doesn't factor in a ton at the end of the movie but i i i do like uh marie saying this invention is gonna start uh start a whole new life for us in in a way it does that's true yeah because if he didn't take the invention to out of town then he wouldn't have gotten lost and this whole adventure wouldn't have begun so this is when uh, Maurice leaves. He heads off into the distance. And man, uh, the tone changes immediately. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, they are so economical in this movie, and I like it because... Mm-hmm. Uh, he's immediately in this uh, this creepy wood wooded area. Oh yeah, man the the background's so gorgeous, like so well done by the by the background team. Like there's so much detail in the like three different shots that take him to the uh, that are increasingly you know spookier and scarier. And definitely the the scary forest once he gets to the the fork in the road. That also really reminded me of the Ichabod. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And when he's holding up his lantern to look at the sign with all the faded letters, those are all California cities. You can ah. see towards the bottom, they're easier to read. You can see uh, Valencia and Anaheim. Oh, of course, Anaheim's yeah. at the bottom. Of course, that's like the most important <laughs> Disney city there is. So a little Easter egg out there. That's cute. That's uh, funny. I guess we kind of meet Philippe here, too, because Philippe has a mind of his own. Uh, Maurice wants to go one way. He wants to go another, but... Uh, Maurice gets his way going through this shortcut, as he calls it. Yeah, Philippe's fun. You know, he's he's not too fully featured, but there's some quality horse animation on him. I'd put him right up there with the great work done on Altivo in Rotel Dorado. Right. Yeah. I feel like no matter what they try to do, all of these horses kind of come off the same personality-wise, mm-hmm. and that's fine. <laughs> but when you when you see a horse in an animated Disney movie, you get you kind of understand what it's going to be immediately. Yeah, yeah. Though this is a big like uh, buff Clydesdale. Like he's at least a thicker horse than uh, Phoebus's horse in, in Hunchback. That's true. Know? That yeah. horse does have a name, too, and yeah. I forget what it is. Ah, uh, it's a joke, too. Yeah. Like, Achilles. Achilles heel, yeah. yes. Achilles, and, yes. And uh, Fro- <laughs> Frollo's horse is named, like, uh, Snowball or something. Oh, right, the, yeah. the, the evil black horse. Actually, yeah, his horse and Gaston's horse are pretty similar. Yeah. They, they shop at the same horse store. When did that story take place? <laughs> you know, pretty close together. That's uh, why well, we mentioned it in Hunchback. There's a, in the opening 
Oh. Pan through shot. You can see Belle walking among the people in the That's town. Right. Yeah. Belle moves to Paris after <laughs> this movie. Let's say that her and uh, the prince go on a vacation. Uh, you know, honeymoon vacation takes them to Paris. And they, uh, I mean, wouldn't they want to be there for the uh, Day of Fools? Yeah, but not yeah. for all the fire and the uh, the murder of the Romanis. They got out of town for that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, even though Maurice is a lovable old coot, he immediately blames his horse. He's like, where have you taken us, Philippe? Oh, uh, why that jerk. Yeah, he kind of, he brings this on himself man the the spook torse animation like of him just backing up and bumping up against the tree and when all the bats fly out he's like ah! and just yeah running away oh so good there's man. lots of action here uh, philippe runs with the cart he almost sends him off a steep cliff but maurice like calms him down gets him to back up a little bit Eventually, Maurice gets bucked off. The uh, lantern is shattered, and he's all alone. But not, well, he's not alone because there's a bunch of wolves there now. Yeah, Maurice is scared, and there are wolves after him. Exactly, I wrote. Yeah. just like all old men. Yes, yeah, it happens to all the old men. Uh, but you know, Philippe has much better sense of direction because he is able to just get home with that thing. He, Philippe doesn't get lost in the forest. He knows exactly how to get back to town, and later take uh, Bell right back to where he was. And it's very important that he keeps the cart, and it's very important that the cart is abandoned on top of that hill yeah. in their backyard oh yes 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 man i yes yeah, it's, it's skipping ahead a teeny bit but i feel bad for Mer, uh, philippe that he had to pull that cart all the way back home and then bell's like no we got to get back out there for maurice right now it's like you can kill this uh horse you gotta give him some rest this is not a uh, complaint about the movie but it is funny how much uh, back and forth to the castle there is it's like <laughs> now i'm back now yeah. i'm here now i'm back now <laughs> i'm here it is yeah it's true it's about five uh I guess Bell one, Maurice one, two, three, four. Yeah, uh, he's back and forth twice over in the movie. They make a lot of trips here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yes, there's a moment of calm here. Uh, the wolves are, get Maurice. He runs away. He crosses a log, slides down this hill to see this large gate in front of him. Bam! He's already there. Yep, he's already yeah. at the castle. We're like <laughs> 13 minutes in, I think. Right there, at the yeah. castle, and he's. Left with no choice, you know? This guy doesn't want to intrude into the scary castle, but literally it's like it's either death or go into this castle <laughs> and then the rain starts, so the something is pushing in there. If we if we are to believe in God existing <laughs> in heaven's light perhaps oh. uh, then then this is pushing maurice uh towards the castle i guess it's important to, to show that he's not like uh intruding because he's like pleading for help you know rattling the gates but the gates like give way and they let him in mm -hmm. and then later the door opens for him well he knocks on it and the door opens mm -hmm. so it's not like he's intruding which is it makes the beast even more of a dick yeah yeah i mean you know hey the beast he's been alone for a long time and he jumps to conclusions and he figures everybody hates him so uh i mean key to the beast's problem in this movie is that he assumes that the world hates him and so he pushes them away before they can do that to him like that's that's what he does to he just assumes oh maurice is here to mock me bell couldn't possibly love him all of these things that uh, he he assumes the worst and it makes his life worse but for we can't put our bullies in our own private jails <laughs> it's true yeah I, uh, sometimes I have to remind myself, like, man, this guy's royalty. I don't want to feel too bad for the old beast. But. Yeah, yeah. Where did his money come from? <laughs> but I guess, again, really, he, he's just an online poster who's, uh, you know, sad <laughs> in his in his room all day playing games. It's true. One thing I need to mention, I don't know if I mentioned it on the history segment, so apologies if I'm reiterating this, but at this point in the movie, Be Our Guest was supposed to happen. Oh, really? And it was supposed to be them singing to Maurice. Oh, man. Because in the original story... 
it's kind of trying to say that Belle's father overstays his welcome. He eats too much. He drinks too much. He takes advantage of the hospitality oh. the castle is showing him. And that's why the Beast is extra mad. So after Be Our Guest happens with Maurice, you feel like the Beast would have more of a reason to be upset. Yeah, you know what? That would make it look like more like Maurice is taking advantage of him. That That would spur on his anger more. But I can see why they'd move it. Be Our Guest is more fun if it's sung to Belle than Maurice, uh, yeah. I think. Plus, it it cuts down on, then what, we're spending like another five minutes with Maurice and not Belle? It's true. I think they were viewing like story reels or the movie in storyboard form, and somebody timidly said like, what if they sing Be Our Guest to Belle? Mm. And then they joked like, we'll send it to the cleanup department. They'll have to clean it up so much that they turn Maurice into Belle. <laughs> but basically, I, I think the staging didn't change just the character in oh, the song changed. Wow, that's yeah. fine. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. But yeah, it was a choice for the better, I think. <laughs> I think so too. Less yes. Maurice. Yeah. Uh, let's hear him enter the castle. Hello. Hello. Maybe he'll go away. Is someone there? Not a word, Lemmy. Not one word. I, I don't mean to intrude, but. I've lost my horse, and, and I need a place to stay for the night. Oh, Cogsworth, have a heart. <laughs> oh, of course, monsieur, you're welcome here. Who said that? Over here. Where? Hello. <gasps> Incredible. Well, now you've done it, Lumiere. Splendid. Just... Ah! How is this accomplished? Put me down at once. Stop that. <laughs> Stop that, I said. <laughs> Ow! Ah! Ah! Sir, close that at once. Do you mind? So, uh, Cogsworth uh, is getting his dignity stripped away because Maurice is an inventor. He's like, how do these mechanical creations work? Yeah, he's, He doesn't believe that they're living things yet. He's some sort of automaton. Yeah, I love... I like the reaction of Cogsworth as one that it, the winding up seems to be that it's like scrunching his face or it's like his brain is being twisted up. He's like, <laughs> but yeah, the way he closes his uh, chest cavity is he's almost like, hey, you're, you're messing with my privates here, buddy. Yeah. Like, do you mind? He's sticking around in his guts. Uh, I swear that shot of Lumiere saying hello was like in every trailer. Yeah, as a kid. Yeah. yeah. It's like, hey, do you like funny accents? <laughs> oh, this guy's got one for you. Boy, does he. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's such an extreme French accent. Hey, Dre Orbach, not French, but doing a good job there. Oh, yes. Maybe yeah. Orbach is a French last name, but he's, he's an American. I mean, yeah, he's a, an, a, a, uh, an American Jewish man mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, which not, not to say there aren't french jewish people but they, they it's true they yeah. exist uh but i also a very the, there's not as many like certainly not compared to aladdin of like uh current day jokes in this movie but the windshield wiper gag yeah. of, of his clockwork uh thing well cogsworth that that's kind of a current joke yeah even then though there's not like any pop culture references mm -hmm. but yeah i guess uh they, they they could be a little too uh in the past to know what a windshield wiper is yeah 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 it's but, it moves like an automatic windshield wiper but they offer uh maurice some basic hospitality it's not like a br guest style number it's like we're gonna give you a blanket mm -hmm. we're gonna put you in front of a fire mm -hmm. and uh yeah maurice uh i believe he he's a little resistant to this at first yeah i mean he's a poor old man but he's like you know you know you are soaked to the bone but he yeah it, it shows that he's confused by it at first certainly but also he's like you know what i 
I, I I guess it helps that Maurice is kind of a weirdo. So even though he is kind of confused, he's like, you know what? Yeah, this this friendly hat rack's gonna give me give me a blanket, and here's uh here's some talking <laughs> dishware. Sure, let's let's get to it. The the hat rack is sort of like a bathroom attendant. He's like doing all of the most menial <laughs> things for people. Uh, but you know what? He's also really great at playing the uh, the violin. Later. That's true. Yeah, I but forgot about that. Maybe partially, Maurice is thinking, well, those uh, I must have blacked out while the while those wolves killed me. So I guess I'm in heaven. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Maybe heaven's a creepy old castle where a candle talks to you. Yeah. Uh, Cogsworth is not happy about this. He's hanging on to the back of Maurice's cape, losing mm. gears, and we see the oh, shadow I love of the when beast. He falls down the stairs. Yeah. That's such good animation. But we also see the shadow of the beast Ooh. appear for the first time. And we haven't really seen him in full yet. We won't really see his full form until he comes into the light when Bell asks him to later, like 20 minutes into the movie. Yeah, right? but Beast is, you know, he's a loner. He doesn't want people touching his stuff. Like, he's just, he's a crazy old hermit. He's hes coming down from his, his gaming PC to be like, what are you doing here? Get out. <laughs> Look who came down to say hi. <laughs> Beast, your aunt's here. <laughs> she came all the way from Milwaukee. I gotta go. I'm sorry. <laughs> Fortnite. So, uh. The tea tray comes in. He rolls over Cogsworth, which is just complaining. He's complaining constantly about the situation. Uh, we meet Mrs. Potts, mm-hmm. who pours uh, scalding water into her son's brain and says, <laughs> uh, and she says, suck on my son. It's nice and fun. Oh, man. You know what? I'm not, I'm not putting this out there, but I feel weird when adult characters are sucking on this little boy in yeah. cup form. <laughs> hey, the kid likes it. Oh, God. What am I saying? No, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Especially when it's Emma Watson. When I saw this, uh, when I saw the Emma Watson version, just a clip of it, when she's like sucking on Chip, and I'm just like, I'm th- I'm thinking too much about what's happening here. And, mm-hmm. and she's like, he's like, that tickles. Yeah, the tickling is. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, it's very strange. Well, also, when the kid, the they have mouths, and but and he has a chip in his own tooth, his actual like little tooth, but. What does the chip mean in his head? Like, oh. has, did he take a fall and his, hurt his head? His skull is fractured. What? Well, <laughs> you know, uh, there's an unanswered question in this movie. And you know what? This is a very innocent movie. It's very cute and charming. I'm putting the darkness onto it. They don't, do not intend to mean this at all. But when I think of, like, Mrs. Potts, like, locking him in a cabinet with his brothers, like, who are these other children? And why, does yeah. she, why is she in command of all of these orphans? Yeah, I know. I, I assume, uh, well, because also, he calls her mama, but when yeah. they become human... She is m- too old to have had given birth to like a seven year old. Like, yeah, she's like you know. sixty five years yeah. old. This old lady. So I assume that uh, when the mansion got enchanted, that they must have had of uh, like orphans or the children of the servants all live there. And he was, you know, an orphan uh, of a foundling or something. And Potts took him as his own and. Will soon raise him to be a perfect servant like all of the yeah. other manservants in this place. I think the Beast's uh, family was just scooping up urchins and turning them into <laughs> servants. Well, I guess, too, Beast's parents are dead then. I mean, I guess. one must assume there's no king or queen mentioned. He's just the prince. So. I think that's another reason why the other movie is 40 minutes longer. Yeah. The, because they view all these things as plot holes that need to be explained. Yeah, which, I mean, hey, we're asking for them to be explained. But then when they made the movie to explain them, we didn't care to watch it. So maybe the fault is ours perhaps well you know it's a very good movie but they do one cardinal sin in my book and that's when uh the door slams open the fire goes out and chip says "Uh oh Oh, yes yeah that's pretty bad i hate that i hate it so i hate what uh, i mean you've heard podcasts where that's happening i just Mm -hmm. it it makes my skin crawl i hate Uh it so much oh yeah there's you know that reminds me of the other cliche can you believe in that new thor movie which is mostly all right but not great (laughs) they actually do a 
not as a joke or as like ironic thor actually says they're right behind me aren't they and oh. it, they just mean it it's not as a postmodern thing at all he just says they're right behind me aren't they in the way it's actually meant like oh, i couldn't believe they did over that. 20 years ago futurama won up that joke by having the character say actually i'm in front of you yes yeah once once the comedy did that then you can't yeah. do it like yeah it's uh and i mean also this movie does have a well that went well except it's pot saying that didn't go very well did it so at the very least she's not being like ironic or she's not saying that happened (laughs) well (laughs) but yeah the beast is here i love uh this first reveal not in full but I like how I think it's a product of them not having a lot of time and money. But I like how sometimes the beast is off model, especially when they have yeah. to make him more animalistic. So his eyes seem to be bigger. He seems to be more angular when he's uh, first in this room in the doorway. And I love how he looks in that first like full body appearance. Oh man, and he's cr- walking around in all fours. Like this too shows over time the body language of beast changes, and this is him at his lowest like at his most beast like he's forgotten what it's like to be a man and he's just walking around in all fours glaring at this guy not wearing a shirt and just going like oh man what the fuck dude and i also like the cogsworth instantly becomes brainy smurf of like it was everybody else and i told him not to they didn't want this while, while also hiding under the carpet yes yeah. uh <laughs> let's hear the beast speak for the first time There's a stranger here Master, allow me to explain. The gentleman was lost in the woods. He was cold and wet, so... Master, I'd like to take this moment to say... I was against this from the start. It was all his fault. I tried to stop them. Would they listen to me? (laughs) Who are you? What are you doing here? I I, I was lost in the woods and... and You're not welcome here! I'm sorry. What are you staring at? Nothing. So, you've come to stare at the beast, have you? Please, I meant no harm. I I just needed a place to stay. I'll give you a place to stay. Oh, Oh, please! There you have it. Pretty harsh. Pretty harsh. But so... Looking at it from Beast's uh, angle, you know, probably nobody comes to this castle anymore because he scares them all away because he doesn't want anybody there. And he thinks, oh, here's come somebody in here to make fun of me or gawk at the Beast. Well, I'll teach you a lesson to you and anybody else who'd want to come in here. Yeah. Again, I think moving Be Our Guest makes this make more sense thematically because uh, he's more about uh, being wounded about his appearance and he is mad about a guy eating all of his gray stuff. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, this takes... Uh, like you said, I think it worked better in the original that the, this they want to make Maurice a harmless old man, but I like that bit in the original better that he's kind of just rude and then he's like, you know, can I just have this? I'm going to take a rose too. He's like, that's it. Too far, <laughs> buddy. I gave you all this nice stuff. You won't get rose one. <laughs> but but yeah, the uh, I just his reaction like, so you've come to stare at the beast, have you? Like that just says so much about beast that he's hates how much he looks that he thinks somebody coming here to gawk at him that's the final straw and he's gonna he's gonna lock this guy up maybe forever until he's he's dead i guess why does this castle have a prison in the first place uh, hey come on <laughs> castles if you got a castle you gotta have a prison that's true yeah, you get who 
when well, you got to send some people to the dungeon if they if they piss off the, the royalty you got to throw them in there i feel the beast is going to be a harsh ruler now oh, yes yeah <laughs> i can't recall if there are actual bones in that dungeon i don't think there are because that would be too dark but yeah certainly his family before him killed people in that dungeon for yeah. sure uh, again we have to ask questions and i'm sure <laughs> the movie that i won't watch will yeah. answer them yep yeah so we've seen a cart and a horse but in this next scene uh gaston puts the cart before the horse <laughs> and decides to have a wedding party on Belle's front lawn before even asking her to marry him mm -hmm. and he despite being such a traditional man he doesn't even think to ask Maurice for approval but I guess because he is such a chauvinistic guy he's like well whatever I want is mine mm -hmm. and that he set up an entire wedding party before proposing and saying like and we're getting married right now so i'll see you guys in just a minute and i i just love how everyone in the town fucking loves this guy love because him. he's like first i better go in and propose to the girl and they're all like ah oh, you're you're hilarious oh man yeah i know like this town sucks bell song is right this this is the exact town that will let this guy lead them into a bloodthirsty killing spree yes <laughs> Uh, the triplets are all very sad. They're weeping. Uh, uh, I mean, count the amount of times LeFou gets hit with something because he jumps the gun. He strikes up the band too early. He gets the tuba smashed on his head and his little lips come out the uh, mouthpiece. <laughs> That's very Looney Tunes. Yeah. yeah. I Also, the branch smacking him in the face too. It, it almost feels like they were counting the scenes of like, Mm, a kid hasn't laughed in in four seconds have something hit lefou we yeah need that. they said when in doubt uh hit lefou mm -hmm. hey you you never feel bad for him because he's such a little dick mm -hmm. you know i wish there was like one post-credits lefou scene he yeah. really disappears the last thing you see of him is just running out of town i mean honestly everybody who runs out of the castle you never see him again i i believe in the we're talking about the live action one so much but <laughs> as i know from the articles about how lefou's gay in the new movie that he dances with a man at the end of the movie so i do think they tie up that loose end more so he gets redeemed after leading the attack on the castle with gaston i guess okay i look i don't know yeah we apologize for this uh all these 2017 diversions but it's it's on the back of our mind yes I think. yeah but who but who cares lefou here he's really funny him striking up the band and and also that Gaston's best friend is like this three foot tall uh, fawning nerd. It was like <laughs> not even he doesn't even look like a human being. Like Gaston no, no. is a fairly realistically drawn human being. He is he is a Warner Brothers Looney Tune character. <laughs> yeah. I love LeFou. He's great. He's great, yeah. And yeah, Belle's at home. Uh Gaston's at the door. She's looking through this peephole gadget, and I love the needless fun animation of the distortion of the fisheye lens. Yeah. Which makes him look hideous. Oh, so great. And also I really love uh, this little subtle thing of when she puts down her book, she leaves it open and then like places her hand on it to spread out the pages more to be like, oh, don't turn the page. I mm. want to get back to this one page. And she's very careful with her with her reading. Yes, which just sets it up to be fucked up more by Gaston yeah. in the next shot. As soon as he puts his muddy boots down on it. But yeah, yeah. he intrudes upon her house. Tells her how lucky she is mm -hmm. and immediately gets distracted by the mirror. I love this little flourish of animation where he's like cleaning his teeth with his tongue and he smiles at himself. Oh, man. He's, yeah. He's constantly like distracted by reflections of himself and it's great. He's like <laughs> it's narcissist. So funny. Yeah, he can't. He's like, I was just telling. And he just checks his teeth like and then when he once he's licked his incisor, which also that's something, too, that like is a great evil design on him. That whenever he talks, it's not flat teeth how you would draw the teeth on most Disney characters. His incisors do give him little fangs That's just true, to, yeah. to put a little more danger to him, I think. Let's hear Belle reject him in this next clip. This is the day your dreams come true. What do you know about my dreams, Gaston? Plenty. Here, picture this. 
a rustic hunting lodge, my latest kill roasting on the fire, and my little wife massaging my feet. While the little ones play on the floor with the dogs. We'll have six or seven. Dogs? No, Belle. Strapping boys like me. Imagine that. And do you know who that little wife will be? Let me think. You, Belle. Gaston, I'm... I'm... speechless. I really don't know what to say. <laughs> say you'll marry me. I'm very sorry, Gaston, but... but... I just don't deserve you. What? <laughs> I'll have Belle for my wife. Make no mistake about that. He's, he's very Biff Tannen. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm going to marry you, Lorraine. <laughs> he's the, yeah, he won't take no for an answer, this guy. Man, all of his animation is so great and, like, scary and jerky. Like, he's he's legitimately scary to me the way that as she keeps backing away from him, his body language is just like, no, I'm going to keep coming. He, like, actually shoves a chair down to the floor and he's kind closer. of pinned against the door too uh, yeah it's it's scary yeah. like he's uh that's why like you oh god when he says six or seven he's like no big strapping boys like me <laughs> like ooh, god that's a that, that's like a death sentence and I, I forgot how much like sass bell has to her but like even in the opening song like she is very passive aggressive to him yeah but he's too stupid to understand <laughs> that it's passive aggression oh i love her like i just don't deserve you like yeah and uh man it's such a funny funny bit of him coming out of the mud with the pig on his head so you think like oh he's literally a pig because he's that's how he acts but oh and two i i feel like they changed the outline of his character to be like darker to because he's all muddy yeah like, yeah yeah with caps they can do that now i think they, they mentioned that on the commentary it's like we don't have to have black lines anymore oh that's great yeah, yeah you you can definitely read him as muddier and same with LeFou when he's thrown in there. I also love LeFou's just talking to the pig like, gee, and the pig's like, rrr, rrr. that That's the one time LeFou is put off by uh, Gaston's behavior. Maybe it happens again, but it's he's usually on board even when he's being beaten by him. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, when he's with the insane asylum guy, that's when he's actually dunking on Gaston like, yeah, she's said, no, this guy's crazy. <laughs> like, but what a what a jerk Gaston is, just like barging into her house saying, you gotta marry me. She tells him, Tells him no, but Gaston is not the type of guy to take no for an answer. That's true. We're going to mm -hmm. see more of that later with his evil plot. And then, uh, guess what, folks? The opening song isn't over. We're 20 <laughs> minutes into the movie, and she's like, you know what? How about another verse? Yeah. And she sings like mockingly about, can you imagine me being Miss Gaston and singing to the animals? Very, very Snow White behavior here. Oh, yeah, it's great. But it, with the kind of sass, Snow White, prim and proper yeah. Snow White would never show. That's true. Yeah. I just meant being adjacent to animals and singing to them. <laughs> it's funny because she's passive-aggressive when she's around him but when he's gone she's like fuck this guy i hate him so much <laughs> yeah you know what honestly snow white would just say like oh this guy wants to marry me well i guess i should then i just met him and he wants to marry me okay yay i do it like but yeah Belle going like madame gaston can you just see it and her sarcastic act outs of putting the like making a little shawl head. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and her, uh, when she's feeding the birds while she does it also good yeah yeah i think she's just feeding the animals to calm down and that then we get like the i want adventure in the great wide somewhere and then we yeah. get the big spinning sound of music yeah uh, yeah shots. that's her big uh this is her i want song yeah. i guess yeah she's saying i want she's <laughs> yeah, doing it totally man maurice 
they're they're poor in money it seems or, or simple in money but they got a big backyard that's their land rich i think i guess so i want to see where the property line ends on that place mm, that's true is this just a backyard or somebody else's old yard yeah i though maybe i i could see maurice being a doc brown type who came from you know a land rich family who just wasted all the money on his stupid inventions mm. and then married married a wife who died a long time ago that gave birth to bell well i yeah. guess in the original story maurice was a merchant who had kind of failed a business and they had to move to like a cottage so maybe right, land land yeah. was cheaper in the country you know he's a bit like Torenko from uh, dragon quest 4 that's right yeah. or Torneco. Torneco. that's him yes, yeah but yeah 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 he's, he's he looks a bit like him actually mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i guess m- more like slightly middle, middle east garb you could turn him into a torneco yeah it's true uh, he's he is more of a uh, a middle eastern style uh businessman yeah they both have mustaches though that's true and yeah very economical because as the song is ending bell is like letting oh. these dandelion scenes blow across the shot of her yeah i i did just want to say the shot of her spinning around like so good that's some james baxter like uh highlight reel stuff right there man. absolutely yeah yeah and uh, it would not happen without the sound of music unfortunately that's but true that's it's true. hey if you want to spin around on a hill you got to pay julie <laughs> andrews five bucks <laughs> it's a law she invented it so the song ends with you know i want so much more than they've got planned we see these dandelion scenes floating across the way and it's very economical because they float across and then Philippe just emerges from the woods. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. But again, I feel so bad for him. He's got to go straight back into the woods. Like this, this horse was running for like a whole day, you know, he's, he's tired. Apparently, like if you go to see the human again, uh, segment they deleted, uh, it explains like, well, I guess Philippe was just being uh, boarded at the beast castle. He was being taken care of very well. It seems. Okay. Well, that's yeah. good. Yeah. I, I would assume they, you know, it's a big castle. They must have a stables. Like, yeah. Oh, they do. <laughs> Check out Human again. Uh, but yeah, Philippe, he's he's got it kind of rough. I, I didn't realize this whole stuff about taking care of horses until I watched that cowboy movie, The Searchers, where it's a plot point of hmm. they are chasing after a group of Native Americans who are evil. But, uh, but in it, one character is saying, we got to keep riding our horses to him right now. And John Wayne says, no, you idiot. We got to rest our horses now. Your horse is going to die if you ride it all night and you won't catch up with him. But the headstrong kid rushes forward with his horse and his horse does get run to death and die. And mm. John Wayne is catches back up with him the next morning like, well, come on, pilgrim, and pulled him up on his horse. So, movie's yeah. all about proper horse breaks. Yes. Yeah. You got to take care of those horses. We're telling gamers to hydrate. We need to tell mm. horses to hydrate. <laughs> take some breaks, uh, hydrate, you know, mm. get some vitamin D. <laughs> It'll be fine. Uh, yeah. Philippe emerges from the, the hills. He's pulling the cart behind him. Bell unhooks it. She says to Philippe, you must take me to my father. And this is when the prop is left on the hill so it can eventually roll down mm-hmm. into the cellar. Although somebody must have taken that tarp off of it in the meantime. Maybe mm-hmm. Chip. Maybe Chip. Yeah, let's say Chip does. Yeah, yeah. With, with his teeth or something. <laughs> and then, like, uh, again, ec- uh, economical storytelling. Bam, right at the castle. Right there. The plot-relevant wolves did not strike her on the way. <laughs> you know, they were sleepy. It yeah. was hard. They were... You know, it's like uh, in Elden Ring. Those wolves, uh, they're they're sleepy in the daytime. That's true. Yeah, That's when yeah. you can sneak up on them. But yeah, I guess <laughs> they, they, they were wolves. They were happy with Maurice's shoe. They took away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, and that hat he fell, he dropped in the one shot. She finds it right mm-hmm. there. Very, very smart telling storytelling there too. So Belle enters the castle. Oh, keep quiet, could we? Just had to invite him to stay, didn't we? Serve him tea, sit in the master's chair, pet the pooch. I was trying to be hospitable. Hello? Is anyone here? Hello? Papa? Papa? Are you here? 
Mama, there's a girl in the castle. Now, Chip, I'll not have you making up such wild stories. Really, Mama? I saw her. Not another word. But Into the tub. What girl? I saw a girl in the castle. See, I told ya. <laughs> Irresponsible, devil-may-care, waxy-eared, slack-jawed... Papa? Did you see that? It's a girl. I know it's a girl. Don't you see? She's the one, the girl we have been waiting for. She has come to break the spell. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> you know, I, I was wondering if the other household, or sorry, the other castle subjects are jealous of Cogsworth because he has kind of functional arms and legs. Mm, that's but true. Lumiere just has like kind of stumps, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. His stumps can't. You know, he's pretty good with those stumps, but yeah, Cogsworth has a pretty good deal of all the, I guess, you know, the footstool dog has the most motion of all that, that matches up one-to-one -one with his uh, real life guy, but Cogsworth, you know, he's short like most of the others, but he's got arms. I, it has to be pretty frustrating for, say, that uh, sexy French maid to have no arms and legs. Yeah, I, I feel bad for anything that's just a head in this movie, too. Oh, Mrs. Potts with her giant head, like her just giant pumpkin head. A hopping head. Yeah, but uh, in the... Uh, that answers the question there, because at the end of the movie, Lumiere says, eh, you know, it was me who said she'd break the spell. And Cogsworth goes, no, 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 I believe it was me. Oh, that little slap fight they had? Yeah, okay. that right there. Lumiere says she's the one who will break the spell. And Cogsworth doesn't believe. He's like, wait a minute. So Lumiere is right at the end of the movie. Yeah, they should have had a clip there. I have a clip ready for this <laughs> to prove you wrong. Well, now now it's the answer. But I, I also love Cogsworth's animation on Pet de Pooch, like his, his big mockish uh, uh french accent he puts on for that any scene with them together I'm, i enjoy i love their uh, adversarial relationships so. yeah it's it's so much fun chip chip meanwhile they give him all of the stuff for the kids to enjoy like later he's the kids in the audience going like oh i don't get this mushy stuff what is all this but here they have chip doing the thing they love kids uh in movies to do of like nobody believes him and then when the adults are proven wrong he's like i told you that like that was the dream as a kid to prove a pair to prove an adult wrong i normally don't like these cutesy schmutzy characters uh but i i don't mind chip yeah. i don't mind chip I, going into this i thought he might annoy me but <laughs> they 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 use him enough and the things he says are funny although he gets the last line in the movie and it kind of sucks yeah but, it's true. Uh, yeah i sleep in a drawer <laughs> <laughs> yeah chip i think it helps that he is so inhuman being a cop that i don't think of him as an annoying yeah. adorable tyke you know and he's not as like i don't know there's something about the way flounder goes like i'm not a guppy like he's uh chip's not as uh pushy i guess or jerky and he's an action hero later in the movie yeah, he yeah. saves the day he's just a fun kid so Belle is exploring the castle uh cogsworth and lumiere are following her she climbs a spiral staircase Lumiere hides nicely in this alcove. I guess they can kind of disguise their faces. Yeah, they do that yeah. when Maurice comes in. Their faces kind of like emerge from their flesh or whatever. Yeah, I guess that pays off in the guerrilla warfare later that they do on uh, on them. Yeah, I, though, how did, how did Lumiere get up in that alcove exactly? Did he uh, he can climb. He can jump. Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, is the especially if you look at when he has to use his thumb in a certain way, you oh, really yeah. have to just look at like sure is his uh, gold rims around his the end of his things just kind of can stick out sometimes and grab onto stuff like a thumb. Yeah, yeah. they're like uh, the Terminator, right? Uh, yeah, they can just kind of morph. That's true. He is he is kind of you know wax is uh, not unlike liquid metal. Yeah, yeah, where's his brain in that thing, anyways? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, if he got melted all the way down at the end of the movie like he did, would he have died or could he have been 
Would he just be like melted wax? There's, there's, and is his tongue wax? Or I, I have a lot of questions. He's not like Charmander. When his flames go out, he doesn't die. That's yeah, yeah. He he can turn his flames on and off and just create fire himself too. Which that's not exactly how candles work. But not really, no. But I guess he is magic. That wax know? is powerful. Yeah. <laughs> so she climbs the staircase. She hits the top, and she hears her father's voice crying out for her. And it turns out Maurice very sick because he's one of these. The characters in a movie that as soon as like a, a speck of rain hits them, it's, they have pneumonia immediately. Mm, hey, you know what? He's like sixty in the seventeen hundreds before yeah. before penicillin existed. You know, he's he's probably not long for this world. That's true. But Maurice is a good character because he says to Mabel, you know, no, no, go away. Like you don't want to be here. Don't worry about me. Your safety is yeah. more important. Well, get out of here right now. Yeah, and even when later he'll he'll tell her like, no, I I'm old. I've lived my life. Like don't give <laughs> up your entire life for this. I, I'd rather die. Yeah. But uh, she's instantly pulled away by uh, the beast with his uh, huge paw. Yes. And her torch flies into a puddle, which, you know, robs us of a cool reveal. Won't come until later. So mm -hmm. still, we are like almost 25 minutes into the movie, have not seen the beast in full yet in light. Yes. Oh, big, scary beast. He's so terrifying, man. And he's uh, their Their first interaction is so great and interesting. Like that. I, I said it before how important it is that. She doesn't know about the spell and how it can be broken because that would add weird pressure on her to fall in love with him. Yeah, and it wouldn't make a true love like we said earlier. And and same here that she she says take me instead. It would be creepy if B said, "Well, how about you stay yes. here?" And then rubs yes. his hands together, mm -hmm, licks mm -hmm. his lips. Well, no, I mean uh, we'll get to we'll play the clip very soon, but I, I love beast uh trying to be ferocious but also uh you can tell he's also very insecure so mm -hmm. like he's he's like screaming and roaring at these uh intruders but when bell uh says come into the light let me see you he like is insecurely like kind of creeping forward with, yeah. with his like feet first mm -hmm. so I, I love the the mixed emotions they play with him because yeah, he yeah. wants to be this formidable force but he's all actually just a very wounded insecure man yeah oh you're right such an interesting guy he's one of the most interesting dudes in a disney movie they've ever done usually the princess gets all the interesting stuff yeah. and usually whenever he yells at bell or you know is mean uh, a second later he's like oh i fucked up oh, yeah, i like, suck oh, so man. much uh. why do i push people away <laughs> no wonder nobody came to my birthday party <laughs> uh let's hear bell offer to stay take me instead you you take his place bell no you don't know what you're doing if i did would you let him go? Yes. But you must promise to stay here forever. Come into the light. <gasps> no, Bill! I won't let you do this! You have my word. Done! No, Belle, listen to me. I'm old. I've lived my life. Wait. Belle! Wait! No, please spare my daughter. Please. She's no longer your concern. No. Take him to the village. Let me out! Please let me out! Sounds like cicadas. Yeah, I, I was like, what the hell was this thing before it was a walking carriage? Like, well, that's the castle's giant spider. It got turned into a carriage. I guess it's just an enchanted carriage then. Yeah. But it, I like how it's been rooted in the ground like he to show that he's not gone anywhere or done anything for so long that it has to pull itself up out of there. 
let's say that magic carriage walked a long time uh, at night and nobody saw it because certainly yeah. uh, someone would stop and gawk at that. I guess it is pretty dark and, and I think snowy too. So yeah, I, you know what? Uh, Belle is right. It was pretty mean to just rip him away from her. And then I, I guess it should be read as the beast being thoughtless, not cruel. That he's just like, well, all right, she said, get out of here. And like, there, we're done. Uh, when And then afterwards he realizes, I guess she would want to say goodbye to this guy, yeah. wouldn't she? Yeah. I mean, he gave him a free trip home. Yeah. Uh, presumably a safe trip home. What but more does she want? <laughs> the, uh, the reveal is great because uh, the, when you see his face, it's like from Belle's perspective looking up, but he's also being lit from above by the moonlight. Yeah. So it's very, very distorted and very, very creepy. Mm-hmm. God, everything like his, he has horns and a snout and, and the teeth uh, up from his upper jaw like he is terrifying and gigantic too like yeah you can see why she gasps in in fright at, at this big huge monster man and the beast uh, i assume he's going back upstairs to the to the cells i don't know what the layout of the castle but lumiere is still in the alcove of that uh, spiral staircase oh yeah that makes sense because she went up that staircase to then find maurice so she must be going back down he went down and up again yeah there, he, he went down to throw him into that spider carriage and yeah. then he's, he's coming back up and lumiere is like you know why don't you give her a nicer room <laughs> then again maybe not yeah i, I like that little reaction they get so much mileage out of the comedy of his fire going off and on over and over again. Though I also have questions too when he when he heats up uh, Cogsworth. So Cogsworth feels paid. Like him being lit on fire or being burnt by the uh, wick does hurt him. Hmm. So makes me wonder, like, how much pain do they feel? These are Toy you know? Story questions, I think, right? Mm, yes, yeah, yeah. Definitely in Toy Story, I was like, well, well, what would it matter to Woody if he fell, like, you know, 30 feet? Like, he, he's a stuffed, he's mostly just stuffed. He gets scraped a little bit, but it wouldn't hurt, right? Or yeah, would it? None, of these, none of these things die in the upcoming battle, though. Mm. None of these objects die. <laughs> Fortunately, that'd be pretty sad if one of them got cracked in half, and then once the magic, <laughs> oh, no. when they were human again, it was just like a mangled corpse. <laughs> I like to imagine that as soon as that dog footstool turns into a dog, it just dies immediately, because <laughs> dogs don't live that long. It's like, yeah. being a footstool kept that dog alive. That's true. Yeah, he would have died like five years earlier, this old dog. But only a bird dies in this movie, no dogs. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so the beast, uh, he's going back up to Belle's cell. He sees her crying. We see the beast uh, does feel a lot of guilt about this. Like there's a lot of guilt playing over his face when she sees when he sees that she is not very happy about this. But he still has to, uh, you know, put on a gruff persona. But, he, but when he's asking Belle, can I show you your room? He has to stammer, you know, uh, do, do, do you want to stay here? Yeah. Oh, man. I love that. I love the, the acting on his face. Like, there's so much great subtle acting, again, with a face that doesn't exist. Like, so they're able to uh, get all this emotion on, on a face that is not real. Like, they can't uh, get as much, you know, live action reference for it. But just his the the reaction on his face when he's like, ah, right. When she's saying, like, you didn't even let me say goodbye. He's like, oh, man, I messed up. And. And yeah, when he's doing that really anxious action thing, like, well, you, you want to stay in the tower? Uh, you want to you want to stay in the tower? It reminded me of uh, Felix Biederman on Chapo Trap House has this great point about just anxious dudes in the world and how they don't know what to do with like their energy. Like, <laughs> what, what? What do you want from me? What? 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 Like, that's that's how I feel about 
beast here. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's feeling guilt, but he also has to, to be like, no, uh, you're going to do what I tell you, but I'm still uh, offering you something nicer. Yeah, yeah. So I, like, I'm trying to sell it as like a command rather than, you know, look at, <laughs> I'm going to bring you somewhere nicer. And uh, there's something too, in, in a lot of these, uh, this section of the movie, Bell has like an almost Superman-like wisp of hair in the front sticking out that kind of moves around a bit. It, it helps her come off as is really harried in this moment too. yeah she's, yeah. she's often like brushing back a little wisp of hair yeah yeah and uh she's following the beast to her new room uh she's spooked by some gruesome statuary lumiere is trying to break the mood here improve the mood uh, say something to her <laughs> nothing is being said here except you know the castle's your home now you can go wherever you want which is pretty nice yeah uh except the west wing what's mm-hmm. in the west wing Boring monologues. Yes. Written by Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> Whenever they say the West Wing, I'm just thinking of, man, I, I wish that was associated with something else. Yeah. Oh, God, I hate that. Stay yeah, out of the that. West Wing. <laughs> it is very boring. It will ruin democratic politics for you. It really uh, did. Uh, uh, yeah, Bell's like, what's in the bam? Cut off. It's forbidden. It's forbidden. Yeah. Oh, man. And the way it cuts to, you're all close up with them. And then when he cuts her off with like it is forbidden, like it's it's far away, like like the camera has been shoved away by Beast's angry body language too. And he lets her into the bedroom. Lumiere is trying to find ways to improve the situation. He says, "Invite her to dinner." Mm-hmm. And the Beast, being very tactless, says, "You will join me for dinner, and that's not a request. That's not a request." Yeah, yeah it's again. This is an anxious, nerdy guy being told like, uh, "Hey, don't you like this girl? Why didn't you ask her out?" Uh, you look. I gotta go. Bye. You want to go out? Okay. Look, I gotta go. Bye. Yeah. And then, and then, just like in the original story, uh, the original story is like they have dinner every night until she agrees to marry him. Yeah. Basically. yeah. So it's it's kind of uh, adapting that idea in a way. But yeah, Belle's not even happy about this upcoming dinner. She throws herself on the bed in abject misery, and we pull out from the castle through the snowy weather, and we fade it on the village where we push it on the tavern. And Gaston, not very happy. Uh, this actually brought him down, being humiliated yeah. in front of the entire town. <laughs> His surprise uh, wedding plan didn't pay off. Go figure. You know, all these surprise weddings work out so well, usually. Man, yeah, he's... Well, because he is the he's basically the ruler of this town. Like, yeah. Everyone worships him. His wall of fame and trophies is amazing. I love the portrait of him, like his giant portrait. And much like his his bag of pelts... His uh, his giant chair also is just like ba- almost like an Ed Gein style collection of corpses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this giant chair. And throughout the upcoming song, I like the action of him just like turning himself around angrily. He's yeah. like uh, Lafou in the song is trying to be like, let's cheer up Gaston, but he just wants to stare at the fire morosely. Mm-hmm. But you know he's in a bad mood. Not even more beer will cheer him up. Yeah, more beer. Oh, why bother? Like, yeah, he's like, it's more than I could bear. More beer? No, why? I, I, it's such. This is fun. This is a whole lot of fun wordplay here. And uh, basically, LeFou uh, turns Gaston's big, stupid chair around. And this is when we get the song, Gaston. No one's been like Gaston. A king been like Gaston. No one's got a swell cleft in his chin like Gaston. As a specimen, yes, I'm intimidating. I want a guy like Gaston. If I Gaston is the best and the rest is all to rips. No one fights like Gaston, bounces lights like Gaston. In a wrestling match, nobody fights like Gaston. For this Noah is curly and brawny. As you see, I've got biceps to spare. 
Not a bit of him scraggly or scrawny. That's right. And every last inch of me's covered with hair. No one hits like Gaston. That's his wits like Gaston. In a spitting match, nobody spits like Gaston. I'm especially good at expectorating. Tweet! Ten points for Gaston! Villain songs are normally the best songs in the movie, and this one is no exception. I like this one so much. And apparently when they were auditioning uh, actors for LeFou, they had them all sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game because it's just like, take me out to the ball game. It's a very like, this is a drinking song. Wow, you yes, can, you can yeah. See the, you can see the mugs being swung oh, back and forth. Oh, man, yeah, yeah. I didn't even think of it as so similar to that. But yeah, I, I just wrote down like rousing bar ditty. But yes, it's so... Uh, yeah, I love every every bit of this song. It's one of my all-time favorite villain songs. All of this like joking praising for an asshole, like that's why it's it's so funny and eventually they have to they convince Gaston to sing his own song. Like first it's LeFou fawning over him and then everybody else like, "Yeah, no, we love this guy." And then finally Gaston's like, "All right, I am pretty great." Lots of amazing lyrics in this one. I love Ashman working in these uh, very interesting words like expectorating. Oh, yes. Yeah, God. Every, everyone. Yeah, especially good at expectorating. Him breaking the belt with his neck is such a great shot, too. And then he bite, he'll later chew on that belt like it's a, a chunk of tobacco. And, uh, and also... The chesty girl from the opening returns. That's who the guy is talking to when LeFou takes the belt off. Of okay, yeah. okay. And uh, do we see boxers there too? I forget. Yes, we do. Okay, yes, well, yeah. that's, that's number two. That's number two. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, like, I love the, the progress of the song where it's like the first part of just LeFou singing alone where he's like, it's so, I'm so sad to see you like this. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the bar joins in. And then eventually Gaston is like, you know what? I, I do. I do rule. Yeah. And he's got to like basically get into a giant brawl to get back <laughs> back, back on his feet. He's got to juggle the eggs. And uh, yeah, this song is great. And yeah. I, I'm glad there's a drinking song in this classic <laughs> Disney movie. Another of my favorite shots, too, is when all uh, the four guys at the table grab LeFou. And when they go like, no ones, like, like pull him back even farther on the no ones. Love that. And I, I bet I bet that uh, Andreas Deja was happy he didn't have to draw that all that hair all over him in every frame. Oh yes, yeah, man. Oh, I that's another of my favorite too. And he says like uh, every last inch of me covered in hair. He gives a little wink when he says every last inch wink mm. is covered in hair. That's a really fun little bit there. Also, I noticed uh, speaking of cheeky bits, you can notice in the background during the song the trio of gals are like shaking their hips to the song too as well you you gotta look in the background for it but they snuck that in there oh and another of my favorite lines in a wrestling match nobody bites like Gaston, meaning he's a cheater yeah like, yeah actually yeah we'll see that later in the movie well mm-hmm. he's he's like a, a bad sportsmanship in this fight to the death yeah yeah he constantly is stabbing people in the back like he's and and so when you know that he Bites like Gaston, and same when they say like, "Oh yeah, nobody matches wits like Gaston," which is just shoving the chessboard over and beating yeah. up the guy. Uh, no, oh. it's great. It happens at a perfect time in the movie. Once there's this like downbeat moment where it's like, "Well, Belle is imprisoned, and mm. Maurice is uh, in a spider carriage, and the Beast is sad." Well, here's a fun drinking song, yeah. but that's about about like boosting the villain. <laughs> Sometimes I think like, "Boy, what if I only ate eggs all day? Would that really do it for me?" I think it'd be mostly uh, diarrhea and salmonella. <laughs> well, you know what I do know the from listening to community commentary podcasts later as the series of community went on the lead actor on a joel McHale 
got huger and huger. Was he was he thinking he was going to be in a Marvel movie? Uh, well, he actually almost got the Drax role, which oh. uh, Batista, the pro wrestler, plays. So wow. I think he was building up his body to get that role. And they joked that he, on the set, would only eat boiled eggs, like unseasoned boiled eggs, hmm. just over and over all day. And that's what gave him his huge, muscly body that he grew into. I think it make you pretty farty, too. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but I guess uh, all they said that that's all he ate on set. I would guess hmm. he probably had a, a secret meal kit uh, otherwise. But, you know, yeah. I guess Gaston is eating the raw eggs, which is like the old bodybuilder yes, thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I could go for, a, you know, an unseasoned boiled egg. They're pretty good. <laughs> but... But yeah, his his full posing on his like he goes through the three like three different classic bodybuilder poses when he says roughly the size of a barge, and then he almost has to like catch his breath in the in the shot. I when he uh, goes barge, you can yeah. see this crazy like one frame facial animation, him just kind of spouting out air. Yes, it's very oh, cool. So good, man. Yeah. Also, I use Adler's in all of my decorating. Another great. Ro- hey, Roger song. Ebert loved that. That, that line we heard that before <laughs> that's right yeah. uh, so again like operetta style storytelling uh, maurice comes in to break up the song raving like a madman uh, about this beast who locked his daughter away in a dungeon mm. of course they laugh at him they, and, as they should yeah. and they're asking look is it a big beast with a long ugly snout he's like yes actually yeah you're right yeah with a long ugly snout yeah, that's a great line yeah and uh, gaston says oh we'll help you out and they literally help him out by throwing him into the yeah. snow <laughs> what a, that's a great great you know very clever play on words there gaston <laughs> and maurice acting crazy gives gaston an idea crazy old maurice hmm? crazy old maurice hmm LeFou, I'm afraid I've been thinking. A dangerous pastime? I know. But that wacky old coot is Belle's father, and his sanity's only so-so. Now the wheels in my head have been turning since I looked at that loony old man. See, I promised myself I'd be married to Belle, and right now I'm evolving a plan. Yes. Then we got out of this. No, what she? I guess. Now I get it. Let's go. I love how dumb he is because <laughs> he whispers his secret plan to LeFou and then he goes, no one plots like Gaston, yeah. takes cheap shots like Gaston. Uh, uh, then he goes, plans to persecute harmless crackpots like Gaston. So uh, he's like, I'll whisper my secret plan, then I'll sing it out loud for the I'll entire bar. I'll sing it for the whole bar, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so great, God. I just, I also, I love crazy old Maurice. Hmm? Like such, such a big thinking, and also just like, a dangerous pastime? I know. He's uh, not used to thinking. So funny. And you know what? I, I love... Uh, so they, they dance for the final lines of this Gaston song, uh, uh, Gaston and LeFou, and it's fun to pair up this very large character with a squat character as they like waltz yeah. around. Uh, uh, it's so funny. He has to bend over all the way to pick him up and... And then when it turns like, uh, and at my wedding, they'll, they'll all be celebrating. And it's him and LeFou acting out, walking down the aisle together, I which think is very funny. LeFou is gayer in this than he is in the new movie. I think so, too. I think yes, he dances yeah. with Gaston for longer than he dances in that in that 2017 movie. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. man. Oh, God. I just, and also classic Ashman style, Gaston starts this song sad ends it with his plan mm-hmm. to trick Belle into marrying him. And I guess, too, you know, speaking of other Ashman stuff, 
There's a little of the dentist in Gaston, for sure. I think yeah. so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't have the opportunity to date and abuse Belle, yeah, but yeah. he's a big, uh, toxic, masculine jerk. Mm-hmm. They're very similar in that way, and who uh, also causes his own death in the end, too. Yeah, yeah. I guess the Dennis song, it's him uh, singing about like who he is and why he's a badass, and yeah, Gaston yeah. kind of has to be coaxed <laughs> into that, but he eventually does. Yeah, both of them are full of uh, crazy brags that actually show you're awful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gets off on the pain he inflicts yeah though gaston well actually no i was gonna say gaston does brag about killing animals but not bad not finding a pussycat and bashing in its yeah. head yeah poison guppies <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> uh so we pull out from the bar again they're taking advantage of their digital technology we can pull out from the bar through the window in the snowy weather we see maurice looking for lauren saying will no one help will me no one help me oh. and we're back in the castle bell is meeting all the enchanted subjects uh mrs potts comes in to offer a spot of tea which is her job mm-hmm. uh bell backs into the wardrobe who is alive this wardrobe does not have a name no why, what the hell man just just wardrobe yeah though this definitely feels like a smart decision that bell is really scared of this beast guy and so she needs two women to tell her, like, hey, but really, he's not so bad. Yeah. I, I know you might be worried you're thinking the worst about this beast that's holding you captive, but we're all women here, so <laughs> let's just tell you, you don't have to worry too much all about him. All these clocks and candles and stuff, they're all vouching for him. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, let us... we He's actually a pretty good guy, our master. <laughs> oh, I... I'm glad you think your master is so great. I guess we do uh, owe him a lifetime of servitude. Yes, yeah. I would think at least one of these people would be pretty mad at him. I'm like, you know, he should, if you'd have let that uh, beggar woman in, we wouldn't have been turned into all these things for years. You're yeah. a jerk. We have so many rooms. Yeah. <laughs> so they're trying to cheer her up. Uh, Chip does his little bubble trick, which is basically like a little kid blowing bubbles in their milk. Yeah, which is funny. Uh, I, I like her saying, like, oops, sorry. Yes, yeah. And uh, Mrs. Potts is, you know, trying to build Belle up by saying, oh, you were very brave. Mm-hmm. And she she assures her everything will turn out all right. And, and she's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a happy ending. But then she says, you know, look at me jabbering on. I got to put supper on the table. Mm. So, yes, it's dinner time. Uh, the wardrobe is excited to dress Belle for dinner. And she says, let's see what's in my drawers. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's quite a line to say. And then a bunch of mods fly out, which that's a good parody of the or i guess it's kind of like the opening your wallet moths comes out yeah. things but uh, but she does find a, a non-moth-eaten little pink number for bell to wear oh man is bell has some gorgeous dresses here yeah. you know the library is the nicest bit but uh she's got a real good uh she's got a real th- good thing going here how many weddings happen with somebody in this bell dress oh how many man, uh, quinceañeras yeah. i'm sure yeah i mean didn't we just uh they the the people weren't there wearing literally the bell dress but we just went to the palace of fine arts and there were more than one person getting their photo taken at it in a very well a uh, nice dress yes that was bell like bell yes. style but yeah, I, yeah the, I mean we're not we're not quite in the iconic yellow dress but we're getting there mm-hmm. and uh yeah bell thanks her but she says i'm not going to be going to dinner and uh, they they tell her you like you have to go to dinner, but that's when Cogsworth arrives with his dinner is served. Yeah, uh, what a great little uh, he's he's just a happy little butler now. And man, in the in the next bit when the Beast is talking with the candle, I just love how Lumiere's like, "Hey, have you considered she might break the spell?" Of course I have. It's just <laughs> like, "Hey, you, you do you like this girl?" Yeah, of course I do. You asshole! Like, duh. Like, yes, uh, yeah. the Beast is very impatient in our next clip here. What's taking so long? I told her to come down. Why isn't she here yet? Oh, try to be patient, sir. The girl has lost her father and her freedom all in one day. Master, 
Have you thought that perhaps this girl could be the one to break the spell? Of course I have! I'm not a fool. Good! So, you fall in love with her, she falls in love with you, and poof, the spell is broken. We'll be human again by midnight. Oh, it's not that easy, Lumiere. These things take time. But the rose has already begun to wilt. Oh, it's no use. She's so beautiful, and I'm... Well, look at me! Oh, you must help her to see past all that. I don't know how. Well, you can start by making yourself more presentable. Straighten up. Try to act like a gentleman. Ah, yes. When she comes in, give her a dashing, debonair smile. Come, come, show me the smile. But don't frighten the poor girl. Impress her with your rapier wit. But be gentle. Shower her with compliments. But be sincere. And above all, you, you must control, control your temper. temper. <laughs> oh man that's that's also great i love when he says she's so beautiful and well look at me like he kind of puts his hand through his hair and then looks at his hand and he's like and then presents his hand like well look at me like i'm a monster yeah and he's turning into more of an animal every day to the oh. point where he does not use a spoon later yeah i love he's walking on all fours pacing oh, yeah. around and then when she says act like a gentleman stand up straight he then just stands up like a uh, dog like he's he's like yeah. stay he was told to yeah do. he's like pacing in front of the fire like a dog mm -hmm. yeah uh, and then after the scene uh the door opens the beast thinks bell's about to enter but it's cogsworth not happy to see cogsworth oh man yeah i oh and also he's when he said like give us a big smile and it's just this oh the scary smile that he has of him bearing his fangs so great what a great drawing and uh she wants to know or he wants to know well where is she mm -hmm. and cogsworth he tries to stall but he eventually has to admit uh she's not coming mm -hmm. and then we hear what, what? <laughs> he explodes out of the room pounces up the stairs and starts banging on the door very forceful and angry Potts, Lumiere, and Cogs with all shaking their heads like, God, he's never going to get it. He's too yeah. angry. Uh, this guy, he's been alone like this. My bachelor friend has been alone too long. He, I, I, He's really failing on this blind date I set him up on. And uh, they plead with him like, please be a gentleman. Yeah. And he says, but she's being so difficult. Oh, man. That's also the, what a great choice this was. They could have cut back and forth to show you, Belle. But this is so much better that it's be it's the whole time beast reacting to her voice behind a door and just mm -hmm. the way he like gestures to the door and goes like like uh i love it we're man. gonna hear we're not gonna see the great animation but i just love him on the other side of the door just trying to reason with her but he can't keep it under control mm. and this is when pot says you know gently gently so he tries a new approach uh, as best he can in our next clip here will you come down to dinner no <laughs> suave it would give me great pleasure if you would join me for dinner. <laughs> Please. No, thank you. You can't stay in there forever. Yes, I can. Fine. Then go ahead and starve. If she doesn't eat with me, then she doesn't eat at all. Oh, dear. That didn't go very well at all, did it? Lumiere? Stand watch at the door and inform me at once if there is the slightest change. You can count on me, Mon Capitaine. Well, we might as well go downstairs and start cleaning up. Uh, yeah, I really love after his first angry request, uh, he, and she says no. He like looks at the cast of subjects and he's like, "See what I'm dealing yeah, with like, here? See, I'm trying." Yeah. Uh, you guys, you can't blame me. I'm trying here, guys. But man, I just 
I also love when he says, please. And she politely, passive aggressively says, no, thank you. Yeah. Uh, man. And the tantrum acting like the incredibly childish tantrum, he gives like, then go ahead and starve and just his scream on that he throws his arms out like oh love it love it love i it. also like well uh, i think when he asked like if you would join me for dinner mm. like the hair is raised on his back like yeah. an animal like an angry animal oh he's so pissed off man but then you know i also think like this he then storms off to his room and basically like start stalking her on social media like yeah well she well she going to a party without me is that what she's doing uh, i saw you like the picture of me on the mirror at 2 a.m <laughs> what's going on there why'd you visit my linkedin page <laughs> well what's going on yes uh they make a lot of jokes in the commentary that i'm surprised they kept on the official release they make jokes about it, like the beast must do a lot of pooping in here it must smell really bad <laughs> Because the West Wing is not only where he keeps the roads, it's where he's like at his most animalistic. So he's like Man. eating prey in there. He's shitting in the corner. Yeah. Oh, the corner, of course. Exactly. Yeah. No. Hey, th this is what the director said, not me. Wow, that's so funny. My mind didn't even go there, but the director is like, yeah, that's true, though. I guess as a beast, he could take himself out for a walk and just poop in the woods when he that's needs true. to. What but... if you're depressed? Yeah, it's true. The way he is so sad, he probably is just piddling in the corner. Yeah, yeah I guess. But it is kind of creepy. He's like, show me the girl. It's like, you yeah. can just peep on the bell if you want to with this. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. But I guess he only wanted to do that to feel bad. Like, then once she says, I don't want to know him at all, then he's like, I thought so. She hates me. And another petal falls from the rose. We see it's not the first one. So his 21st birthday is coming up. Ooh, boy. It's not going to be a fun blowout like most of ours were. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh you, you know again beauty and the beast is one of my favorite stories too and like the equivalent of it in marvel comics is also another of my favorite uh characters too like the thing is also a beauty and the beast style guy like he even has the big blue eyes of the beast and and the thing in fantastic four is he's right under spider-man as my favorite guy and they mm. though they go even more obvious with his beauty and the beast thing they, they actually gave him a, a girlfriend it, this is like 50 years ago they gave him a girlfriend who is blind i was gonna say yes. she's got to be blind yep it's a blind girlfriend but don't worry they they have much more sensitive portrayals of her currently than they did in the 60s she's time. blind and her hands are numb so she can't feel the rocky <laughs> exterior uh, no she actually is a she's a sculptor a blind ah, sculptor yes perfect uh, which led to better but better writers later were like, oh, that proves that, see, I'm not blind. I see you better than anybody because I've sculpted you from memory. So it's very sweet. Yes. But uh, that's Alicia Masters with uh, with old Ben Grimm, blue eyes thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. So uh, later that night, Belle is peeking out in the hallway, seeing if the coast is clear, seeing if the coast is clear, rather. And she leaves her room. Lumiere abandoned his post to make out with the uh, the feather duster. Those curtains are not catching on fire and it confuses mm -hmm. me. But mm -hmm. hey, yeah, it's magic true. fire. <laughs> Yeah, let's say that. Well, it does burn a guy later, though. Yeah. But She yeah. says, uh, I've been burned by you before. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's cute. You know, no means no, Lumiere, when she says no, yes, no. It's like, but I guess we're functioning with old uh, French movie style no and yes. Here. Yes, it's this like uh, this Randy Frenchman who it's it's yeah. all it's all it's all in fun. Yeah, that's but see Cogsworth is an Englishman should have learned this Frenchman is far too horny to stay on guard duty. Mm -hmm. He shouldn't have left him there doing it. You can't man. trust him when there's a woman around. Uh, but yes, I've been burned by you before is a very funny thing to say. And meanwhile, uh, Mrs. Potts is ushering Chip into bed with his brothers and sisters. Again, that always confuses me. Yeah. But I, I, yeah. With her child army, she puts them to bed. <laughs> Who all care. Well, I mean, I guess normally they just hang around and do nothing. Like So it's not like they're serving people all the time. The, the Be Our Guest song is about how much they 
love serving people and they haven't in a very long time. Yes, this movie uh, through a Marxist lens is kind of messed up. Mm. Like you mentioned earlier, it's yeah, like yeah. we only live to serve royalty and we're sad <laughs> that we can't do it in our proper human forms. <laughs> But yes, the the oven is suddenly a character. The I oven is pissed oven. off. I love that his hat, his chef's hat, is also like the stovepipe of his head. It's he's yeah. really cool. Yeah, uh, it's like one of two appearances of the oven in this movie. Very very brief. Mm. He's very fun though. Cogsworth really wants to blame Belle for all of this. Uh, mm. Like he says, you know, he even said, "Please, what does she yeah. want? What this bitch want? <laughs> Jeez, yeah." Although Cogsworth is also smart. That when Potts is about to say the spell and reveal that it's a magic spell to Belle, he cuts her off like, splendid evening, isn't it? Mm, Yeah. And yeah, Potts underlines the fact that, yeah, the beast needs to control his temper. That's like the root of this matter. Mm. Uh, That will will resolve things if it can get his temper under control. So Belle enters the kitchen. Halfway through the film, Cogsworth finally gets to introduce himself. Yeah. Uh, Lumiere, but the Lumiere slides in front of him immediately and, and put, lays it on very thick, like Mademoiselle. Uh, kissing her hand like there's no tomorrow, man. I guess he hasn't seen a human woman in a very long time, I suppose. Yeah. She's, he's been kissing dust busters <laughs> for a long time. She's here. shapelier than a feather duster. <laughs> I don't know. That feather duster's pretty shapely, but... <laughs> But yeah, I also love the little acting on uh, Lumiere's butt is kind of like shoving away Cogsworth so he can't yeah. interrupt the kisses. He's got to maneuver around his his uh, pointy butt. Yes. Yeah. And they want to know, like, how can we make you more comfortable? And she confesses to being hungry. And Mrs. Mrs. Potts is very excited. Stoke the fire. Break out the silver. Wake the china. Wake the china. That asks a lot of questions there, too. Yeah. And Cogsworth doesn't want any of this to happen because he thinks the beast will be pissed off. He's like, okay, just get her a crust of bread and a glass of water. Mm. Lumiere says, but she's our guest. She's not the prisoner. Yeah. She's our guest. Yeah. And that's when, uh, you know, we'll keep it down. But he also says, but what is dinner without a little music? See, all of that keep it down stuff, that works better when it's, it actually does wake the beast when it's Maurice, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that is true. Because uh, apparently the beast is sulking so much and in, in on Mirror Book so long <laughs> that he doesn't even see or hear any of this happening. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or if he does, he just goes like, who mm, cares? I don't care. Mm. So, uh, yeah, we have Be Our Guest. Be our guest. Be our guest. Put our service to the test. Tie your napkin round your neck, sherry, and we provide the rest. Soup du jour, hot hors d'oeuvre. Why, we only live to serve. Try the gray stuff. It's delicious. Don't believe me? Ask the dishes. They can sing. They can dance. After all, miss, this is France. And a dinner here is never second best. Go on, unfold your menu. Take a glance and then you'll be our guest. We our guest. Be our guest. Be frank with cheese souffle. Pie and pudding on flambe. We'll prepare and serve with flair a culinary cabaret. You're alone and you're scared, but the banquet's all prepared. No one's gloomy or complaining while the flatware's entertaining. We tell jokes, I do tricks with my fellow candlesticks. Put it all in perfect taste that you can bear. Come on and lick your glass. You want your own stressed it's fine dining we suggest be our guest be our guest be our guest yeah okay it's it's a good song amazing song uh but again i think i've seen my vest too much because i heard that uh not first but more <laughs> mm-hmm. look but, i get it but, but you know it couldn't exist without this but it's a great sequence no as as a kid it was my favorite song uh today 
probably Beauty and the Beast is my favorite song or Gaston, but this is close to it. Like, it's such a great party song. Like, all now that we've done the Renaissance so much, they each of them have the party song Under the Sea, Friend yeah. Like Me, I Can't Wait to Be King. And I guess the Upsy Daisy song in uh, Hunchback. Oh, Topsy Turvy. Topsy Turvy, yeah. Yeah, yeah those, are, those are all the party songs, but this one is so much fun. Like, it's just so big. All of these anthropomorphic things going around, and thanks to their 3D technology, they can stuff it full with so many things. And they get to just make this a performance. Yes. Uh, where, uh, like, it's like the rare song in this movie that is just a performance for a character. Oh, man, it just, uh, yeah, that like we proudly present your dinner like oh what a great song like, I, I think we like sung this in school too i think we were singing oh, really? disney songs in school at some point <laughs> at, like some kind of like uh winter or summer concert it was like all disney songs and this is one of them oh, obviously fun. if it was yeah. like 1994 you'd be yeah. including this one <laughs> i mean that's uh if i'm a music teacher that's how i'm gonna get kids to pay attention in my class for sure yeah i uh let, let me just say in the disney parks this is one of the most like present things in all the disney parks the be our guest song in particular like for one thing, if you go to the Red Rose Tavern in Disneyland, you can have the Gray Stuff Gateau, hmm. uh, which is, uh, this is the description, and I've had it. It's, it's a tasty little treat. White chocolate mousse, red velvet cake, and raspberry center, all on a little uh, uh, little cracker type thing. So, I thought it was supposed to be like pate in the movie. That is what it's supposed to be, but they turn it into a dessert. That, that's much better that's, than torturing uh, a goose. <laughs> but So yes, that you can have that at the Red Rose Tavern, which... I believe got a renaming in Fantasyland to make it, you know, Red Rose from from Disney uh, or from the movie. Meanwhile, the Magic Kingdom, they go even bigger. You can go to the Be Our Guest restaurant, which creates the entire dining hall and you can eat in it. Like wow, it's that wow. huge. Yeah. I mean, how lucky were they to stumble upon this? Uh, I, I mean, how many times has Be Our Guest been used in like every Disney marketing thing ever? Yeah. Like for like. Especially around this time, like for Disneyland, Disney World, like we want you to be our guest. Man, you're so right. Yeah, they use this in so many things. Like, yeah, I, and also to, to speak to how well done this is, they redid this whole sequence of be our guest for that uh, that Philhar Magic ride that's in the park. Mm. It's not as good. They because mm. they do it all CGI, and oh. you know it doesn't age as well as all of this. Yeah, yeah, it still looks amazing. I mean, some of the CGI in this is a little old. Uh, oh, but how good can a plate yeah. look, really? If they made a plate now, it'd look mostly that's true. like that. But that's that's why they don't show it that much. That's mm -hmm. why like the, the Eiffel Tower forks is very limited. <laughs> Which the Eiffel Tower built in 1887 so yes yeah, hey. not uh, not correct there were other towers <laughs> but yeah the everything the dancing in the 3d the the and when he says beef ragout cheese souffle pie and pudding on flambe that is what the four things are the dance by mm. as well it's yeah man the dishes and cutlery all dancing around the fucking the beer stein spitting beer back into each other though if you think about that uh too much if they're, if all they're of just them all are puking alive. into each other's mouths. <laughs> just all these different dudes puking into blech, each other. <laughs> uh, I like the little like torch song bridge where Lumiere is singing about like life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. <laughs> He's not whole without a soul to wait upon. And uh, it's like the good old days are gone. The snow falling from the sky is salt. Mm -hmm. uh, Cogsworth being very annoyed. Uh, 
by the end of the song, he's been won over. He's like, yeah. he's dancing like lustily. I love it. Yeah, yeah. It's with like his tongue can, hanging out of his mouth. It's like he got drunk during the song. Yeah, I love that he's when he's trying to be a spoil sport. They that's when they like put him uncomfortably in the spotlight, and he's like, um, where am I? Where am I? I gotta get out of here. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, the big finish with Lumiere, uh, all of the CGI candles they bend upwards at, through a huge line. We zoom through them, oh, and he does this man. like kick dance without feet. Yes. Yeah. Oh God, the way they have to have his like bottom part stick out more he's like course by course uh also all of the candles flipping up to reveal him at the end obviously this has been a reference to tons of classic musicals but it made me think of big gay al's song that we just did in in the south park movie oh you're right which yeah. reveals his penis at the end of it of course. <laughs> that's right okay i guess it was a reference to uh this or that just that general like uh, musical move in general yeah. just it could be like a bunch of like legs lifting or whatever, or yeah, like like yeah. hats going up or something. I think it's like hats or maybe like giant feathers moving yeah. away. But uh, oh, and the Esther Williams routine that the spoons do—that's yeah. a lot of fun too. Yeah. And he's using—it's very cute. He's using like a, a match as a cane and like the candle snuffer as a hat, you yeah. know, to do a little oh. dance. And also, I love uh, that Angel Lansbury. She gets a little bit of the song too. She gets a verse like. Uh, that she's uh, oh heavens bless is that a spot we'll clean it up we got the company impressed yeah they really like the guest yeah they, they <laughs> I gathered yeah. <laughs> hey Bart is right it's catchy I love too that the in the uh, see my vest Angela Lansbury in that one shows up to say like uh, the, kill two for matching clogs that's her line it <laughs> but uh, yeah that was be my guest oh man the big group shot at the end of it I think is the even more impressive than the one at the uh, uh, at the end of Under the Sea, and right up there with Friend Like Me. Friend Like Me is, I say it's slightly more challenging because it's more like animals and stuff instead of just you know plates and glasses that they're easier in forks that are easier to repeat. I think, but yeah, still, I remember seeing the finale shot of the song in like all the commercials because I saw the commercials way more than I ever saw the movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. How what a gift to commercials to end it with. Be our guest. I, I think I will. Yeah. Let's go to the theater, honey. <laughs> so the song that wraps... Oh, and, and have you seen the oh. Jerry Orbach singing at the Oscars uh, clip? Yeah. I think I have in my lifetime, but not recently. It's, they they, they performed it at that Oscars, right? Yes, yeah, okay. because... Uh, I said it in the history, but three songs... There's five right. nominees and three of the songs from this were in it. They didn't perform Beauty and the Beast that way, but they basically did the bell song, the opening song most of it 80 percent of it and then jerry orbach comes out and sings it and he does a whole kick line at the end for the course oh, wow. by course it's it's amazing that old man's kicking his feet up in the air yeah yeah he's he's uh pretty lively even then at like 60 something nice yeah, yeah. i'll have to check that clip out again mm -hmm. uh the song raps cogsworth is really changed his tune mm -hmm. uh, but then he points at his face saying look at the time <laughs> now it's off to bed good joke um uh, but she can't go to bed this is her first night in enchanted castle cogsworth laughs at that idea but a fork runs by him proving her point basically uh, i loved her going like uh, oh you revealed it she's like uh, i figured it out myself guys i'm not an idiot like come on so uh, cogsworth is a bit reluctant to let her look around but she sweet talks him into giving a tour mm -hmm. and cogsworth is giving the tour he even has the cute tour guide jokes like if it ain't broke don't fix oh, it love that yeah. that's how i live my life now man i write funny jokes to say around <laughs> a bit of history i well also how her i love that you for a second think it might not work on him when she says like oh i bet uh you know everything about the castle actually 
Yes, I do. Yeah, she can tell what this guy's all about. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Cogsworth, uh, you know, walking through the hall of the uh, suits of armor. They're all turning their heads to look at Belle. She passes by, and, she, and he goes, as you were, and they all turn their heads back. <laughs> yeah, and they have it. These suits of armor I haven't seen a lady in a long time. Yeah, yeah. they're lonely. <laughs> uh, but, yes, as he's going on about the flying buttresses, but he realizes he's alone in the hallway because he was just going on for too long. But... So Belle is taking this opportunity to creep away to the stairs. Cogsworth and Lumiere jump in front of her because she wants to go to the West Wing. But they try to say, oh, it's dull. It's dusty. It's boring. Don't go there. Mm -hmm. And they try to figure out a place for her to go next. And Belle perks up at the mention of a library. Mm -hmm. So uh, arm in arm, Cogsworth and Lumiere just march off towards the library by talking about how great it is. And Belle's like, now's my chance. Yeah. uh, It's West Wing time. I love this shot of them bounding off together. Though at the very least, Lumiere... Puts that library information in his back pocket to be a good wingman for Beast later when he needs that yeah. information. Show yeah. the library. <laughs> uh, so Belle, again, walking through this hallway full of creepy statues. Uh, she passes a shattered mirror. Really cool. Yeah. Oh, that's why Cogsworth and Lumiere have to dance away because it's serious time now. No time yeah. for joke characters. Yeah. Uh, we'll see, like Belle will see the shattered mirror. She'll let her see the slash portrait. So mm. it's like, this guy does not like seeing himself. I wonder uh, why. I love this shot of... Her introspective face, like, what? She's, like, moving it back up to see what he used to look like. And I like how the audience doesn't get to see it. Like, we could tell that she is seeing the fixed portrait as she lifts the canvas, Mm -hmm. but we don't get to see that. Yeah, it's denied us until until we get to see his uh, conventionally attractive but boring face at the end of the film. He's pretty boring. (laughs) But uh, she's in the West Wing. Her attention is drawn to the rose, of course. It's a magic floating rose. Yeah, I, I pull my attention. She lifts the bell jar. Before she can touch the rose, though, the beast appears. He's very angry, but he's not like attacking Bell. He just like clutches the bell jar. He puts it back on. It's like, don't touch this. Yeah, he's like, you almost know what you did. Like, I mean, if she did destroy the rose, that probably would have ended the spell right there. I was watching very carefully of like, okay, he doesn't actually like physically touch her or shove her. But he gets so close to it by tipping over tables and stuff near her that you can definitely see that she rightly is fearful for her physical safety. Yeah. yeah, I guess like they're not intending to say this. The one thing, the one bad thing I think you can take away from this movie is if someone is, ab- is abusive, mm. you could be like, well, they they don't know how to express their love or they're, yeah. they're caught up in their own bullshit and I, I have to get through to them. It's like if someone is throwing furniture around your apartment, uh, uh, honey, get out of there. Yeah, get out, which she does. <laughs> yeah, she does yeah. do that, but yeah. That doesn't mean that like, oh, this guy's smashing up furniture. He just feels so passionate about things. Like, yeah that's why it's a fairy tale yes yeah yeah that's the don't apply this to real life folks yeah <laughs> uh let's hear trouble in the west wing why did you come here i'm sorry i warned you never to come here i didn't mean any harm do you realize what you could have done stop get out no get Or no promise. I can't stay here another minute. Oh no, wait. Please. Please wait. So we talked mm. about it in the first part, but yeah, the whole like Stockholm syndrome thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's bullshit, uh, I think, because she he says get out. You're allowed to leave. Yeah, Go. she does. And then she leaves again later. Yeah, she fully this is her leaving. She can choose to return or not. Like from this point on, it is her choosing to be there. Like, yeah, I don't I, I don't love the Stockholm Syndrome thing. I mean, 
I really love the shot though when after he screams get out the second she leaves the room you can see yeah. his rage turn to sadness of like I did it I fucked up oh man and also another proof that she's a perfect Disney princess she can run down the stairs and put on her cloak <laughs> in one fluid movement those princesses have to deal with a lot of stairs yeah. like very big staircases <laughs> in and, dresses yeah. yeah in long dresses and they have to in a fluid motion put on a shawl while moving too but yeah i mean she's like promise to no, know i gotta get out of here but like it is snowing really hard like she's gonna freeze to death too out there let yeah. alone the wolves i don't know how far away this is from uh the village but she mm -hmm. jumps on philippe who was always there uh mm -hmm. we find out that he's like taking good care of and um human again but he gets freaked out immediately like they don't waste a lot of time because the wolves are just on on her tail immediately yeah man they've been waiting those wolves have been waiting i mean it's a pretty cold winter. They, if you're a wolf, you're like, there's, there's something to eat. Here's one foolish thing that isn't, isn't hibernating. Time to rip it apart. Uh, and this one shot they do of like Philippe running towards the camera with the wolves behind him. It feels a bit like the Lion King's uh, with oh, the wildebeest yeah. stampede. Yeah, yeah it feels a, a bit like that. Yeah, it's a good like scary tracking shot. And also the, the design of the wolves, they're slightly cartoony, but they're mostly just scary. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they chase Philippe onto this frozen pond. Uh, he falls through, which is kind of terrifying, but yeah. he makes his way back out. You can see one of the wolves was not so lucky. Like, oh, man. Like, yeah, this is a dangerous place to be. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, again, I'm reminded that, like, oh, how good of swimmers are horses? Well, because they're, they have gigantic lungs that are basically a balloon. They float mm. really well. So, yeah, he, he gets out of there. But, yeah, Belle, her hair is loose in this, too, which makes this, like, extra, like, wild and scary. But also got hot. Everyone's yeah. hair comes loose when it's uh, go time. Like even Gaston, his hair comes uh, yeah. un unribboned. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Belle makes it to a clearing, is surrounded by wolves. She falls off Philippe. He gets his bridle stuck on this tree branch. Uh, so such great stuff too. Like, yeah, oh, now she can't, she can't run away. Philippe's going to be just left there to be torn apart by wolves. But she, she's not going to let that happen. So she stays there to help him and is swinging at wolves. But they're going to overwhelm her like she's dead. Like, yeah. she's about to die. She hits one with the stick to get it off of Philippe, but one grabs a stick and breaks it, so she's kind of screwed. Mm -hmm. But that's when the beast appears at the right time, and I love how this fight between him and the wolves is kind of clumsy. Like, he's not a superhero. Mm -hmm. They're hurting him. Yeah. He is fighting like a clumsy, enraged animal. Yeah. Not like a, like, like a sleek killing machine or not like a trained fighter. He's oh. just like animal rage when there's happening. like a dozen wolves all over him just biting him all yeah. over ripping at his cloak like and he's he's in so much pain but yeah i mean that is again one of my favorite shots from as a kid too because i was like oh this scary monster is on your side wouldn't you want that like isn't that kind of attractive in a way like oh this big scary monster is my friend and he's gonna protect me i like this guy like that's I can see, I can see why people fall in love yeah. with the beast in moments, especially like if this. they have a wolf problem. Yes, like, yeah. Well, no one do anything about these wolves. When he's holding up that wolf and uh, like growling back at it, I'm like, oh man, that's cool. And he definitely cool kills guy. one by throwing it against a tree. That that wolf is dead. That wolf's not getting up. No, no. yeah, it's uh, he. Fortunately, we don't have to watch him kill all the other wolves. But yeah, uh, yeah, he gets ripped his ass apart by them wolves. They man. get scared away. Uh, his arm has got a serious gash in it. He looks at Bell pleadingly before falling over. Oh, Oh, that sad look in his face of just like, uh, it, it almost, it says like, I'm sorry for how I acted. And he's also like, hey, at least I saved you. I'm, I'm glad it's him checking she's alive with his last ounce of strength. And also him going like, you know what? I might just be dead. Eh, fuck it. And he just yeah. falls down. You know what? That's This is a real test moment for Belle. 
if she really hated the beast like this is her chance like okay beast you're dead thanks for saving me loser i'll leave you to uh, freeze to death yeah. out here yeah, or, or like just that. die of your bleeding wound yeah but yeah yeah she takes him back uh, on philippe's back to the castle and then we fade back in to uh, basically her treating his wounds. Like, he wants to lick his open wound like an animal, but she wants to clean it with the hot water. Oh, man. It's so great that he's he's going between acting like an animal and then acting like a little kid moving his arm out of the way for her to touch it with the washcloth. Oh. And I love this little back and forth of, like, whose fault it was. Yeah. And for a second, Bella's the upper hand. And he has to, like, stop himself. He's like, well, 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 well if, you, if you didn't do this, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. yeah but that, that also is a very... 80s rom-com kind of thing yeah like oh i think see there this is just back and forth harry met sally kind of stuff it really here. feels like that I, I there's one thing the b says where uh while bell is listening she looks at the camera and like her eyes go wide she's like yeah. fuming like you just said that <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah it's a really great piece of animation like a little <laughs> wilder than i'm used to seeing them animate her mm-hmm. but yeah this nice back and forth yeah very bickery very like rom-commy but then they, you know, kind of have a peaceful moment, and she gently thanks Beast for saving uh, her, and he says gently, uh, you're welcome. Yeah, and no, so no the, snide back yeah. and forth there. He's like, you're welcome. He genuinely appreciates it. They got over their bullshit. Mm. And this is when uh, Tony J enters the picture. Let's hear Tony J in his, like, 45-second uh, role. <laughs> I don't usually leave the asylum in the middle of the night, but he said you'd make it worth my while. Uh, I'm listening. It's like this. I've got my heart set on marrying Belle, but she needs a little persuasion. <laughs> Turned him down flat. <laughs> Everyone knows her father's a lunatic. He was in here tonight raving about a beast in a castle. Maurice is harmless. The point is, Belle would do anything to keep him from being locked up. <laughs> Yeah, even marry him. So you want me to throw her father into the asylum unless she agrees to marry you? Oh, that is despicable. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) If no one will help me, then I'll go back alone. Is that everything? I don't care what it takes. I'll find that castle and somehow I'll get her out of there. I think we mentioned it before, but the scene with uh, Monsieur Dark mm-hmm. is a lot like the coachman scene, meeting with yeah. Gideon and uh, other guy. Even the bag full of coins. Yeah, yeah, yeah like uh, <laughs> in a smoky tavern, and yeah. they're, they're drinking just like in Pinocchio. Man, you're right, yeah. I think then this is to such an extent that I feel like it's an intentional Pinocchio reference. I, I think so. Man, the animation of him rolling the gold coin against his cheek and then putting it towards the camera and then gripping it in his hand... That's so good. Like, ah, oh, the movement on that. Yeah, oh, we love Tony J. I think one of his earlier roles for Disney before this, uh, he plays uh, Shere Khan in Tailspin. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. that actor is not around anymore. Yeah, he could do a great uh, copy of it for sure. Yeah, I mean, he's he is Shere Khan to me. The, uh, but man, God, every... Uh, you want to see more of this asylum keeper, which is like, uh, you know, an evil government bureaucrat, I suppose, is what he is. I think bribable. A, a fairly accurate portrayal of how mental health was treated in that time period. Just oh, like, yeah, yeah. we'll just shove you in a concrete box because we don't want to deal with you. <laughs> and hey, it's kind of like that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Except the state's not paying for anyone. It's just like, mm. we'll, we'll let you buy a gun and roam the streets. Have fun. Man, now I can't I can't remember the name of it, but there's that movie where Jeffrey Rush played the Marquise de Sade, who was in one of those French loony bins mm. around the same time, and it's about him 
tearing his hair apart up to the end of the movie. But uh, Hugh Jackman is in it. It's and called uh, uh, Going Crackers. Kate Winslet's in it too, and of course uh, she does a nude scene because she always does in movies. But but so does Jeffrey Rush too. If you wanted to see his bare hey, ass, if you wanted, it's equal opportunity. Yeah, yeah, but. Uh, but yeah, also, you know, Maurice barely misses them, and I feel like he should consider bringing a weapon with him, but all he does is bring his, like, maps and shit. Yeah, at this point in the movie, I'm like, seeing how he gets ready for this journey to the to the cold woods, mm-hmm. uh, I'm like, boy, I think he does need somebody to take care of him. Yeah, definitely uh, Belle is right when she asks later to be let go, because she's like, my dad is fucking dead without me. Like, he'd have been, when she checks on him in the start of the movie with the explosion, it's like, she just left him alone for like 20 minutes and he nearly killed himself, you know? Yeah, he needs he needs some help. He's mm. he's not prepared. Yeah, he needs a weapon. He needs like a coat, yeah. maybe. Fortunately, at the end of the movie, it turns out that he has tons of servants around him for the rest of his life. So he'll, he'll live pretty comfortably for the next five years tops, yeah. I'd say, at his age. Yeah, they'll throw him in the wardrobe when he passes. <laughs> uh, so, yes, uh, as soon as he leaves, this is when Gaston, LeFou, and Dark enter the house. LeFou's like, oh, he's not here. Let's just give up. Well, but, it's, yeah, let's head home. Too bad. Yep. And uh, Gaston is committed. Uh, he throws LeFou into a snowbank and says, don't move from that spot until Belle comes back with her father. Mm. And he does stay there for about 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah, he he it becomes a snowman. And when you see him the next time, is his nose is a different color, meaning he's starting to get frostbite out there. But he knows Gaston would like murder him if he doesn't do this, so he's better just stay there. Yeah, I guess uh, there's no reason why he needs to be in disguise, but uh, he does. Yeah, I suppose. Well, I guess the snow just falls in him when he goes, ah, nuts. Yeah. And he just gets like, I guess I'll become a snowman now. <laughs> I'll be undercover. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so at this point, we have to ask ourselves an important question. Is this before or after Belle and the entire castle subjects defeated the evil pipe organ voiced by Tim Curry? <laughs> right that's the inner quill yes. it happens during the uh christmas season and uh that's uh i love the beauty and the beast uh sequels because the story's over right he's not a beast anymore so it's like what if other things happen that we didn't show you so during the the something there in in that part of the movie mm. that is where the second movie happens the enchanted christmas <sighs> that's so silly because i mean the something there song certainly shows like a couple other scenes but it's it's vague enough that it could just be like two days, you know, but or it could be an entire like month or two of winter time. But I think defeating Forte, the evil pipe organ, brought them together and we're <laughs> that, not seeing it on the screen. That's what finally taught them. Man, I've not seen that. And then they wanted to do a whole other side TV series. Like that's the other one that's on there. It's really just three oh. episodes of a canceled TV show. Are those three episodes like within the continuity of the film? I believe so. Okay. I believe it's her in the place when he's still the beast. Their, their hands are tied because Maurice going back out to the castle has to give them like a limited amount of time to bond because otherwise yeah. Maurice is going to be like dead. <laughs> you know, they can't just say Maurice wandered for years through the woods. You know, it's why... It's really smart in the later ones. Uh, you know, Aladdin leaves them with all the char- a lot of the characters intact that they can still have a whole TV show's worth of adventures. Well, meanwhile, Lion King, Tarzan, and Hercules all have years-long mm. gaps in between parts of the movie that you could set a TV show. That's true. I don't know yeah. what they're doing that Lilo and Stitch show from 20 years ago. Oh, that's also after. Okay. It, it takes place after, but then they just basically... S- uh, say oh uh, stitch had all these other experiment brothers and basically oh, yeah. it's a monster of the week and you catch a different experiment they added like week. pokemon to that show yes you you at the very least have to watch the the kids in the hall reunion episode they did of it it 
rules. It's oh, also right. very gay. Yeah, I, I love it. I like, forgot because Kevin McDonald is the voice of one of those guys. Yeah, he's uh, basically he's in a gay relationship with uh, with the big monster man. The little monster guy is with the big monster guy, and then basically his parents come to town. His mom and brothers come to town, and. They're trying to force him to marry someone he doesn't want to marry. And he's like, no, I'm happy as I am now. I see. Wink, wink. And, and of course, Scott Thompson is playing his mom in his Canadian mom <laughs> voice. That's and, great. Uh, Dave Foley is the priest. And Mark McKinney and Bruce McCullough, they're his two brothers. So, and that's yeah. on uh, Disney+. On Disney+. Plus. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a great... It's If you're going to watch one episode of the Lilo and Stitch TV series, watch that it's one. It's all about catching those cousins, apparently. Yeah. Yep, yeah. The yeah. Stitch cousins. And then, of course, by the third one, they have to make up a girl Stitch because they're like, no, we need another girl in this thing. But I look for... Someday we're going to do... We're, we're so Disneyed out at the end of the summer that yeah. it'll, it'll be a little while, but... We'll take a little break. Someday we're going to do Lilo and Stitch, I, and I can't wait. Yes. Yeah. We, we still have many of these movies to cover, believe mm -hmm. it or not. So we're back at the castle. Belle is walking through the snowy courtyard. <laughs> They've just cleaned up Forte's mess. Yes. Celebrated uh, Christmas. Oh, that was a relief. Uh, <laughs> she's daydreaming, walking Philippe. It kind of like nudges her to snap her out of it. And the beach is the beast is watching her. He's clutching his watching uh, her play with a, a footstool dog. Yes, and I just love that she's like, oh, this is all just normal. A footstool is licking my face like a dog. Oh, aren't you cute? She's really gotten used to it. But yeah. the beast is like clutching his wound, looking at her, saying, "I want to do something for her, but what?" <laughs> and uh, Cogsworth mentions like usual things you get for a woman, including promises you don't intend to keep. That's so great. That's a joke for daddies yes. in the audience. All, like, the, all the dads are like, <laughs> and also I guess for moms can go like, that's right. That's what my husband. Does. I mean, that's what your father did. These poor uh, 90s, mar the 90s marrieds. <laughs> yes, yeah. Ma marriage is about lies. That's yeah. what it is. <laughs> yes. uh, Lumiere slides in, as he usually does in front of Cogsworth, mm. with a better idea. Yeah, hey, he's, you know, he's his bro watching out for his bro, helping him with the, with the inside track on what she's into. Yeah, and I like... Uh, you know, compared to his uh, interactions with the with Bell before, like how gentle he is with Bell, like leading her into this room with both oh, hands. Yeah. He tells her to close her eyes. And he's finally wearing a shirt too. That's finally. right. Yeah. Put on some damn clothes. <laughs> he tells her to close her eyes. He like waves her waves his hand in front. I like how he bites his lip with anticipation before oh, he opens the door. That's it's very so great. Cute. And how daintily he takes her hands to walk her in, and that also shows like that Bell is really starting to trust him. That he's like uh, now close your eyes and. You know, before this monster who she feared would rip her apart, she's like, yeah, I'll totally close my eyes in front of you. I trust you. Like, uh, And this whole library, by the way, this led to a very interesting plot point in BoJack Horseman's fifth season. Uh, oh, really? Uh, yes, actually. Okay. Yeah, it's the... Well, I'll never get that it's, far. It's the bell room, if uh, you guys want to know. The, hmm. But uh, the, you, watch it yourself. Uh, the, the folks who know, know. And it's a great scene. But. but he leads her in. He pulls back the curtains. He lets her open her eyes. She sees the entire wall of books. But oh, he's amazing. still insecure about it. And he's like, you, you like it? So, like, he's surprised. Like, he wasn't <laughs> sure. But yeah, this uh, little plan worked. Lumiere is very happy. Chip is confused by all this adult activity. Yeah, these the kids in the audience going like, "What's going on? I don't get this." They're someone hit LeFou again. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't have a kid actually just say, "I don't like this mushy stuff." Like, because Chip actually warms up to the romance stuff in the end. He yeah. actually kind of likes it instead of going like, "Yuck, kissing." Which that was most kids in movies like this back then. That's why I was warned away from it. Like, mm. this is a girl movie about kissing. <laughs> yep, yeah. And you're gay if you liked it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we get a fun little scene of uh, them eating porridge. 
where the beast is just gobbling it down animal style. Uh, and, you know, Bell's using a spoon like a normal person. And Chip kind of nudges the spoon towards Beast. He grabs it, like, like just with his fist. And he can't, like, get it into his mouth. So Bell kind of compromises all in this dialogue free scene by, like, gently lifting the bowl and drinking from it. And he'll yeah. do the same. So it's oh. like... You're not ready for spoons yet. Let's meet halfway. That's so sweet. Like the the look on his face of like trembling as he's reaching out with his giant paw. Like and and yeah, it. Uh, I would say the equivalent is a dude who's been a bachelor for the longest time is like, you know, I make the macaroni and cheese in the pod. Why am I putting it in a bowl? <laughs> why, I just eat out of this pod. Why dirty a bowl? The one bowl I bought from Target's uh, <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. Who who am I putting on airs for? And then somebody comes over. You're like, ah, crap. I I need a second bowl. <laughs> uh, I can't just eat the macaroni and cheese out of this in front of her. And none of those bowls have personalities. <laughs> but it's now we have the song uh, Something There. There's something sweet and almost kind. But he was mean and he was coarse and unrefined And now he's dear and so unsure I wonder why I didn't see it there before She glanced this way, I thought I saw when we touch, she didn't shudder at my paw. No, it can't be. I'll just ignore. But then she's never looked at me that way before. Really great song, uh, telling a story, showing the passage of time, Maurice wandering in the wilderness during this song. <laughs> but I like uh, the choice that they are think singing because they're hiding their emotions from each other. Yeah. And that's a great choice. And I thought Robbie Benson, somebody was singing for him, but no, that's him. They're just not putting that filter on his voice for this ah, song. Because his internal monologue yeah. is not the with all the growls on it. Oh, man, I Yeah, I love this song so much like him. His internal monologue is him going like, and when she didn't shudder at my paw, but then he talks himself out of it like, no, she couldn't like me, but but there maybe is something different. And meanwhile, Belle is having to tell herself like, new and a bit alarming. She, yeah. Like the look on her face of like, this feels crazy, but I think I'm falling in love with the monster <laughs> man. This does what, feel. What silly. would my God say about this? <laughs> this seems like I'm breaking the laws of of Mother Earth. Yeah. That, yeah. The way she sings that uh, that line uh, when she goes a bit alarming uh before uh when she was doing the singing she didn't put that pause in but ashman was like no 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 you have to put that pause in he was mm. doing this directing from his bed and he like he did the the line for her oh. to show her how because she's got to like pause for a second to think of like the word she wants to use yeah that's that that direction makes all the difference on it you know i i know this came up in the little mermaid too that some actors didn't love being directed so uh with such a strong hand as ashman's as others do but I think he makes the right calls most of the time. He does. And we we're talking about The Little Mermaid, how like everything made after that is a reaction to it. And this feels that way, too, because even though it's about like a man and a woman falling in love and kissing and getting married, like it ends with a wedding. 
like in uh, Little Mermaid. Yeah. Belle's got a little more zing to her. She's throwing snowballs at the beast. There's like mm-hmm. it goes from her like showing the beast how to like coax birds nearby to feed them out of his hands and then snowball fight. Mm, yeah, it's yes, really cute. Yeah, yeah. I- I love when her second snowball hits him as he has the giant snowball, like him amassing his giant snowball. But then when she throws the second one, he just drops it on his yeah. own head. Oh, man. And also, what a great metaphor. She's teaching him how to get little birds to come up to him as like as she is starting to get closer oh, yeah. to him, too. Yes. Uh, uh, birds that are not shot in this movie. <laughs> the shot of him covered in birds is so cute. Yes, I love that's that great. picture so much. It's I'm falling in love with the beast as I'm yeah, watching this. It's yeah. a, like uh, in like the look on his face like, oh, I'm doing it. Like yeah. when, when he actually succeeds at feeding like, the birds. Oh, wow, this bird is starting to like me. How nice. Uh, the enchanted objects are all very happy. Uh, they even see their <laughs> something there that wasn't there before yeah and they also they thought they were gonna have to trick her but they're like wow i who'd have thought and who'd have known yeah. uh, we were gonna use deception uh chip is confused i'll tell you when you're older this is when the door shut on beauty and the beast mm-hmm. and then um they're reading together in yeah. front of the fire what a what a good couple of pals they are and that's where when the door shut that's where human again goes uh, and then when the wardrobe jumps into the uh, fountain the splash cuts to the splash of the beast being scrubbed in the tub so so it fits in there very neatly. Yeah, that works good. That's works good. Yeah, I earlier in the movie when more uh, sorry when Lumiere says then we'll be human again in no time like that must have been yeah leftover foreshadowing of the song they cut. It feels yeah. like it because yeah. whenever I hear that now that I know about the cut song, I'm like, oh, it's probably a reference <laughs> to what we will hear, what we should have heard later. And I, yeah, I love the coat rack uh, giving this huge beast uh, a dog bath. Basically, it's he's like a two he's a too large dog in a too small tub. <laughs> yes, and he's God. completely naked. I love I yes I love that he's this giant woolly monster being like washed up and probably his first bath in a long time and just yeah his uh his impossible willingness i guess you needed to see too like no he's hairy all over this is a giant hairy monster man yes uh, uh let's hear about the big plans happening tonight tonight is the night i'm not sure i can do this you don't have time to be timid you must be bold daring bold daring <laughs> there will be music Romantic candlelight, <gasps> provided by myself. And when the moment is right, you confess your love. Yes, I can, I, I, no, I can't. You care for the girl, don't you? <sighs> More than anything. Well then, you must tell her. Voila, oh, you look so, so stupid. Not quite the word I was looking for. Perhaps a little more off the top. <laughs> Your lady awaits. <laughs> I, I love his little like uh, announcements. Yeah, he's so excited. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, uh, and also the beast has like the mane full of ribbons, but they just give him one sensible ribbon in the back. Yes, a lot yeah. of men wearing ribbons in this movie. <laughs> Tying back uh, their hair. I think it is meant to look like the cowardly lion when he gets all oh. uh, made up at the Emerald Castle. You're, to- you're absolutely right about yeah. that. Yes, <laughs> but he doesn't like. I and he's very flat. Stupid. Like yeah, it's so funny. Uh, and yeah, that and again, he is fully naked in this. You see him like the the towel is being wa- washed on his butt, yeah, which I guess. Meanwhile, we're not seeing Belle get ready, but she's being put into like this 
insanely intricate dress when when she's changed out of the dress at the end well when she leaves the castle the next scene i'm just thinking like that had to take 30 minutes to get that thing yeah, yeah. there's got to be like girdles and trusses and all yeah. kinds of mechanics moving around in there fortunately she's got a big strong dresser that can tie up that girdle nice and cinched up. yeah yeah <laughs> so yes this is when we get the titular song beauty and the beast just a little change Small to say the least, both a little scared, neither one prepared, beauty and the beast. Ever just the same, ever a surprise, ever as before, ever just as sure. As the sun will rise Tale as old as time Tune as old as song Bittersweet and strange Finding you can change Learning you were wrong Certain as the sun Rising in the east, tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme, beauty and the beast. And I realized that upon watching this and thinking about the 2002 cut, it's like three songs almost in a row. There's something mm. there, Human Again, Beauty and the Beast, like back to back with like 30 seconds of dialogue between them. Yeah. That might be a bit much because the this has more music than uh, Little Mermaid, but it's not as much music as something like Little Shop of Horrors, which is like, feels to me like 65 to 70% music and yeah, songs. Yeah, yeah. This, I think Human Again right before Beauty and the Beast is too much. Like I think... I think something there that wasn't there before is the great lead into the big love song. And then if you have a little comedy song in between those two, then it kind of lessens the uh, romantic uh, feeling you have. Like, yeah. it's building romance to the most romantic dance sequence there ever was in a in a disney movie probably because like bits of something there are playing behind the bathtub scene so it's like the song is still kind of petering out and then it starts with uh beauty and the beast right after that and mm. yeah iconic sequence we'll talk a lot about it but jeffrey katzenberg loved this song so much that he wanted more verses and ashman had to say unless i rhyme something with yeast i found every word that rhymes with beast <laughs> that's so like funny. a certain as bread <laughs> is filled with yeast <laughs> rising with some yeast oh he already uses yeah. rising in the song too so he can't man that's uh it's so funny yeah he used every possible word that rhymes with beast yeah but i guess jeffrey recognized uh what could be a hit and it mm -hmm. was because uh, celine dion her first like uh i guess breakout hit in america even though it's with peebo bryson no oh, yeah yeah this was her first big big hit in 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 english language yeah. stuff i think yeah and hey if you go to um fieldwork brewery in berkeley try the peebo weizen oh it's a dark beer it's very good mm, it's named after, great named after peebo yeah i i love that song so much at the end of it i though obviously it's also just kind of in the shadow the radio version is in the shadow of the the american tale song that oh, also yeah. had the radio version somewhere uh, out there somewhere out there yeah. yeah i mean i they they served a function but i never like the contemporary pop versions <laughs> of these songs you know i like them as the song you hear exiting a movie theater yeah but it is not a replacement for but it's only because 
back then they're like well obviously we can't play the cartoon song on the radio adults aren't going to buy that as a single we have to have real grown-up adult contemporary people singing it meanwhile i feel like when frozen got big there was never a thought of like well no we're just going to play let it go like, yeah it's yeah just the song we don't need a grown-up let it go i'm glad we've evolved yeah i just associate the the pop version with like being at the orthodontist or something <laughs> just like the light fm and hearing uh, like all of these contemporary pop adult hits the light fm uh, but yes, uh, very, very great. What can we say about this without, you know, underselling it? Again, the Beast acting is so great. Yeah. They can do more with him because the acting on Belle is a little more reserved because she's got to be very pretty. But mm -hmm. I like, again, he's very anxious. But then when he sees Belle, he's like, oh, she looks great. Yeah. Like, he's very excited. But again... Um, he's a nervous guy at prom. That's the... Yeah. The Communicating the insecurity of him is so great because, like, he's afraid to dance. But he's, she's got to, like, show him, like, put your hand here and I'll put my hand there. And, like... Mm he like then he has another like like i'm doing it expression on his face once he gets started dancing no it's yeah i i love every single second of this like i think really i loved every scene of this movie but i do recall the the reason i begged my mom to take us to that second theatrical screening of it uh alongside newsies was to see this sequence again like to see it on the big screen so your mom was like my little boy wants to see the ballroom dancing sequence eh <laughs> uh you know i probably just said well i just like it is all but yeah i mean begging honestly be, uh your son asking to go to see newsies should also probably ring <laughs> alarm bells but no i i mean i love every bit of this like when the beast is he actually is showing like growth that he's is eating with the spoon and he even has his yeah. pinky out and the way she gets up from the table and goes like, no, let's go dancing. Like, Oh, right. There's like yeah. a little dinner uh, before the dance. And she has to like pull him away. Like, yeah. But like uh, he's still not fully human because he's like holding the spoon kind of strangely, but he's still got more control over it. He's doing better. But yeah. man, just, yeah. Again, my hats off to Baxter. Like this is like masterpiece stuff. Like this, every angle of it, all the moving around, like just my favorite bit is, is like you said, him slowly losing his insecurities like there's an audible gulp like yeah like when he when she puts his hand in his but also like because the physical intimacy she's giving to him in this dance is like he was completely unprepared for that he's like oh she wants to be this close to me like it's first he gulps when he puts her hand in his hand but he really is shocked of like she takes his giant hand and like here just put it right on my waist yeah it's fine and he's like really okay like yeah. and then like towards the end of the song when she puts her head on his chest he like looks surprised over at cogsworth and lumiere and they're yeah. like yeah yeah go for it's it man like, whoa yeah. you see this she loves this like yeah which i mean who wouldn't want to nuzzle their chest in his his big chest look, it looks, it looks soft yeah. uh, i mean also a like uh props to them for not having any gags in this i mean you can consider the gulp to be a gag at one point lumiere kind of nudges cogsworth saying hey look at this yeah but it's yeah. not like uh heaven's light a song i love from hunchback it's like it's supposed to be the moving song but uh there are gags in it because yeah. they're insecure they got to yeah. throw some gags with the gargoyles and they they use a much lighter touch here yeah this is it's just so gorgeous with the incredibly high ceiling and the you know the paintings of the cherubs moving around like it's you know having too many jokes in here or any real jokes would would really take away from this this is not the time for jokes it's time for angela lansbury to sing a sweet song about how people fall in love and like barely even friends then somebody bends unexpectedly neither one prepared like just god all her lines she gives so much extra to this by by her singing it yeah. that it does feel like 
a timeless story. Yeah, yeah. that's why I like uh, her version more than the pop version. It's because I like the the gentle old lady talk singing, mm. and not like the belting out a big ballad. <laughs> yes, you know, yeah, yeah. But then for Peebo Bryson, I guess that makes him the beast in the song when he's hey, singing back with it. There's that's some a- there's some politics to that. I yeah. think we don't want to discuss. <laughs> you know, there's uh, there's an SNL sketch of the this exact scene too from the last few years i i hadn't seen uh in a while but the joke in the song is that the beast thinks that the beauty and the beast song he's the beauty and she's the beast oh. and she's like well and it's just then Kristen wig going like what what you think i'm the beast he's like well you know i like girls with a little more meat in their seat you know i'm just, I'm just saying like, so yeah. they did a beauty and the beast uh parody that late yes yeah and his his well it might have been when the new movie was coming out, okay. so maybe that made the timing of it better. Because but. Uh, my wife Nina and I were looking up Sound of Music sketches, and they did one like in the 2010s, and we were like, what? <laughs> wow, man. The You know, in, the ske- in that uh, Beauty and the Beast sketch, SNL spent a lot of money on the makeup and stuff. Like, yeah. the Bill Hader is Lumiere. It's a crazy outfit they put on him. and uh, That's that's why that's what Bob Odenkirk complains about all the time. They just spend all the money on costumes, not it, on funny. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I just heard a funny story from our pal Tim Kalpakis on a podcast talking about how they did a sketch uh, for Donald Glover paying Lando Calrissian and... Tim Kalpakis got to play because he helped write the sketch. He got to play Max Rebo in the Max Rebo mm. band, and he had to play like a near movie accurate costume in it that was like suffocating him, and he was getting like claustrophobic <laughs> in. Uh, yeah. That sounds great and also terrible <laughs> at the same time. But hey, we're not talking about Max Rebo. We're talking no. about the, yeah, just their three dimensional movement. Nowadays, you can fake it so easily with just, you know, 3D models spin around. You're not animating in 2D anymore or. Even if you're drawing in 2D, you can have better 3D models to, you know, visualize it from every angle. But Baxter, like you said, he just has a thing in his brain that he can just do it. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't think it was planned out with even like very basic models in in the room. I think it was just him and his brain and him knowing where the camera was going to move. And it's I didn't time it, but it feels like 24. 25 seconds of the movie there's the very big shot you remember then like a smaller shot after that yeah and then that's kind of it like it's it's much smaller than you remember but it's still effective enough to be like in every commercial what Mm -hmm. everyone talks about yeah you know again i love this song so much that when i eventually go to walt disney world i'm gonna have to eat at the be our guest to see the ceiling the recreations of the ceilings and everything up there and apparently there's extra rooms in there like you can be in the big room but also there's a side room that has like the torn picture in it and it's the the west wing version as well i want to eat in the den (laughs) when i want to eat i use the den uh so we're gonna move on here and uh even chip his heart his little uh unmoving heart is warmed by this uh, scene Mm -hmm. of dancing he's got to get one last peek at the couple before he's off to bed and lumiere's working with the other candles to turn down the mood light yeah i like him like bringing it down and like even his even his own Flames are getting lower. Mm-hmm. And yeah, again, great body language on the beast. Uh, they're on the balcony, still a little shy. He sidles over, but oh, grabs the way her hand. She's adjusting her dress, yeah. too. She's like, it almost feels like her going, like, So, you gonna say something, dude? Yeah. What's going on? Come on, I'm giving you an opening here. Yeah. <laughs> but he asked, you know, are you happy here with me? And she says, uh, 
yes but then a look of kind of uh regret passes over her face Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and she's looking off into the distance and he wants to know what's going on and she brings up you know i need to see my father i miss him so much and the parents always getting in the way of these things yeah yeah. (laughs) and we see the beast thinking for a second we see a moment of realization pass over his face he's like oh there is a way it's like i've got this magic mirror and he just very relaxedly lets her into the west wing and he's Mm -hmm. like here let me you can stand right next to the rose don't touch it (laughs) so bell uh looks in the mirror and she leaves again in our next clip this mirror will show you anything anything you wish to see i'd like to see my father please (laughs) papa no he's sick he may be dying and he's all alone You must go to him. What did you say? I release you. You're no longer my prisoner. You mean I'm free? Yes. Oh, thank you. Hold on, Papa. I'm on my way. Take it with you. So you'll always have a way to look back and remember me. Thank you for understanding how much he needs me. Oh, oh, so sad. Yeah, and there's like uh, some dramatic irony here because Belle thinks, well, I can just come back and see my new friend. Yeah. But he knows like, well, I know this is a death sentence and I'm sacrificing my life so you can see your father. I, You don't know what this Rose deal is. Mm-hmm. I guess that he'll be a beast forever doesn't mean he's like dead, but he yeah. may as well be. He'll, he'll live without hope. And uh, from this point on, he's just suicidal. Like, honestly, this is like somebody saying like, Oh, you really like that uh, thing of mine? You can keep it. That mm-hmm. should be your tell that the person's yeah. having suicidal ideation. I mean, in the original story, the beast basically uh, slow suicides himself yes. before Belle shows up and it's like, don't kill yourself. Let's get married. <laughs> See, Bob, if I ever say like, Bob, you can have my Simpsons arcade machine. You can have it. Be worried. You'd be scared. Would you notice if I took it out of your apartment? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you'd have to. Well, for one thing, you have to dig really deep into my closet <laughs> to find it. Yeah, but, uh, that, that's that's in the March area, March 2022. <laughs> but but anyway, yeah, the, uh, the the sadness on Beast as he lets her go, and that that also proves that he does love her. He loves her so much that he actually lets her go, even though it means he could die. Like that actually proves he loves her even more mm-hmm. than uh, more truly than if he wanted to keep her there. Yeah, I think it's that letting her go which helps break the spell later. Like yeah. if he didn't do that, then the spell wouldn't be broken i guess too it's the old uh, if you love something let it go and if it comes back blah 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 which is what happens so but i say if you love something keep it around yeah <laughs> have fun with it uh though i also like the cogsworth in as a joke comes in is like can't read the room boy it went pretty great got to say yes uh the beast has to tell him uh, i let her go and he says but why <laughs> It's like, why? Aren't you thinking about me? Like, come on. I want to be a human again, dude. And I sang a whole song about it. His sad response is, because I love her. And it's, oh. it's very sweet. But I, yeah, I like the Cogsworth does the Hawaii. Hawaii. Um, so we cut to all the castle subjects yelling at Cogsworth. He did what? He did what? That's also, I guess that is also kind of a sitcom cliche, too. It yeah. is, but I'll get, it's 91. I'll give him this. Uh, Pot remarks, uh, Potts remarks that Bell uh, left just as he learned to love. 
And Lumiere thinks, hey, maybe that can break the spell. Yeah, does that count? It, it almost like he should be looking around like, huh? Yeah. But maybe. Potts, uh, she checks the Airbud rule book and it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> she has to love him in return. Mm, it's not enough. Like, that, I guess, is also for the audience. They're thinking like, well, if you're like Lumiere, who thinks like, well, there, see, he fell in love. He, he learned selfless love. Not enough. Not enough for this jerk enchantress who's just like, what more does she want, you know? Yeah, where is she? Is she keeping eye? Does she have her own mirror? Is she checking in on this? <laughs> is This all hinges upon someone else falling in love with him. Like, you can't, you can't command people to fall in love with you. Yeah, I mean, a worse story would be him going like, a bad person of Version of the Beast would have said like, well, so what? You want me to be a beast forever and not love me? Fine, I guess. <laughs> I guess you're a pretty bad person then. Mm. Yes, that's, that's why he's the star of this movie. Yeah. It's a sensitive yeah. beast. <laughs> so he roars and Belle zooms off into the woods to find her papa. Within like three cuts, she does. Yes. And yeah. they're home in another cut. So it's like the wolves, uh, they went somewhere else. They're sleepy again. Uh, you know what? They uh, be scared them away. They never came yeah. back. Let's say that. Yeah. They attack They attack very selectively. <laughs> Though Maurice like is pretty close to death there. So she, she came at the right time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yes, she brings him inside. Uh, LeFou is outside. He's already in snowman form, but he runs off to tell Gaston that Belle is back with Maurice. Mm. And Maurice is in bed. He comes to. It's a very happy reunion. And he wants to know, like, how did you escape from the beast? Mm. And she has to explain, uh, I didn't escape. He let me go. So that's surprising <laughs> yeah. because all Maurice knows about the beast is that he is a horrible man who will lock you, a horrible beast that will lock you away mm -hmm. for just sitting in his chair. Yeah, Maurice has to now wake up and deal with the fact that the guy that almost killed him, uh, she's in love with him. And he's like, uh, okay, <laughs> all right. But so I guess you thought I could change him, right? Yeah, oh, I've heard it before. Yeah, what? You know, I bet you could try to change Gaston. Why don't you try? I am. He's he's a he's pretty handsome. It seems easier. He's already human. Yeah, you know what? He, I suppose uh, sociopathy though is harder to change than a man yeah. from a, a beast into a man. You can shave that beast. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he uh, he explains. Uh, she explains that you know he's changed somehow, and then we see her little satchel starts bouncing. Chip is stowed away. Ah, uh, that kid. The the comic relief came home with him. Yes, with <laughs> with the magic mirror. Uh, Chip wants to know why she went away, but she can't explain because this is when Monsieur Dark appears. Every time there's a knock on her door, it's bad. Yes. Like, she should stop answering this door. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Go into another room where you can't hear it. But here, here's more Tony J because I clipped all the Tony J in this movie. Yeah. May I help you? I've come to collect your father. My father? Don't worry, mademoiselle. We'll take good care of him. My father's not crazy? He was raving like a lunatic. We all heard him, didn't we? No, I won't let you. Bill? Maurice! Tell us again, old man. Just how big was the beast? <laughs> he was, I mean, he was, he was enormous. I, I, I'd say at least eight. No, more like ten feet. <laughs> Well, you don't get much crazier than that. <laughs> it's true, I tell you. <laughs> get him out of here. Call me. No, you can't do this. Poor Belle. Well, it's a shame about your father. You know he's not crazy, Gaston. Mm, I might be able to clear up this little misunderstanding. If. If what? If you marry me. This is not a marriage uh, built on love. Yes, man. Yeah, it's to keep to keep her father safe. But you know what? This is the reverse of the beast scenario. Beast locked up her dad, and she offered herself, not the beast the other way around. This is Gaston's going to lock up her dad, 
and Gaston is like, so you going to marry me? That's when she's like, no, I won't. Yes, so, you're grosser than the beast. Yeah. And he's taking the choice out of her hand. She can't offer it. He is making her do it. Yeah. Yeah. She refuses. He says, <laughs> have it your way. She's like, he's not the monster here. You are. Yeah. Oh, that's later. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But hey, it's a very on the nose line that I like. It is. Yeah. Uh, but she runs in to get the magic mirror to show everyone this is what the beast looks like. She says, oh. show me the beast. Bad move on her part because it's yeah. like, yeah, you were freaked out when you saw this guy for the first time and now he's roaring in, in like sadness and that's all they're seeing is this huge creature roaring. Oh uh, man, when I was a kid uh, and saw her walk out with the uh, mirror, I definitely had the feeling like, no, you're going to kill, they're going to kill the beast. Don't do it. No. She, she knows the beast much better than they do. All they mm. see is, is exterior, which is the problem, which is mm. the moral of this movie. Mm. And, uh, she pleads with the townspeople. No, he's actually kind. And Gaston is just like, ugh. I think you got feelings for this disgusting <laughs> yeah. creature. What were I, you doing in there? I didn't know any better. Yeah. He's, he's, he, uh, you know, Gaston is wrong, but I, I get the instant reaction. Like when she first got there, if somebody said she didn't believe it when the other uh, talking furniture was like, no, he's not so bad, really. She didn't believe it either. I guess it's slightly ironic. I mean, she's not a bad character, but it's like, well, she probably understands like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, he's a yeah. scary beast. <laughs> oh, right. He is a scary beast. I stopped recognizing And that's that. when, you know, you get the, he's no monster, Gaston, you are. And, mm. you know, this is all uh, being lit by torchlight, this scene. Gaston is looking especially evil here. Mm-hmm. And Gaston says, you're as crazy as your old man. <laughs> and he works up the crowd into a frenzy. He says, I, I say we kill the beast. And that's when we get the mob song. The mist through the woods, through the darkness and the shadows. It's a nightmare, but it's one exciting ride. Say a prayer, then we're there at the drawbridge of a castle, and there's something truly terrible inside. It's a beast, he's got fangs, razor sharp ones, massive paws, killer claws for the feast. Hear him roar, see him foam, but we're not coming home till he's dead. Good and dead! Kill the beast! No! you do this if you're not with us you're against us bring the old man get your hands off me we can't have them running off to warn the creature let us out we'll rid the village of this beast who's with me fire 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 out your horse through your courage to the sticking place we're counting on gaston to lead the way through a mist through a wood and within a haunted castle something's lurking that you don't see every day and yes that is the uh very cleverly named the mob song <laughs> yes yeah and that gives me the sense of how ashman felt when he was writing this because i think it's the weaker song of the bunch mm-hmm. yeah i mean uh it's it is very on the nose like the characters say like and we're scared and it's something that you don't see every day and we don't understand it and we're small-minded people but yeah it's yeah it's i mean it's, it's mostly the men's chorus not enough gaston on his own mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and, i mean the animation is cool the mob stuff is cool the uh, the turn of, of the townspeople into evil this evil mob is great in all of gaston's when he's gesturing about with the mirror in his hand and the green lightnings going everywhere like that's really well done too yeah it's just really it's trying to make a more serious and somber mood where it's, it gets dark where you know the the refrain of kill the beast kill the beast yeah. yeah also some of his posing is he's 
telling like with his cl- hands and his claws with his paws and claws like that also feels like the posing of the headless horseman song when he's acting out when Bron bones is acting out all the scary bits right. of the headless horseman describing song. like yeah exactly i have that written down actually oh, okay he's yeah. like giving the description of the beast and mm-hmm. he's freaking people out i i could totally see deja was doing that uh, on purpose yeah. yeah and there's like a little bit of a dialogue portion of the song where bell is trying to stop gaston and he gives her, if you're not with us, you're against us. He literally says that. Mm-hmm. Now, I definitely can see an easy parallel to draw here is with the fervor of conservative America over AIDS and gay people and all that. Mm. Of just like, oh, like, we don't understand it. Will our children be safe? Think of the, the character basically says, think of the children. Like, they're going to he's going to eat our kids. Yes. The, the all, children are always used for every evil cause when it's mm-hmm. trying to, uh, you're trying to, you know, exaggerate the dangers of something like this could they're they're taking our children they're you know they're grooming our yeah, children Disney's grooming our yeah. children with movies just like this one yes yeah so and this could certainly be used for that like here you have this weirdo who a harmless weirdo who lives alone in his castle and everybody's like no we gotta this guy can't even live in peace we we're sure he's a monster so we're gonna go to his home and kill him and yeah, like I said before, Bell was correct. This group is a easily led lynch mob. She is right to hate this town and want to leave it. Yeah, yeah. she was not being unfair up front. In fact, she was being too uh, charitable to this town. <laughs> I would guess the guy running the library is not among them. He's the one nice no. guy in town. I don't know but... if we see him. Yeah, we get a shot of Chip kind of like peeking out from behind a doorway to let you know like Chip is still out and he still can do stuff even though Bell is being locked away with Maurice in the cellar. I also love, like, it's a nightmare, but it's one exciting ride. Like, that's a great bit, too. We're having fun with this nightmare. And yeah. uh, that line, uh, screw your courage to the sticking place, mm. is from Macbeth. Uh, Ashman oh. made people think, like, what the fuck is this? Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I think Lady Macbeth has it. I think it's a, a reference to, like, what you do with a crossbow. Ah, right. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's one, you know, Lady Macbeth famously. Uh, is is used as an epitaph for somebody like uh, getting the courage to do an awful thing like and being told to do it by man the yeah something lurking that you don't see every day that also reminded me of just the springfield mob uh yes uh, he's singing a song too yeah this, they're very uh, springfieldian in the scene before the simpsons were do- was doing a lot of mobs yeah i wonder if this inspired them to mm. be like you know that mob looked pretty cool in beauty and the beast we should do that you know they couldn't draw the people let's make our tv staff draw all the people <laughs> every time yeah. yeah i mean they, they're again they're being creative they're being economical there are shots with a lot of the people in it, but when they can, it's silhouettes, it's shadows, because mm-hmm. it's not only uh, cheaper and easier to do, but it's also more uh, like, uh, it can evoke a mood in a better way, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. And uh, I gotta say, as part of the mob, LeFou actually looks pretty dangerous and scary. Oh, yeah, no, this is when he's no longer a clown. He's he's one of the deadliest members of the mob. Like, later, as he's cackling of torturing this candleman, he's, he's just a full-on sicko. You shouldn't yeah. try to burn the candleman, though. <laughs> Hey, you know the mel- the wax is melting. He is messing him up. It's uh, it's it does look pretty bad for old Lumiere in that moment. And there's another a little dialogue section within this uh, fairly long song. Uh, Belle is fretting in the cellar with her dad. They don't know what to do. But Chip's on the windowsill outside, but he sees the wood chopping machine up on yeah. the top of the hill. Uh, the way it lights, the lightning lights the the blade, the sharp blade of the axe. They realize like, oh, I see. And I like how in the process of this song, on the way to the castle, they like cut down a tree and make a battering ram. It's like, we didn't bring one from home. Let's improvise. <laughs> and, the, and the song is so rousing that it even gets a response within the song from the people in the manor, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Uh, back at the castle of Cogsworth, they're all like moping. 
they're saying we shouldn't have gotten our hopes up. Maybe it would have been better if she never showed up here. Mm-hmm. But this is when the dog footstool alerts them to invaders, encroachers. Yeah, they think that Belle is back, but no, they're being invaded. It's dangerous. Yeah. Uh, Cogsworth is raring for a fight, but he's spooked by the door closing when everyone <laughs> else leaves before him. Uh, you know, it also felt like it was written almost like it was supposed to be a song, and then they decided, no, let's make a dialogue. The line of like, take whatever booty you can find, but remember, the beast is mine. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I do like the uh, here we come, 50 strong and 50 Frenchmen can't be wrong. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yes. Yeah, that is good. <laughs> uh, I do like that. But uh, yes, this, the, the Kill the Beast song is over. Should we call Kill the Beast? Not the. Yeah. It's, it's literally called the Mob Song. Yeah, that's. I, uh, maybe they didn't want to have a spoiler on the track listing. Or on the, the, the word kill, maybe maybe yeah but yeah yeah yeah, the beast is uh too sad to fight back in our next clip here leave me in peace but sir the castle is under attack this isn't working we must do something wait i know what should we do master it doesn't matter now just let them come. Now! And then we get the action uh-huh. movie action movie version of Be Our Guest mm-hmm, as yeah. all these guys are pummeled in a very Home Alone style scene. <laughs> And uh, it actually reminds me of the end of Hunchback because we have the serious conflict happening with like Frollo and Quasimodo and Esmeralda. But while that's happening, there's like fun goof ups with the gargoyles <laughs> fighting off invaders. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's actually very similar, except in this. The T stands in for molten metal. In the movie, they actually are just pouring molten metal on guys and, that and is true. killing them. <laughs> Mrs. Potts is only scalding, uh, you know, invaders yeah. with her hot tea. I would say, out of all of the people doing stuff in this, the only one who dies would be the guy who gets the dresser dropped. Oh yeah, his yeah. spine is just snapped in two. Yeah, that guy's dead. Everybody yeah. else, they're they're not dead. But yeah, this, like you said, this was used for a very deceptive commercial of the Home Alone action sequence. Yeah, please look it up. Actually, I think it might be in this podcast i forget which uh which mm, clip i gave right, to our right. editor yeah. but it's easy to find if you don't know uh if it's not in this podcast and uh yeah the and you like you said the the be our guest music is coming up behind it just so you know like da 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 everything's fun it's this is the last bit of fun before the ending kids yeah it's like uh have some physical violence we have not hit lafu in a while mm, and and just like with the uh, the Le Poussin chef, he gets his teeth, a uh, couple guys get their teeth smashed out too. Yeah, actually in my notes I have, uh, we have some Le Poussin style violence. Lots <laughs> yes. of lots of teeth damage, lots of like conks on the head. Except it's dozens of Frenchmen instead of just one. Yes, yeah. that's right. They're really abusing the French in these movies. <laughs> it's the one group you can really abuse, I mm-hmm. guess, in Disney movies. We hate them. We, everybody uh, hates them. So uh, we go back to Maurice's place. We're cutting back and forth between the battle with the household objects to where Gaston is and what he's doing to where Belle is and also yeah the the chip in the uh, chopping machine escape sequence yeah you know th- this is where I think there's one cut too many because uh, well well first off the trunk that eats him and the eats the guy and then burps I think that guy is also dead yes. I think that guy suffocated in there and he died. turned into like a skeleton <laughs> but uh, but otherwise uh, yeah chip to the rescue seeing this little armless thing. Be able to turn it on and drive it into the hit uh-huh. and, and nearly kill 
Bell and Maurice in freeing them. That's pretty good. It's such a fun sheet because apparently he he activated the entire machine and when we cut back to him, he's just blowing on the coals yes, to, to get yeah. it going. It's like, how did he get everything else moving? I know, yeah. And it's it's very cute how he's hanging by his, uh, I guess, his nose handle and saying, like, you guys got to try this thing. You know, if Maurice didn't pull them out of the way, they would have gotten their heads chopped apart by an axe. Yes, yeah, and then exploded upon, too. Yeah, yeah that would have... Uh, the sa- the sad story ends with Chip uh, dying with them in so, this horrible explosion. After accidentally murdering them with an axe. <laughs> uh, we go back to the castle. We hear a Wilhelm scream, just in case you didn't hear it. Nice. It's there. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I mean, it was it was novel then. I hate when guys who are like in their 20s put it in stuff now. You're like, come mm-hmm. on. Yeah, yeah. I lived through yeah, 30 <laughs> years of Wilhelm screams. 40. <laughs> there's, there's too many of them now. But yeah. yeah. Uh, though if I made a movie, would I be tempted to just put it in there? Yes, I would. I would. They would, they would hide the Wilhelm scream uh, dot wave from you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lots of things are happening uh, in the castle. Lots of fun uh, smash up antics. Gaston is infiltrating further and further to find the beast. Uh, and then we have like beer steins are firing tomatoes. Potts is scalding this man with her orphans with hot water. <laughs> the wardrobe murders a man by falling on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Gaston is like looking through each room, kicking open the door and like looking in with his bow and then like seeing the beast is not there. Yeah. So that's, that's the one editing choice i think they made that i wouldn't have done or i i would have changed because i think they wanted you to be reminded during all this action like oh but gaston's still out there he's not dealt with but i think it would have worked better if you just have all this cartoony action and then this shot of gaston comes before him opening the door on the beast like yeah you're watching yeah. him stalking the hallway and then opens the door on the beast. The, these household objects let gaston just waltz up the stairs as they're taking out all the sillier frenchmen like no he's yeah. the most dangerous frenchman <laughs> they're too uh, they're too obsessed with fighting all these other guys that they miss the very dedicated gaston who just walks right past him yeah uh, after crushing that man's spine the wardrobe sucks in a man spits him out he's wearing women's clothing he screams <laughs> because he violated too many gender norms <laughs> i mean it is quite a giant uh, wig he has on as well which I guess you know was uh, that kind of bouffant was uh, the style at the time or at least for Marie Antoinette it was yeah he yeah. is dressed like a uh, uh, like a Marge Simpson Marie Antoinette yes yeah uh, Lafoe uh, menacing Lumiere with a torch and then he gets some extreme ass damage as Cogsworth oh, man. slides down the banister holding the, the scissors out towards his ass <laughs> hopefully it doesn't go into the ass but we don't know we can't it would, we, yeah it wouldn't be a cartoony action sequence if you didn't hear like poink and then a guy jump up like yeah oh my butt yeah <laughs> riding towards the castle i feel bad for this poor feather duster just getting like the feathers ripped out it's like torture yeah that is part of her body isn't it like yeah. oh and the, the creepy way the guy's laughing as he's plucking her feathers like Ew, and, uh, lumiere kind of like blows into his thumb to make his fire shoot out from his head and burns <laughs> this man uh yeah it's a, that's a fun is and uh and lumiere no look catches her too because he's so devil nair and this dog stool uh, gets gonna them. They're going to kill this dog. Yeah. It, they, it, but it tricks them. It, it goes into the pantry. The men run to the pantry. Then all the knives rise out of the cabinets in <laughs> the, the stove. The knives. Yes. Each a man. <laughs> one knife, one man. Uh, I, I don't want to be a knife. But the, sto- <laughs> the stove like belches fire. Looks like Satan himself. Oh, and God. that's when they just run screaming. So I think that's the last of LeFou, right? Yes. Yeah. We, yeah. Don't, we don't see him. He's not invited to the wedding. Yeah. <laughs> and it appears the castle folk have won. Uh, Lumiere smooches Cogsworth like a Frenchman. He's disgusted, lightly slaps him. And it's like, like yeah, an Englishman's like, don't kiss my cheeks. How dare you? <laughs> so the little uh, fun Home Alone style action scene has ended. Yeah, 
fun's over. It's time yeah. to get back to the moping and the sadness and uh, murder. La- yes, murder most foul. Not fun like uh, goofy like uh, physical humor. Actual murder is going to be mm-hmm. happening here. So Gaston has found the beast. He draws his bowstring. The beast just looks at him, looks back out towards the window. He doesn't care. He wants to yeah, die. Not defending himself. And of course, that shows you Gaston is an asshole because he's like, eh, I don't care. This guy's not fighting back. All the easier to shoot him in the back. Yes. Wham. He does. Like he says in his song, he fights dirty. Yep. And not only does he shoot him in the back, he like pushes him through the window, kicks oh. him on the balcony to the roof below. Yeah. Because Gaston is the way he's moving is like yeah i'm the badass star of a movie like this is my movie i'm errol flynn when really he's just a bully like a horrible evil bully who's gonna murder this guy but his motions and action shows that he's so full of himself in his mind he's like yeah i'm the star i'm the hero aren't i the good guy like and just brutalize this monster yeah uh, let's hear him fight dirty Get up. what's the matter beast <laughs> Too kind and gentle to fight back. Oh. No. Bella. No, Gaston, don't. So yes, upon seeing that Bell has come back for him, he gets all of his strength back. Uh, Popeye-style surge. Yes. And uh, there's there's green lightning in this scene, and they weren't sure if that would work. They were just playing with the cap system, seeing like what colors can we do here. And they're like, hey, no one, no one, no one actually, no one asked any questions about the green lightning. No, yeah, it works great for me. I I never even noticed it was it was green. It was just like uh, great dramatic lightning. I just love. I mean, as as a kid. I was so scared seeing Gaston like picking up this club, walking towards this poor defenseless creature. He's gonna bash in his head, and yeah, it's not even going to be like an elegant fight. He's he's going to just like bludgeon this this beast with a piece of the castle he broke off. Yeah, yeah, he's just like, ah, fuck you, buddy. You're not even gonna fight back, and also just taunting him like too kind and gentle, like. But yeah, as a kid. When he caught that and got up and growled at him, I was like, yeah, yeah, beast, finally, stick up for yourself. Yeah. And they grapple with each other across the roof. Uh, the beast has the upper hand, clearly. There's a shot where like Gaston looks a little afraid when he gets his strength back, when yeah, the beast gets his strength back. Yeah, this is like the first time Gaston has faced anybody bigger than him, uh, probably in, in years and years, yeah. And uh, Gaston gets pounced down to a lower level. The beast kind of disappears, but he's amongst this like line of gargoyles. He smashes one thinking he smashed the beast, but mm. we see the beast is hiding in the shadows. Yeah, you know what? Speaking of things, again, that were done in Hunchback, there was that bit in Hunchback where... We stick with Tony Jay's perspective as he's chasing after Quasimodo and Esmeralda. Right. Uh, this is the same. We're stuck with Gaston's perspective as he's hunting down the beast, not the beast. And yeah. In the movie, lots of gargoyles as well. Yeah, yeah, actually. Although yeah. if they don't spit water, they're grotesques. Ah, yes, yeah. We learned that from that one. But that here's was... the thing. Nobody cares. And if you say that out loud, <laughs> someone will beat you up. And they should. Uh, and you see Gaston's like murderous intent. like He decapitates that one gargoyle, or grotesque, and uh, just smashes its head off thinking it's the beast. Yeah. Let's uh, hear more of their fight. Come on out and fight! Were you in love with her, beast? Did you honestly think she'd want you when she had someone like me? It's over, beast! Belly! 
So, like, him saying Bell is mine, that's what pushes Beast into, like, enough rage to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually, you can tell the lip sync is off. Uh, he originally says, uh, time to die. Oh. Uh, and it wasn't, like, a censor thing. They thought including Bell, uh, having, him having him shot something about Bell would be more effective than just saying, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, that's good, because then it's not about him protecting himself. It's also the Beast knows that, like... If this guy kills me, then he's going after Bell next, and I have to protect Bell. Mm -hmm. Like he's doing it for Bell, not for himself, which is the whole point of his of this love story is for him to live for something other than him. And it's it's a smart change, but they couldn't change the lip sync. But it's only you could, if you only like stare at his mouth, do you really notice it's different? <laughs> uh, who's looking that close at uh, Gaston's mouth? I <laughs> look at his eyes when he dies soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I love I love how. Gaston crumples instantly being held up there like oh, I'll do anything anything yes. like yeah <laughs> yeah uh he like instant cowardice uh, yeah. instant fear of death and beast realizes oh man the shot of beast's angry scowl with rain dripping on it and then softens to like what am I doing am I gonna kill this asshole yeah, like, like you're not worth it you're not worth it jerk get out of here so yeah. the bell is up on the balcony of the west wing she extends her hand. He climbs to her. I like the shot of his huge hand grabbing hers. It, oh, yeah. Yeah, he climbs to the balcony. It looks like it's a happy ending, but no, it's a fake out because Gaston stabs him right in the side. Just I love how he, how he pulls the knife out and like kind of flips it. Oh, he's so cool. Yeah, yeah he's like, uh, now time for one more blow to make sure he's dead. Like, And there's blood trickles out of there like not a lot but like there's some blood it's still it's still a beast stabbing yeah he's about to strike again that's why he flips the knife to get another like stab in but then he loses his footing he dies it's his fault yeah and also the bell grabs beast beast would have fallen too so she saves mm. his life yeah and if you pay attention closely for a few frames there are little skulls in his eyes Love that, that let you know he's gonna die i don't know if i said that in the first part but no. uh they edited those out of the vhs release the oh, original release yeah man i i spotted them in the in the hd version so that's good it was there i mean what are they worried like that's not like uh you know not wearing underpants on jessica rabbit it's just it's skulls like that's just fun uh yeah i, I it, it feels like an odd choice to me I, I guess it was easy to do because of caps but also it's like that was their intent like mm -hmm. a little cheeky thing to let you know no he's dead we can't show you his body hitting the ground but yeah. he's dead he's deader than a doornail nobody can fall this far and live like even if he hits water it's like yeah, his bones all exploded yeah like this and it's all like you said all his fault and it's the classic Disney villain death of falling to, I, I like, I think, what, uh, a matter of months before this in the DuckTales movie, the villain dies from a similar fall at that height. Into yeah, Frodo yeah. falls, uh, mm -hmm. lots of falling in these yeah. movies. At least, though, with Frodo, you know, with... Did I say Frodo? Oh, yeah. You, Frollo. Yeah, but, well, you know, at least with uh, with Gaston, you don't see him hit the ground. With Frollo, you see him sploosh into the yeah. molten liquid. He yeah. falls into molten, like, uh, steel or whatever, yeah. or lead. Yeah, I mean, he's extra super dead. He is. But, yeah. I. But, yeah, hearing Beast's sadness, uh, well, when he first says, like, Bill, you came back. Ugh, like, yeah, I... As a kid, I couldn't believe I saw a dude stab him. Like, yeah, it was shocking. Is this a horror movie? Uh, <laughs> let's hear the Beast's uh, dying words in our next clip here. 
You came back. Of course I came back. I couldn't let them. Oh, this is all my fault. If only I'd gotten here sooner. Maybe. It's better. It's better this way. Don't talk like that. You'll be all right. <coughs> We're together now. Everything's going to be fine, you'll see. And at least I got to see you one last time. Please don't leave me. <laughs> I love you. That's what does it. Oh man, tear my eye. That's uh I mean just his him saying it's better this way, like maybe it's better this way if I'm just dead and not uh, some beast with you. And she's like, Don't talk like that. Like that's she's scared that he's saying, like, well, you know, I'm dead now. And she's like, No, no, hold on, hold on. Like, uh the shot of her when he puts his hand up to her face and his giant paw around her face and when she touches it like that's when it finally clicks for her, like oh i love this man like i am not I, into humans <laughs> anymore yeah i love you and yeah just the single tear rolling down her face with the i love you like oh yeah gets me every apparently, time apparently uh the directors were just amazed by Paige o'hara doing this and when she finished this scene, she like turned it off immediately. Like, wow. and and they're like, "Well, how did you do that?" She's like, "It's called acting. Like, man, I'm an actor. That's that's amazing. Yeah, man, that's incredible. That's how good she yeah, is. That's so good. Wow. So, uh, yeah, she says, "I love you." The last petal falls off. Uh, all the household subjects are like, "Up, oh, we're we're done for. This yeah. is it. We're gonna be clocks and candles and lamps forever." <laughs> you see, according to the magic rule book, saying "I love you" before that final petal, that's like. The clock at zero, but the ball's still in the air, mm -hmm. so if it lands in the basket, it counts. That was a clutch kiss. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Belle cries, and for some reason, rainbow sparks start falling from the sky. The beast starts to levitate and spin. His body hovers, but he slowly changes back into a human being. What they didn't want to do is have the transformation happen off screen, which is why you see every part of him transform it's on screen. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing that he's flying up in the air you see him from every angle turning around the way the way the cape magically like kind of puts a straight jacket on him and it's the way his shoulders like pull at it you see his his paws become fingers his uh, hind legs become just you know feet like it's and the light coming out of it it's incredible yeah the it's, facial transformation is great like yeah. how they figure that out to make that look convincing is really great yeah i'm glad they challenge themselves to be like no it'd be cheap to do it off screen like you or like got, do it in a cloud of, of like fog or something yeah we we've seen those transformations are just like uh you know the pinocchio is great but in pinocchio it is just a crossfade between the two designs like it's yeah, not, yeah. it really is yeah yeah they they do cheat there despite all yeah. the money they spend on everything else everything else yeah. uh but yeah what i love about this ending and it's like i it, it feels like it should be obvious but i feel like it, it was subtle to me that uh he becomes this beautiful man beautiful in terms of the movie and she's like reluctant to touch him and she doesn't actually believe it's him until she sees his eyes yeah and it's like yeah. it's the point of the story she's the <laughs> look and look past the beauty mm -hmm. yeah see see his soulful eyes and and also like uh yeah when i say 
the the handsome dude design is nothing special i mean actually if you look really closely his brow and his nose do match with the the contours of the beast's face like he does right. have kind of a heavy bridge uh on his uh, and and his nose as well that that express yeah. the same kind of stuff the beast it's not does. a lazy design it's just the beast is so cool looking yeah the beast is so cool again it's it's been said a million times but i wish he'd have stayed the beast forever <laughs> it's that you know, there's a generation of kids who were disappointed at seeing him turn into just a handsome guy that's why uh, shrek <laughs> thought they were so clever yeah yeah and you know who else was clever our pals at okko uh ian ian jones Cordy and, and toby jones in their halloween episode they parodied this uh the character enid who is uh both a witch and a ninja uh her dad is a werewolf and on a full moon he turns into a human and his hmm. human transformation is a parody of this like oh, his, okay. his, his lights come out of his fingers and everything and he turns into a super hot dude but <laughs> but he goes like oh i'm hideous no no and his wife comes in like oh honey it'll be okay you'll be fine tomorrow like it's it's really funny they do it with all the lights coming out of it and everything it's, hmm. it's a really great parody i didn't know it. about this yeah check out the uh, the halloween episode it's that one's also great because it works as a fun halloween episode it is a reference to the scooby-doo movie ghoul school right right and also it is a uh, a long coming out metaphor as okay. well that works really well that's our lock of the week yeah and oh and the late rusi taylor is among the great oh, voices great. one of her too. last roles i think yes yeah uh something about this reminds me of disneyland because it closes every night with a fireworks show just like mm -hmm. seeing fireworks in a castle and the fireworks are showering down sparks and that's transforming the castle mm -hmm. it just reminds me it's very disneyland yes very very much so yeah it's uh, again and it's why call me a simp for the parks but uh, i the only reason i'd go to florida right now is to see the orlando parks and see all the beauty and the beast stuff they have uh -huh. built especially there they're about to have in japan they've got it the beauty and the beast ride which uh recreates a lot of this Ooh. stuff it uh, maybe if they let me in i'll finally <laughs> go on my honeymoon it uses the same trackless technology that uh the rise of the resistance uses okay i yeah. like that ride and yet uh, you go you get to see so many amazing audio animatronics mm. like the bell and the beast one in it look incredible like yeah it i decided to watch just so i could speak on it more knowledgeably i watched a video of it it wasn't open when i was there last like you know seven years ago it's it's a newer ride there mm. but i think it's supposed to come to uh orlando eventually but yeah it's, I'll, it's an amazing I'll be in ride. japan first uh but then you're gonna have to you'll hear be our guest in japanese will they really do it in japanese it's all in japanese okay yes, hey that's yeah, fine i'm yeah. interested i want to know i'll ask my wife it's a it's a good translation uh yeah actually speaking of my wife I, she pointed out how uh, the beast becomes a normal human and everyone else becomes people who look like things. Yes, yes, yeah. They look exactly like themselves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's true. I I love when he hugs everybody. Like Lumiere, Mrs. Potts, uh, we're back. Like, ah, uh, man. But again, the way she is kind of weirded out by him by just a second, like that uh, should just been her going like change back. Change yes, back. please. Uh, <laughs> can we undo this spell? Uh, can, I, I, can I say I hate you? You're alive now. I miss your big meaty paws <laughs> on me. Your, your, your hands are hardly as big as before. Belle won't live long enough for them to invent furries. She's screwed. <laughs> it's true. It's too bad for her. Yeah. But, uh, let's hear this fun reunion in our last clip of this episode. Cogsworth. Oh, Mrs. Potts. Look at us. Mama! <laughs> oh, 
goodness. It is a miracle. <laughs> 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 well, Lumia, old friend. Shall we let bygones be bygones? Of course, mon ami. I told you she would break the spell. I beg your pardon, old friend. <laughs> and I believe I told you. No, you didn't. I told you. You most certainly did not, you pompous, paraffin-headed people. Oh, God. You, you overgrown pocket watch. Oh, take that. Stop, stop. Are they going to live happily ever after, Mama? <laughs> Of course, my dear. Of course. Do I still have to sleep in the cupboard? <laughs> oh, you. Oh, you. Just like in Hunchback, the final line is a real stinker. <laughs> the last line in Hunchback is like Hugo yelling about the birds or whatever. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I, at least this has the, the big chorus coming back in, though, with it like, yeah. oh. Yeah, it lets you know you saw something special. Man, their their kiss at the end too. What a great kiss! Mm -hmm. Like so passionate. The the Little Mermaid kiss was a good kiss, but this one, their first kiss, and then the time cut of them together at what I assume is their wedding. Yeah, like is it like he swings her around in the dress, basically cut like sweep cuts to a new scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then their second embrace, like they just are like smashing into yeah. each other. They are they are so passionate. Hey, he said a lonely ten years, and yeah. he was a child for like seven of those years. <laughs> That's true, and and now he has a human penis again too. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> that was another song they cut. <laughs> human but, penis again. Uh, also, when. Man, the you know Lumiere looks like himself, but that dust uh, buster lady. She oh looks very boy, the duster lady looks quite different. Uh, yeah. That's that's the number one smoke show of this movie. <laughs> the I, brief shot we see of the 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 human uh, duster feather duster, and I love her teasing Lumiere with it, like hmm, he's like whoa, but but he gets cogged blocked by old Cogsworth. Cog blocked. Yeah, cog I like blocked. it. Yeah, uh, the Lumiere. I, I want him to be more handsome. He's he like what you kind of look like a candle still. Yes. Yeah. He's. Though I guess he doesn't not look like Jerry Orbach, though you mm. know he has he has kind of the deep cheekbones and stuff to to his, his face. His nose is like Usopp from One Piece. Yes, yeah, it's it's quite a long nose. It's a Jughead-like nose as well. Yes, yeah. yeah, but hey, I, I prefer Usopp. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, uh, no way. Uh, Jughead's the uh, look. Usopp's great, but Jughead's one of my favorite characters. Let's see them fight each other. Mm, man, who would win? Well. Uh, Usopp's a bit pretty cowardly, but Jughead's not a fighter at all, so I guess I'd have to give it to Usopp. Who who could eat more hamburgers, though? I haven't seen uh, that new Riverdale show. I assume Jughead's like a werewolf or something, or eh, like a... sorta. He's dating. Uh... I believe the my husband recently told me that Sabrina's now on the show and that Sabrina's old boyfriend's soul is in Jughead, so she's dating Jughead. Hmm. It's uh, yeah, the show's crazy. That is weird. It's, that is weird. Uh, <laughs> but. Yeah, it's uh, a fun little last joke there, and then just a big dance sequence, and then the zoom out with Hearing Beauty and the Beast one more time, and the, the stained glass of everybody so happy. And, and yeah, like you said, the dance scene is just from the end of Sleeping Beauty. It's uh, Princess Aurora and Prince uh, Joey. What's yeah, his name? I don't know. Man, I forget. It's like, he's so forgettable. Like, yeah. in, in Sleeping Beauty, if we ever do it, uh, an important thing that a friend pointed out to me the last time I watched it all the way through was, it's like at minute 40, the prince gets kidnapped by Maleficent and put in a dungeon. He never speaks again in the film, ever. Really? He doesn't talk again the rest of the movie. Well, no wonder he's so anonymous. And there's scenes where he should say words, huh. and he doesn't. And I was like, no, he must talk here. 
And she just laughed at me like, hi, you fool. He never talks. I, I couldn't believe it. I've but, never seen it, but I know it's very pretty. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, Maleficent, top top five Disney villain, uh, even without oh. a great song. She, she's got that film trilogy. Yeah. Now she's an anti-hero more <laughs> so than uh, but She's a real Cruella. But yeah, this movie... Uh, Yes, uh, we don't need to tell you this, but it's very good. Very, very and good. I, I might have even underrated it. Like that's why I never really watched it again in thirty years. I'm like, yeah, it's good. It's just it's a fairy tale, whatever. Going back into it, I'm like, no, I'm dumb. I should have been <laughs> watching this every five years or so because it's great. Mm. And again, I think it's my number two uh, of the '90s. Yeah, Maybe I'll yeah. do my full ranking once we're done with all these. <laughs> it's it's just gorgeous at every turn, even and when. They have to be cheap. They know how to be better at being cheap than they were at being cheap in like Little Mermaid or Great Mouse Detective. Like in Great Mouse Detective, say when they go into that pipe for a while, I was like, well, this is saving some money. But yeah. in the opening to this movie, I was like, no, this is just gorgeous stained glass. I'm not thinking about how they're not animating stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I and every song is great. There's even the mob song. If that's the weakest song, it's still a really fun song and, and a fun evil song. And uh, yeah, I the 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 emotion of it is great. And as far as romance goes, like you know, say in Aladdin, Jasmine has some interesting stuff to her, but it doesn't feel like it's an equal story for both her and Aladdin. It's really Aladdin's story to fall oh, in love definitely. with her. I think that's why I liked it as a little boy, <laughs> and I don't like it as much now. And and oppositely in Little Mermaid, it's really just Ariel's story, and Eric's the guy she falls in love with. But title, it's they're both names in the title. Beauty and Beast's emotional journeys are equal in this, mm -hmm. and and both do go through something in it. I think it's a, a really great story that's deservedly mature enough to be uh, an Oscar nominated for Best Picture movie. And the villain know? is good. The side characters aren't annoying, and yeah. they and they very well could be because it seems like there are almost too many comic uh, reliefs here. Yes, yeah, yeah. But be, meanwhile, in in Little Mermaid, I was like, really? Does she need Scuttle, Sebastian, and Flounder? Uh, really? Flounder's All dead weight. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah, but also uh, this movie, even though clearly it's toyetic in so many ways, I'm not thinking as much as I am in the other ones. Like, well, I see the toy here, or the toy here. Right. like that ethos overwhelmed it so much by hercules that it was just the joke the joke in hercules is like yeah we merchandise the shit out of these yes. yeah but uh, yeah i don't know what else to say uh, thanks for joining us and thanks for signing up at this level to listen and uh our disney summer will continue next month with the rescuers down under and we'll see you then Shall we dress you in for dinner? Oh, let's see what I got in my drawers. Oh, how embarrassing. <laughs> oh, here we are. You'll look ravishing in this one. That's very kind of you, but I'm not going to dinner. <gasps> but you must. Dinner is served.